All right, so today we got my friend Carl on. Carl, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. What's up? So I've known you for what? Oh, 20 God. plus years, 20, dude. Yeah. Because we used to hang out when I worked at Highland Q. You guys, you guys, we would come up with your friends and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'd always go up there, Highland Strip everywhere, me and Brett Kornberg and a bunch of my friends at all. Yeah. Have you, t- have you heard from Brett lately? Not in a couple of years, man. It's been probably about five, six years. He stayed with me in California for a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. And hung out, did some. Yeah, man, hang out with Brett. Around. You never know where you're going to end up. Like, it just, you could be. In your bedroom, or you could be chilling, you know, and the next thing you know, you're fucking in Mississippi somewhere, you know, doing something. Oh yeah, we were, we did a couple runs and picked up some, <laughs> yeah. picked up some sacks, big bat- batchels, satchels, yeah. if you will, and I've ended up in random barns and farms. One time, I had to stay behind at some chick's house with like bail money, just well, in case, just in case, kind of shit. Damn, like man. I was like, just in case, I don't want both of us. So like, I stayed. Let him run and come back. But that's the type of stuff, you know. You never know what the heck. Here, hold this grant. Hold a hold hundred, hundred, hold thousand Jesus. bucks for me. And then. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get, how did you, how did you get in the army? Like, God, one day I saw a picture of you in the army. I was like, what the fuck? So that was back um, 2007, back when the Flying Saucer opened up. I started bouncing there. Ironically, I tried to be a bartender at first, and they didn't have an opening, so they told me I could be a bar a bouncer. They had that other uh, shorty guy. They had a they had literally like a that little person. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Oh that my guy god, now. I forgot I all forgot about, about that. that dude. Dude. So like the the uh, the GM was like, well, I go, I'm not really a bouncer. At the time, I was like 145 pounds. But six foot four, and he was like, you should see our other bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what he meant until I came in on Friday and was like, holy, never mind. Yeah. yeah I completely Dude, forgot about I, that man, guy. we used to go there all the fucking time, too, on man. On Monday. Yeah. Was it Mondays? Yeah. Oh, yeah, high nights. Yeah. Was that Monday night? Mm-hmm. That's when a pint was still like 250. That was the 250 pint night. Yeah. Because everything else was five to six bucks for a pint. And so, like, yeah, pint night, you go in there and drink. Anything except for like I think the top end. Yeah, I mean I remember. Well, besides, <clears throat> I remember besides um, flying sausage being piped like two fifty. Like I'm talking about like the price everywhere was like two fifty three bucks for like sixteen ounces, right? Now I had a beer the other day at a restaurant and it was six dollars for the for a Bud Light draft. I was like, holy! Was this here in town? Yeah. Really. Oh yeah, we go there quite often too. I was like, man, what the fuck? So like, you know, I'm I'm catching myself drinking these six dollar beers. I'm like, never mind. I'm just gonna do a couple of shots and call it. A, you know, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. So it used to be what five? Just five bucks for top shelf like flying dog stuff that people nobody freaking heard about. Like, mm-hmm. I remember people would be like, what What are you What are you talking about? All these random beer beer things. It was back when Flying Saucer was the only real place that served stuff. I mean, yeah. you had to go to Bosco's is the only thing that had like man, that's true. Because Bosco's and what was that place off Winchester? Uh, uh, hops. hops, yeah. So oh, was, I forgot about Hops. Yeah, so didn't that become Clicks or something like that? I think yeah, so. Right? Yeah. No, no, it was a different building. Hops was uh, closer to Winchester. Clicks is up on the little mini mall they added. That was yeah, the, that's right. Because I'd right. go drink with the people from Hops, and back when I was in high school, I had a fake ID, and since I was six four at seventeen years old. And all my buddies from UT would come down and they'd all go to people from hops and go by. And then like the hostesses would walk by and they'd be like, how are you fucking in here? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, shut the fuck up. 
Yeah. But uh, the funny thing about hops. So I was working at Joe's Crab Shack in high school and hops got fucking robbed like professional style robbery. Like heat? Like heat minus the (laughs) gun. They had had fucking uh, uh, people had communication devices they had a timing they kept yelling out two minutes one minute what the fuck one thirty you know 30 seconds they had a timeline that they were going to go in and go out they did it at closing time when the managers were counting up the money before they put it in the vault and fucking they waited friday night and or friday or saturday it was a saturday night because they had all saturday and all that money jesus that's gonna be a lot fucking deuced out and I remember they hit a, all the sheriffs. We had a sheriff that stayed at Joe's Crab Shack yeah. uh, that just sat there at the bar as like just a old, dirty, dirty old man that sat there <laughs> and hit on, hit on young chicks. Wow. But they didn't have that. And so they literally, they, they'd scoped out. Evidently, they'd scoped out Joe's Crab Shack on, out there. They'd scoped them all out. And this is like 2000, 2001. Damn. Back when it was, it was still a decent neighborhood yeah. back then. Yeah, because I used to work at that Best Buy across the street from uh, Hops. Is yeah. that Best Buy still there? Uh-uh. No, that is a Goodwill now. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it, it's it's like the uh, Emporium of Goodwills. You can because <laughs> <laughs> next to that one, you have like there's a Planet Fitness over there too. I think yeah, there's connected like a dirt to cheap or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a weird area. I went into Dirt Cheap, and it is like the uh, rundown of what didn't get picked up at Ross. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying a lot, because Ross Have you ever been in the store Ollie's? Or yeah, whatever? Ollie's is a little weird, but... What is Ollie's? <clears throat> it's like a... It's like a place that they sell like cheap things cheap, you know? That, you can find like pumpkin flavored hostess cakes right now. Really? There. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's the type of random. What's that challenge on? <laughs> so there's the Ollie's in Cordova. There's one on like, Winchester. By, How do you spell it? O-L-I-E. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, that's weird. And it's got some weird perverted look, looking mustache pedophile. Oh, man. Looking looking on there. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. That's your that's your logo guy. You know? <laughs> All right, kids, do some jiggling. But it's like you find the most random shit there in like big lots. They do got good books, I will say, because I like kid book stuff. Yeah, you can go through Ollie's and be like, ah, three, four bucks for a kid books. I've never heard of this fucking place before. And then, but the people watching at any of those places we just talked about, but Ollie's and that is amazing to just fucking go and see people at whatever cave they crawled out of. Yeah, fucking go. Did they ever catch the people that robbed the hops? Nah, I don't think so. It was probably uh, the no, manager it was setting Crab Shack. Joe's Crab Shack, right? What, no, it was Hops got robbed, but I was at Joe's like right. Oh, I, I thought was, you said a, it was at your place. I was a football field away, like right across the street. Oh, damn. And so they called and everybody told us to watch out to make sure we didn't get robbed too. Wow. So that was kind of impressionable. That's the one thing I remember about that place. You got to think about it. This is when, like, before credit cards came as big as they are because everybody was still using cash. We used it 2001 ish. Mm hmm. Dude, everybody had cash still. Like, yeah, I remember paying all my bar tabs and stuff like with cash every time we went somewhere. Like, we never. I didn't think I opened my, I opened my bank account like in '99, but I don't think I had a debit card or anything like that to like 2004 or something. Yeah, <laughs> didn't have. A- I was thinking about this the other day, like when I was at Kroger. I was like, how did I afford groceries back then? I fucking ate at restaurants so much, like and or ate at the restaurants that I worked at. But spent so much money, say to go to Huey's, everything you ate. Just added up. Like, I never fucking bought grocery groceries. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, when I used to go to the grocery store, I would get my groceries and then go to the ATM probably to get cash. Yeah. Because I know I didn't have a debit card back then. 
I oh, that's I right. I, I know I couldn't afford the groceries that I pay for now back then. Remember, either. you like one of the last people I knew that had like a the you could use your AT, used ATMs at not non not places that aren't your bank. Remember, because yeah. you didn't have the little. I didn't have the, a, the, the visa. The, yeah, the visa logo on there. Yeah. I was like, "What is this? Why do we gotta go to the ATM?" He's like, "I have to go to my ATM." I was like, "What the fuck for? Just use this one." I kind of wish I still had that. You save money that way because you're gonna think about something when you go to the ATM. You're like, "Do I really want to spend this amount of money?" But yeah, shit's gotten so expensive at, at Kroger everywhere, man. Like everything is so marked up now. Oh yeah, yeah. It's easy to spend like four hundred bucks, and it's just like a basket full of shit. So when you're into Kroger right now, would get your weekly go. I think that was that was probably like two fifty. Damn, really? Yeah. On average, it's usually like four four hundred, but like that keeps me for like two or three weeks though. And you do eat literally ever all of it. So it doesn't go bad. Yeah. But yeah, that's fucking crazy. So how was it working at uh, Flying Saucer with the little guy? Oh, that was... Did so working with Shorty was shit? great. Like, you're like twins. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> don't, don't let me fuck you up. Wait, you talking shit? And the Shorty! Best is, I'd like to... I want to reiterate, you know, I guess we can't use the the little little per- person word. The, the, oh, yeah, the favorite, the fun word, the M word. <laughs> they get mad at me. If they look at me like I'm a total monster when I've said that. But uh, I want to reiterate to people that he's not like the dwarf, like a big head, like Vienna sausage fingers. <laughs> this is serious. like a proportionate <laughs> hobbit. He's he like looks Nate. like he ran away from the redneck shire, like <laughs> the olive branch of the shire. He fucking, so that set that up. Uh, and he'd have like uh, handcuffs on the back of his pants. I completely <laughs> forgot about this guy. <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck, man? Like, so who's like he, what is he gonna do? So you, you know, we've all take seen your ankles out, man. What the fuck do you think he's gonna do? Rule, I, I, I've never seen. I've seen you bounce a thousand times. I've never seen a handcuff set just hanging <laughs> out of the back <laughs> of your <laughs> pants like you were. <laughs> Like I was gonna, like I was gonna do something. Ready to work for a bail bond company? Oh my gosh! But so, a couple times. One time they, this was great because a great fight broke out. A police officer fought a firefighter. Oh, nice! (laughs) So it was great. So I got the one guy. um, I think the firefighter. I put him in the full Nelson, and then he fell. We just fell backwards, and I neutralized him. But then Shorty grabbed the police officer his ankle and didn't <laughs> and couldn't stop him and i had this poor firefighter in the full nelson where he couldn't fucking protect himself <laughs> and this guy got away from shorty and the guy got a freebie oh, oh just fucking socked this dude right in front of me and i'm like i'm sorry but i can't you know i'm trying to break up a fight and the next thing you know Neck, Shorty had this guy in handcuffs lickety split <laughs> i mean i don't know like <laughs> He's proficient with them, Proficient, man. quick. He probably, like, went through his legs like Yoda, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fucking had him. And I was just like, that's the type of stuff that, I mean, I'd see there. And <laughs> wow. This guy can handle himself, but, I mean, evidently worked back at Denim and Diamonds, too, and a couple other places. <laughs> Did he really? So he'd worked God, at a couple of places damn. and worked was, up a reputation. What was the guy's name that was the bouncer at Denim and Diamonds? Remember the big dude, the, like, God. not muscular, but he was, like, yeah. fat? Uh, Debo, no, he's shaved head, fat as shit. I think he's a liquor distributor driver now because I saw. I was like, man, this guy looks so. It was one of my accounts. I was like, man, this guy looks so fucking familiar. I was gonna ask him, but I was like, hey, you look like this fat guy I used to know. It was really fat back then. Are you that guy? You <laughs> You're know, the same guy. <laughs> but was then he our age, yeah. I mean, he's probably a little bit older than us mm. because he was working the door at Demon and Diamonds, and then when Census opened, he tried to get a job at Census, but they, you know, they hired Matt. 
instead. Oh yeah. And uh uh but yeah, he was like the bouncer. Like I was like, man, I want to be like this guy. You know, I was like, this guy's cool as shit. Like <laughs> your role model. Well, I was fat as fuck, so I was like, hey, I, one or two. I just got to become cool now. You know, you know what? I'll stop you selling. Failed. I'll stop selling drugs. <laughs> Everyone likes the drug dealer, right? Like the, but, the frosty T-shirt contest. I was oh like, god, I'm that just was in it for that, man. That, that that was that place was fucking wild. Because wasn't it Thursday and Saturday, right? Where yeah, the, yeah, the main nights for that place. I was talking to um, our friend Kenny the other day, and he was like, man, that place was just. Too fucking big. Because remember, they had to split it in two places. Then yeah, the mine, the and, mine, and it was like it had to like put like a fake wall up or whatever. But like it was just, he was because we were talking about you know I was like man when are you guys gonna do a club again or something you know he's like man I don't know but like you know I I, I need to do something you know I want I want to do something but I just not sure where or what and then we were talking about how you know only thing on Beal right now like you we were there yesterday is Tin Roof and it was fucking slammed yeah I mean yeah. dude it was Friday night it was probably. 500 people in that place easily like but i was just like man fuck it was and he's thinking that beale's not the spot anymore because all there's so much more opening up areas of memphis opening yeah. up where people need stuff to do and you know so i don't know hopefully bill has been that way i mean it comes and goes i yeah. mean you remember back in the late mid to mid mid thousands like it was six 2007 yeah you couldn't get anybody in one five two, and then I remember I came back home in like two thousand eight, two thousand I mean, ten, and the place was just banging. Yeah, they I mean, they had a line across had, the street. Yeah, so everybody I mean, was paying like forty bucks to get in on the second floor, and then not me. Yeah, well, not thanks, me. Kelly Potter. <laughs> yeah, shout out Kelly Potter. <laughs> hey, but Leave it's me at the black stairwell. Yeah, don't remember bring all we used your to friends. use the the alley to get upstairs. The alley, the yeah, floor. the back Fuck, fire escape. Why does that seem like it was such a long time ago? When it was only like what, maybe ten years ago? Probably yeah, about ten. Ten, about eight, eight, nine years ago, right? Bringing people from out of town. Except whenever I'd come home from the army, I'd be like. I'll show you how to. They'd be like, "We're going in here," and I'm like, "Yeah, we're not going in that door." That's the that's the loser line. That's the loser line. (laughs) Then you'd like show them how you meet up and go down the back alley, and they're like, "What the fuck?" Like, that's kind of funny. The different intricacies of Memphis is funny to know, and the underground different stuff about downtown. But yeah. So how did you join the military? I think that's oh, yeah. oh, Sorry, that was the, holy crap. That was the question. <laughs> so I was working at Flying Saucer, uh, normally just out back smoking. There was a fucking army recruiting center next door. Still mm-hmm. is. Fucking next door. And they used to be out smoking cigarettes. And I'd, they'd be showing off their badass trucks that they had and shit with, you know, sound systems and rims. And I was like, how the fuck do they afford this shit? And I'm fucking working and I barely, I don't even have. I don't even say I didn't, didn't have a car back then when I was like 21, 22. Yeah. Because I drank so much. I just never you know, yeah. hitched rides everywhere. But so I, I saw them all out there and they kept messing with me saying, I sh- should I join the army? And I gave me one of their cards. And then uh, it was right when, right after the, with Muck Sticky, when our music was on uh, Adventures in Hollywood, we were doing the, we had a spinoff. We did a pilot for, uh, called the Escapades of Muck Sticky that, we're going to be on the second season of Adventures in Hollywood. Uh, our music was on the first season in the background. And then, like, uh, Dick House, the people from uh, that did Producers of Jack House, they canceled uh, Adventures in Hollywood after the first season. So everything that we were going to do just went to shit. 
and everything that was planned. So I was just like, fuck. And I had spent that time probably six years. I was 24. I'd spent six years hanging around New Daisy Theater and newbies everywhere around Memphis. And I'd seen these 30-something, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds sometimes telling me about back in their day and fucking all this glory day shit and have nothing to show, no nothing. They just hanging on to one fucking thing. Like, I used to play here in 87. We opened up for Motley Crue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Motley Crue made it. Apparently you didn't. It's like, (laughs) fuck, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was so scared shitless of that being me one day. And so I fucking, and girlfriend I was going out with broke up with me. And I just called this recruiter and was like, fuck, sign me up. And Jesus went over, did it all behind my friend's backs. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to fucking talk me out of it. Mm. I didn't want any naysayers. I didn't want shit. I remember I went to MEPS. (laughs) Funny, I have to rewind. For me to even go to MEPS, I went about six weeks out smoking weed. I was going to ask you, how the fuck did you get in? Oh, God. (laughs) I went six weeks out smoking weed. I mean, that was really fucking tough. I mean, I had everybody at the time I was hanging out with Kornberg and Caleb back then. Yeah. Oh, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. So like they were always over at uh, our studio and stuff. And I was like, I can't smoke weed. This sucks. And so I went six weeks every day. I'd go into the recruiting center and I'd pee every week and I'd still pop pot. And so they were finally were like, fuck it. Give me 60, 60 bucks. And I give them 60 bucks. And I went to MEPS. They picked me up early in the morning and had me, uh, took me to their, I'm going to fuck over these fucking uh, recruiters. <laughs> so they went to, I guess, a head shop, bought me uh, the cleanse stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me these pills. They gave me a gallon of fucking some, a bottle to drink. And then a, a literally a gym gallon of water, Ozarka water. And fucking we're like, sit here, drink this, pee about four times. And then we'll take you to MEPS downtown. Oh. Funny MEPS is on the other side of, on Beale, but the opposite side of Beale. So you're out there like, it's six in the morning, the same place that you were like five in the morning yeah. a couple weeks before. Yeah. Like, is that where you guys uh, ship out from? Like they that's have a where bunch you of ship stuff? out, but that's where, you know, you get to show your butthole and, you know, make sure you're fucking mm. up to par and they do the, all the tests and, and whatnot. You do your redo your uh, aptitude test and everything, but then that's where they P test you and then set your date. And then you go back and ship off. So they, I literally was like, my eyes were floating. I'd, I'd pee so bad. And that was the, you probably could have drank the water, the pee that I fucking pissed <laughs> out. It was so fucking just like water. And so that's how me at the time after touring with Muck Sticky and Afro Man and the Whalers, that's how I managed to pass the drug test. And I had no body fat. I was fucking 142 pounds at MEPS. Six wow, foot four, geez. 142 pounds. And so probably had one, 2% body fat. And it still retained on me that much. You guys are smoking a lot and doing everything. <laughs> yeah. Mostly just the weed. I mean, yeah. fucking every night. That's why I tell people we were too poor to do too much crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we weren't like, uh, I'm going to throw them under the Josie Scott. I remember did so much blow and went through Canada. His uh, uh, jacket popped hot when they swabbed it for cocaine. <laughs> what? What the fuck? I remember doing jacket. coke with him one night. It was me and my buddy, um, and we were at, I forget where we were at. It was somewhere on Highland before they redid it all, right? And he's like, man, I got some fish scale on the way. I'm like, 
look at my friend. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, it's, I guess it's good Coke. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were like, all right, I'm in. Fuck it. How much I, How much money do you want? He's like, oh, no, no, I got it. I got it. This is when they were super popular, you know, and like they were making, I don't know how much money they made, but I'm sure they made, were making money off their songs and stuff. And uh, like we did it. And I was like, man, I just want fist scale now on. I don't know how to get it, but this is all. This is the only kind of coke I want. Ghostface Killer. That's the name of an. Al- Ghostface Killer has an album called Fist Scale. Really? Wow. But yeah, I remember Josie when his uh, first kid was born. We were in Jackson, Tennessee, and we had to go back uh, to Memphis. And afterwards, he tried to sober up or whatever, which meant he just bought weed for me instead. <laughs> he was like, "I need to smoke weed." And I was like, you never were even smoking. He was so fucking high. He never even smoked. He was like, why? It was a waste. You know what wow. I mean? If you're- it's kind of like, I guess he just needed something. That's oh, why he needed. Totally. So like smoke, start smoking weed, I guess. But I didn't mind. That was back before joining the army when I thought it was really cool to fucking sell weed to quasi celebrities and whatnot. People who are. <laughs> Be like awesome. They so trust me. Where'd you end up going when you finally passed your tests and stuff like that? Uh they I did a quick ship, so I had two weeks. I remember uh I passed my drug test and got my uh contract, got like a ranger contract, went airborne and ranger. So it's like triple volunteer. And uh I was so fucking proud. I went back and I had the paperwork and I went to Joe uh fucking flying saucer and I was out the patio with uh Marie Blunt and uh some some of the chicks that worked there and was like slammed it down. I was like, check it. They didn't know. They were like, what the fuck? You joined the art? What? And I was like, yeah, that's yeah, proud. bitch. Yeah, it's like, like this joined the army. Fucking going. Then like, so I had to do the quick ship. And yeah, I literally just had a two weeks to. They did that. They were so my recruiter was so scared that I was gonna fucking get arrested. Get somehow fuck it up. Same way, like a realtor before they close a deal, they're like, mm. "Don't fucking apply for a loan." Yeah, Don't, you know what I mean. They were like, "If call your parents if you have to drunk at the bar, call me." Yeah. they'd be like, "I'll do anything to make sure you don't fuck this up." And so it was hilarious to do that in the whole fourteen days before you ship out. Then shipped out to uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, for basic. And that was back when they—that's home of artillery. So that's back now. They have fucking add females at basic there and like cell phones and it's fucking bullshit. But back when I was there, it was fucking crazy because it was just all guys. It was one of the only three. There was uh, infantry in uh, Fort Benning and then artillery and Fort Sill and then Fort Knox at the time had armor and everything else had had a uh, co-ed uh, basic training where they were like different companies. But definitely once I got in the army and realized. People would be like, I went to Fort Jackson, Fort Leonard Wood. You're like, that's some soft-ass bullshit. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, I go to Melrose. And would be like, well, I go to I go to Lakeland. <laughs> Lakeland <laughs> like, fuck, get out of here. <laughs> so uh, the big thing, I guess, uh, I've been pretty much in all, all male units up until I got into the combat medic training and that was hilarious because all the guys from all male basics were like what the fuck is going on here like all these guys guys had these little funny like effeminate things they do during uh cadences they'd be marching and saying like fucking just stupid i don't even know like instead of saying like who they'd be like (laughs) like add like little ad libs like fucking like there's a sing-along type shit so it was just funny the the culture clash when people got there and you're like 
it reminded me of the same as like at Christian Brothers compared to public school. The bullshit that like goes on if you have females around with guys, you cut out all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's just dudes. You're just doing what you have to do, and you're not yeah. fucking worried about do, getting anything, you know, getting anything out of it or fucking looking cool. Mm. So it adds a different aspect. And yeah, that was another thing. Like fucking nobody gave a fuck. Like how it was. It basically went on by how cool you could be doing something badass. Like if you could do, uh, you're good at shooting, but you weren't, you were still smart or you were fucking strong and you could still fucking do anything else. Like it, it made it to where everybody had a uh, motivation to actually fucking do, do their shit. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. So you became a, a medic combat, uh, combat, combat, combat medic, combat medic. No, it's uh, fucking, yeah. that sounds cool. There's combat medics. Medic. And then there's, there's like hospital medics, people that work there. There's a, uh, the air force has med techs, which is like the equivalent. Uh, and then we have combat medics, which is, and then what I was, was a special operations combat medic. So that's, Basically, I was a, a my scope of practice was a PA, so physician's assistant. Um, I had an umbrella license to where I could practice medicine, take patients, uh, give meds. I just had to report to a, another PA and then a, a, our battalion surgeon, like an actual uh, PhD, like a PhD doctor. And so that was kind of crazy because just getting thrown in the mix and being able to take patients. You're like, what the fuck? Like a year and a half ago, I was fucking taking bong rips on a tour bus. <laughs> and and now I'm like, next patient, come in. You know what I mean? Like fucking just kind of weird. How long was the training for that? Uh, that's it's one of the longest training in the, in the military. Um, it's for just the regular, it's called, uh, what the fuck is it called? Uh, healthcare specialist, they church it up, but for healthcare specialist, AIT, um, that's eight months, about eight months long. And then, uh, whiskey one training is another about six months after that. Jeez. And so that's like your special ops combat training, special ops combat medic training to where it's the first half of. It's what all like ranger medics and special ops medics have to do. It's the first half of the uh, 18 Delta, which is special forces medics. Mm-hmm. So that's half of what they have to do, which is crazy because it just says what the fuck special forces medics have to go through. Because I can't imagine doing another half of what I had already done. And so I and I'd done uh, worked alongside with a lot of the uh, special forces medics, and they were doing their. Uh, uh, doing their what's it called hospital time taking patients and stuff during training and it was just insane how how much smarter i'd say they were up there with a doctor who had gone to four years of med school three years of um residency i mean their scope of practice is insane so like we were just underneath that and that was like our our whole thing we'd always hang on to it's the first half of 18 delta (laughs) fucking but that's uh, the attrition rate, I think, is 90 percent, 85 to 90% attrition rate. They literally try to fill you out to fill out all these other positions. Um, I remember the other position was like um, medical supply. She'd fucking be counting fucking medical supply shit, being a, a supply person. I don't know. That sounds crazy. It's bullshit. Not what I want to, you know, sign yeah. up for. So, like, 
Yeah, it doesn't that doesn't sound interesting. And they dangle your uh, bonus. So when you sign up, at the time they had gigantic bonuses compared to what everybody else like. I told people what my bonus was, and they were like, "What the fuck?" And so they they dangle that bonus over your fucking head. Uh, they think once you hear all these like on the private news network, you hear you'll get it after basic or you'll get it after AIT. And then you'll get it when you get to your duty station. And then when you get to your duty station, you find out you only get it in, in uh, quarter installments. What? So you think you're going to get a lump sum once you get done. Then they're like, no, no, no. If you have a four year contract, we're going to pay you a quarter of it every four years. Mm. So they don't have some brand new private fucking buying a fucking F two fifty with cash, so now they have a private buying an F two fifty on credit for twenty eight percent APR. <laughs> so they did that, but that was the most fucking bullshit. I remember just being like, "I can't fail," because I'll fucking have to do some bullshit ass thing. They had another uh, job they were going to send people to do be a Patriot missile uh, shooting uh, technician, and then it turned out. That they were sending people to do that, but then they had terminated that actual job in the military. So you would have had to gotten reclassed to that, and then they would have phased that out to where they've been like, you have to reclass again. Wow. So you have to learn all something new again? Like, Yeah, they'd basically have you just hold. They had what they called a holdover, where you just have to sit there, do fucking lawn work, uh, clean up, do stay busy, uh, employed from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So... So that was kind of weird. Did you ever get, uh, did you ever see any action? Oh yeah. 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 We haven't gotten to the, we're just still in the training. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw action when I was three weeks in basic. So no shit. There we were every fucking, every good war story starts out like that. So no shit. There we were, uh, we were at a field, a uh, range shooting at basic training and, uh, the class that was a cycle when one week ahead of us, they called them cycles, but it was one week ahead of us. And uh, it's funny because they acted like they'd be like, say, if you're a freshman, they'd act like they're the sophomores in fucking high school, you know, and mm-hmm. like tell you shit in the bathroom, and be like, <laughs> give you information. Be like, Next week, you're going to have this. Yeah. Huh. Here's my te- here's my book with all the answers in it. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so so this other group ahead of us were shooting with they were shooting machine guns. They were doing uh, 50 cal machine guns. And all of a sudden you hear machine guns firing and then you hear like cease fire on the range, cease fire on the range. And then you hear fucking like people yelling, like call an ambulance, call an ambulance. And you're like, what the fuck? And then once you start seeing your drill sergeants acting concerned, cause these guys fucking building it be on fire and they'd be like, do push ups. <laughs> fucking these guys automatically are like, what the fuck's going on over here? And then get on the radios. And next thing you know, they tell us to fucking put our shit down, clear us off the range and turned out this kid got shot. They were doing blank fire at a 50 cal range. So shooting blanks and fucking shot a kid with a live round right in the middle of his plate. Fucking shot him in half. Fucking wow. uh, and killed him instantly. And so one of the other kids that I was in in my company or my platoon, he was at the sick call area when they brought him in. And they said that he, I remember just, he had, that's the first time he had seen some fucked up shit. And he yeah. was like, he was like, he was, he was shot in half, bro. That's just all I remember him saying. I was just like, what the fuck? So that night they brought us in, 
they uh, gave us, brought us to the phones. This back, they just had the pay phones, wall of pay phones, and you'd have to do that. Call home. They gave us a, a postcard that basically had like, hi, this is uh, your son, blah, blah. Uh, there was an incident at Fort Sill. I'm okay. I got to go. Bye. You know, I love you. Bye. Yeah. And they let all of us lined us all fucking up because they wanted to get us to tell our parents before CNN and the MA, yeah. all whole news. It was on national news. So they wanted us, nobody's parents to be like, Oh my fucking God. Yeah. And then get flooded with fucking all these phone calls. So yeah, I was three weeks in and heard, watched. And so that turned, we had to go through, it's kind of funny, this big old round. <laughs> I was in the land of artillery. So every storage shed had to get, uh, anything that had ammunition, munitions, anything that exploded, goes pop, boom, whatever, had to get taken out and uh, inspected, uh, gone through and uh, put on a list or whatever. And so brand new private, they had us all, after we see this kid get blown up, get shot, we were worrying about fucking artillery shells falling over. And they'd all be like, hey, if they fall over, they might fucking fire, blow, boom. And you're like, Fucking all those dipshits fucking pulling out. Once again, you know, it's like months ago I was just doing bong reps and fucking keg stands. And then you're like holding artillery shells that you know absolutely nothing about that could fucking kill you. So this kid was probably like, what, 18 to 20 18, something? 20. Yeah, something like that. Wow. And it was crazy because at the time, uh, age group for people that got in the army, they did what they called they opened up the floodgates in 2007 after Fallujah happened. Mm-hmm. They let they needed more people, so they you could be 42 years old and join the army. Damn, there were 42 year old privates. I had like a 41 year old private. And it was one guy was older than our drill sergeants, like by a good bit. Yeah, because remember I told you Courtney joined, and I think Courtney was like 32, 33 at the yeah. time or something like that. Because I remember I didn't know about Fallujah. They even extended it, even making it bigger. But I remember after 9 11. You know, everybody was trying to join, so they didn't need. So they made it even stricter. I heard. Yeah. Like you know, if you weren't like, because they were getting so many people applying for all the branches. You know, like they were like, man, this is the best. You know, it's never been this great. You know, and you know the people like, or the recruitment numbers are like, oh, this is great. You know, it sucks what happened, but they're seeing it at a different view. You know, we're getting all these new people to join and stuff. But I'm like, man, all those people just die. That's why people are signing up. They're not signing up for just fucking. Uh, Boast your numbers. They signing up to make a difference, you know, help and shit. So when that kid uh, got killed, how did what happened exactly? Do you know? Evidently, it's the same. They said it was supposed to be a blank. And the crazy thing is, fifty cal round. Literally, it looks like a fucking marker. Like the actual bullet projectile out of it looks like a marker. Like so, and it being a blank round, there's all the stuff involved with like a blank round. Uh, you have to put a blank, like a fire suppressor on the end of it to mm-hmm. make it shoot, to have the uh, percussion, like have the pressure behind the barrel. And so it had to have shot out of that. It had to shoot. Somebody had to have missed it. It had to have been on a link, like a whole bunch of, somebody fucking, a bunch of people got fired. That's what I, you know. So was a kid in the wrong place at the wrong time, obviously? Was he standing in front of in a target? In front of it. And once again, what's one of those brand new private, shouldn't orient you know be in front of an orientated weapon you should treat every weapon as it's it's hot yeah and somehow it went off when they were moving it and it had it wow it wasn't cleared properly so is that kind of like what happened with the alec baldwin situation no clue i don't want to speak on that that's another that's another issue i mean 
clearing a handgun and clearing a machine gun, probably I'd say a little bit different have things to learn. Yeah. Like, uh, Anybody that gets a hand in a handgun, you'd know to clear it, whatever. But I'd guess a brand new private had would have no clue what to do. Mm-hmm. But again, that's where the uh, uh, fault lies on to the drill sergeants and people that were supervising this kid because you can't you can't expect any. I, I fucking had no clue what the fuck they were talking about. You know what I mean? Like uh, headspace and timing on a fifty cal. You're like, oh okay. You know, you fucking tune a fifty cal like a car. You know what I mean? There's actual like way you have to adjust it and everything so it's all fucking a different language at that point yeah so there's no real way of knowing it being any any of his problem you know but yeah that's wild to see have go on to where i remember just seeing 50 cows after that and you're like fucking watch out for that thing man yeah (laughs) so would you say that being in the military changed your mentality or made you grow up a lot faster than you probably normally would have Oh fuck! I was so fucking sophomoric and young. I young at heart, I guess. I've always been, and it kind of made. I don't know. Some of the military made me fucking have less responsibility. Uh huh. Because like I didn't have to pay for rent. I didn't have to do anything. I was I was twenty four when I joined. So like literally, I was I was like Van Wilder of the barracks. So like I didn't fucking. I don't think. I didn't know how much fucking you were talking about things expensive. I didn't know how expensive, say, like toilet paper was. Yeah. Because I was fucking, I had everything provided. You mm-hmm. know, toilet paper, paper towels, three meals a day. If I wanted to eat out, I could. But if I didn't, I could eat fucking any meal I wanted at any time. And so, like, it makes you a little bit irresponsible mm-hmm. as far as adulting. But my thing is, I was already gone six years of, like, you know, being an adult, paying rent, doing what I had to do. But some of the kids that joined when they're 18, they fucking went literally from their mom's house to the army and then they get out and they don't fucking know how to wipe their own ass yeah, and do all that. So then they have a little bit of a problem like with justing and stuff I could see. And the whole day, uh, also dangle the barracks in the, in the army, they, and the Marines, they do this. The air force is pretty smart and they let, uh, people get an apartment after, a year or two of being in Mm -hmm. if you're a junior enlisted like e5 and below but uh the army they don't care i was literally i'd been in eight years and was still living in the barracks Mm. and so the motivation to get married is there and so lots of people have that's where there's a high turnover high divorce rate and stuff in the military people just get fucking married to get the fuck out of the barracks and then they'll pay you bah so they'll pay your rent if you're married but if you're not, you just got to live in the fucking barracks and have, you know, your life under, you know, you can get your room fucking inspected. You have to check in a chick to bring them into the barracks. They'd have fucking, oh, it's great. To even get in the barracks, like, um, you'd have to check them in with a CQ. Like, the they'd have people at the front desk, like, just sitting there, which is basically just your friend that's just picked that day <laughs> to sit there. And then you'd have to drop off the ID and they'd put these IDs just on the desk. So when we'd come back from like drinking or whatever, we'd be like, where's this chick out? And you see, you'd have their fucking ID, like just sitting right there. You could be like, all right, what chicks are in the house today? And you just go through their fucking IDs and be like, they're in room 37. And then you take the room and fucking swipe the thing and check in and be like, what's going on in here? Wow. So like, yeah, you wanted privacy and or hierarchy, which I opted for the hierarchy and went with the uh, Van Wilder stick for fucking forever. I mean, 
we used to throw just bangers. I mean, we treated our barracks like like a fraternity house. You know what I mean? We. So, what does the barrack look like? Like, if can you describe like you walk in and all that good stuff? Like, how many rooms or whatever? Our <clears throat> barracks are like fucking shitty college dorms. Uh, it reminded me of like the all guys dorm at University of Tennessee Knoxville, uh, to where we had a community bath. The ones that had a community bath, there'd be just halls of rooms with nothing, just room and a bunk bed mm. and some like a dresser and, a, uh, and like a kind of like a locker, but a wardrobe thing to hang up your stuff. And that's it. And then like community bathroom. And so that was our infantry barracks. A lot of people lived in nicer barracks to where it was like uh, two rooms and then a, a tiny, tiny kitchenette and a bathroom. Mm-hmm. And that was shared, but we had the whole like old school college dorm vibe and, and I was stationed in Alaska, so it was even cooler. Oh, oh shit, really? I was in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, my first unit. And so, and that was the long, longest that I was in. And so that was wild because, I mean, it was just negative. I mean, below freezing all the time. And then other times, like say during the summer, you'd be out drinking. It'd be one in the morning and you'd have sunglasses on. You'd be fucking <laughs> bright as shit. You'd be like, what the fuck? Or like on a school night, on a school night, on like a work day, work yeah. night. You'd be outside at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, and you'd think it'd be like 8. Mm-hmm. And you're like, holy shit, man, I gotta go to bed. I gotta wake up or yeah. fuck. Like, wow, that's gotta fuck with your sleep, the, man. Yeah, the sleep timing. Like, I remember my first morning, I went from Fort Benning, Georgia to Alaska overnight. And so, Fort Benning, Georgia, you know, sun comes up at a normal fucking time. And if you're in the military, if you're, you wake up before light. But in Anchorage, Alaska, the sun comes up in the summertime about 4.30. And so I woke up that first morning. I thought my alarm failed. I thought I was dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they were going to fuck me up. Excuse me. I thought I was going to get messed up, do push-ups all day because I'd slept in past sun. I mean, the sun was just beaming in. And I fucking evidently, I got dressed and everything went outside. Nobody was out in the hallway you know, it's that same getting up for school on a Saturday. Yeah. No. I had that ex- that same feeling. I was like, what the fuck? And then I looked and it was only five in the morning and I had another out like 30, 40 minutes before I had to be anywhere. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, that you could be outside. Uh, smoke. I remember we'd be out smoking cigarettes outside and uh, like first or second day, some MP ran by me and was like, did you see that bear that went by? Where, which way did that bear go? And I was like, what bear? <laughs> and he was like, the bear just ran right by you. You didn't. And I was like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, you'd have to be on your toes, like, constantly. The big thing is, is uh, moose in Alaska. I remember the first day uh, at orientation, they show this video of this dude leaving a grocery store, and there's a moose just fucking standing in the middle of where he'd walk out of Kroger. And fucking the moose was playing like, you go to the left, I'll go to the left. You go to the right, I go to the right. And fucking the guy walked past it, and the moose just kicked the dude and started tap dancing on the motherfucker. Fuck. Jesus. I heard it. The, they're tall as fuck. Yeah, too, they're man. like huge, man. Huge. I mean, they're it's gigantic to where another thing is people die. If you hit them with your car, and you're in, like, say, if you're in a fucking Toyota Corolla, you're going to fucking die, dude. Yeah, you think about, like, what kind of car. damage a fucking deer can do just yeah. as a moose. Yeah, and there's there's actually a, a waiting list. Say, if you're in Alaska, you can be put on the uh, Department of Transportation waiting list for roadkill moose. Like, oh, so, have, like- so if you fuck up a moose, if I hit a moose with, like, in my vehicle, 
fucking, you know, I killed it. You know, confirmed kill. <laughs> it's not mine. It's legally not mine. They'll have some fucking highway patrol guy be like, that's tagged for Mark. We're going to send that to him. He's been waiting a while. <laughs> what do <laughs> they do with it? They, uh, I mean, moose, they'll, oh, a lot they'll of cook meat. a meat, a lot of meat. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's, Fuck. that's how they, that's how they divvy it out. So there's. There's no reward to swerve and hit one. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to keep it. I mean, just think about like that thing out there is a faux version of a, a moose head. Just think yeah. how big that fucking thing is out there. And they can't like say they can't salt the roads there because imagine if they fucking salted the roads. That'd be the biggest fucking salt lake in the world. They'd be oh, like, oh yeah. man, that highway's delicious. Damn. <laughs> fucking, I keep getting killed every time. How long were you in Alaska for? Four years. Oh shit. And so what's so- it to do out there? Party, you do get S- bangers. No. Oh. Get SCTs. <laughs> There's a high, uh, yeah. Drink. Alaska is a fucking drinking town, dude. Is it really? I mean, they'll. There's a thing uh, in March. There's about to come up. It's called Fur Rondi, Fur Rendezvous, and it's a whole festival that leads up to uh, the uh, Iditarod. And so they fucking have a whole thing. It's called the Running of the Reindeer. At the end, it's the the weekend that they do the. Um, um, it's a, com- it's a way they do the beginning of the Iditarod, but it's like a false start, like a commemorative start to where they do a kind of a parade start through downtown and yeah. they literally take, uh, dump trucks full of fucking uh, snow. They bring in and throw it. Imagine if they just lined Buell street with fucking dump trucks full of snow one day. And then they put up a fucking whole herd of reindeer on one end. And then I have everybody's dressed up. And scantily clad, you wear as least amount of clothing as possible. Every one year, I wore a, I wore a dress. One year, <laughs> and uh, other people wear like their fur thongs, fur bikinis. Is big there. They, wow! So, so people would just be out there wearing like a speedo, and then they'll. It's like running the bulls, but Alaskan style. Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. I heard it's so, beautiful. My mom went there, and she said it was really nice. Wait, wait. wait. Where in Alaska were you uh, stationed? I mean, uh, Anchorage. It's, it's Anchorage. It's uh, right outside of Anchorage. It's considered Anchorage, but it's called Fort Richardson, Alaska. And it's next to also, uh, what is it? Uh, Elm- Elmendorf Air Force Base. Close. <laughs> uh, and so Elmendorf Air Force Base and uh, Fort Richardson joined teams and they called it J-Bear. So a joint base, Elmendorf Richardson. And so that's how we have the planes we jump out of and everything. So we jump out of all the Air Force planes out of there. And or my alarm clock every day was that was back. They had one of the two places they flew predators out of the F 22s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these fucking assholes every day would buzz. They'd fly and do sonic right by our barracks about probably about 40 minutes, 30 minutes before you'd have to wake up. <laughs> That's one alarm was right there. <laughs> Your first alarm clock would be a, a loud sonic boom that would go by. And then the next one would be like fucking uh, the little ice Zamboni that would go through the parking lot. To clear it, and you'd be like, "This motherfucker is waking me up!" <laughs> Fucking fifteen minutes before my alarm. <laughs> like the amount of shit that goes on before a given day in Alaska is insane because yeah. the upkeep, something that has to get done uh, during like the summertime, the whole highways, every highway gets redone, and they have weird the construction. They have construction chicks in Alaska. Really? Fucking like you get a crush on them. Like, <laughs> oh, that chick. She was holding that stop sign. She <laughs> fucking looked at me. She fucking, oh my God, those Carhartt coveralls. And you'd sit there and there'd be like Amazonian hot chicks 
fucking working these construction crews and not just holding the stop sign, like actually doing this. But that's like a summertime job that they have there is fixing the highways because everybody fucking stomps the yard with their ice uh, ice tires and stuff during mm-hmm. the winter. They put chains on, I guess. Mostly uh, studs. Oh, okay. Chains are chains are more like, holy shit, I don't have the right stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's like California. If you're coming down from Tahoe, you put chains. Yeah. But this is like 24-7 You'd have snow studs from October till I think it's April 1st or something. They make you take them off. Mm. I can't imagine living. It's so cold that long and the fucking sun at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. is up, you know? Yeah. And like you said, the long, it's, it's not a winter season. It's fucking from October, middle of October till like middle of April. It's frozen. If, if, there's not always say snow on the ground, but it's it doesn't break up till May. But you'll have little false breakups in April and whatnot, which just makes it miserable because it's just a you'll step in something that used to be flat and hard surface, and then it's like putting your foot in a fucking slushy machine. Mm. You're just like fucking shit, man. And then that'll fuck your old day. You can't can't walk around with a slushy socks. slushy boot, and so you'd have to make your way back and change. So yeah, the uh, playing army in Alaska sucked because it's just it's fun to do snow day stuff, but then like every fucking day is a snow you day. can't you can't miss work. There'd be other people say in a, the lower forty eight, they'd be like, "We got two inches of snow. We're not working today." It's us. It's like, us. Fuck <laughs> you. Get out. Why are you not? You know what I mean? Like it had to have been like insanely negative temperature and wind. There have to be like a wind problem like mm. 50 gale force winds and then they'll be like eh, well, all right you can stay in but then they'll still have you doing something it's it's also kind of like being like say in antarctica you can do everything set up to do stuff inside too mm. so you'd be like fuck i'm just in this building stuck and fucking you can go outside and or you can hang out inside so it's like like a i don't know it's weird because like you said you you'd go outside and you'd hear people we'd be in training being like supposed to be acting like stealthily and being quiet and you just hear somebody go fuck <laughs> fuck it's cold <laughs> <laughs> it just literally it'd be that cold frigid sometimes where you just i'd i heard i want to go back to california so many times yeah from other people you know people i just want to go back to cali fuck <laughs> what's dating like up there hard girls up there one they know the situation uh you know, Cosmo put out the thing like there, Alaska, there's more ratio, more men to women ratio. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you know, for every one girl, there's like 20 swinging dicks. Mm. And so they get picked. I mean, they, they do not really like military guys unless they're an officer. They could smell an enlisted guy that's poor <laughs> a mile away. Ah, you're poor. Get away. Like, you get away. Get your lieutenant over here again. He's he's a chump and he makes three times as you do. Wow. You know, and so <laughs> they knew the game. They were smart to the game. And we were also competing with the oil pipeline workers. Okay. So the guys that would come down, they'd work two weeks on, two weeks off. So they'd come down to the city, come down to Anchorage and uh from they'd live all over the country or part of the world and they'd work there and then they'd come back with a paycheck. And I remember some of the girls that I'd hang out with at uh um uh, strip clubs. They'd come up to me and be like, 
sorry, Carl, if I'm ignoring you or whatever, all the guys from the pipeline are over here. And I'm like, go make your fucking money. I'll see you on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Fuck. Take, take, their, take their shit. You Carl's know? like, all right, guys, time for us to go. The rich do the year. You know. Wow. Uh, we... I'd I heard those guy. guys make fucking bank. bank. Like all those old people, like the what they, roughnecks or something like they call them yeah. or something like that. Dude, I've, I've heard they make, it's hard work, but they make super good money, man. And like you said, they work 12-hour shifts, uh, hot cots. So like if you guys work together, you'd be at the eight, one shift and you'd work the second shift and mm. you'd live in the same uh, apartment, little shack, little cabin thing. Yeah. But that whole time you're not fucking, you're getting food provided. Uh, mostly unless you want to get outside food, your place is provided. So they come back with all that money in their pocket. Wow. Someone would even have like a, a place like I knew one guy that lived in Arizona and he'd sometimes stay in Anchorage and then sometimes fly back on his two weeks off. So it's insane. The amount of money some of these guys made because of the fact that they're, it's just all paid for all, all inclusive type thing. And there's once you're out on the, on the pipeline or whatever they call it out in the field, there's nothing. It's just whatever Conoco and Phillips built is out there. That's it. Mm. Wow. So how long were you out there? Four years, you said? Four, yeah. So did you get to the, choose to go there? Or that's where they just sent you? You know, I think that the military, they uh, they give you a wish list thing, I think in basic. it's They give you three top three choices and you could put like countries you can put you know actual bases or whatever and i literally think they take that and they do the fucking opposite mm. <laughs> like oh this kid wants hawaii he wants to go to italy too well let's fuck with him yeah yeah sorry man italy's full and where did he grow up oh he grew up in memphis he's not used to the cold <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Then they'll take some guy that's from fucking the Great Lakes and shit, and they'll send him to Fort Irwin, California, to the uh, desert. And you're like, what the fuck, yeah. dude? You know, so, yeah, they, they take whatever. I remember one guy, he thought he it said AK, and he was like, fucking Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> what, were, what was on your list, your wish list? I had Vicenza, Italy, which is the other airborne. See, in, when you go airborne, you can only go three different units at the time. Uh, the, so you go to... Alaska, which was a brand new airborne unit they had just activated that was a bigger brigade. It was just a battalion. And then you could go to Fort Benning. I mean, Fort Bragg, my bad. Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina. You can go back at Bragg. And then you can go to uh, Vicenza, Italy, to uh, 173rd, to the Sky Soldiers. That's the other brigade, airborne brigade. And they have some of 173rd now is in uh, Germany. But... I, I wanted uh, Vicenza's right by Milan. It's like forty five minutes from Milan. Fucking right there. I yeah. mean, it's uh, military based. Where, I mean, that would be that was my choice. And I've never been there. I've had buddies go there and get stationed, but Anchorage was actually a really crazy place because of its, um, well, it's being so far. Uh, what is it called? Like being so remote. It made it to where everybody, if you get stuck in Alaska, it's like, you're in a fucking club. Mm. Like, ah, uh, you got stuck there too. And there's a lot of people that go back after they've retired. So like now I know a shit ton of people that all live around Alaska to where if, you know, the, the apocalypse, post-apocalyptic America, I'd probably, I'd be pretty cool out there to where, cause, cause that's, I don't know, a lot of people bitched about it, but they all loved it because of how. Alaska is. It's yeah. so remote, so fucking. So this 
I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. So this makes sense now. When you remember like movies, when we watch movies and stuff like that, people are like, oh, you're going to be working in Alaska come tomorrow. Now we know what they're talking about. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's Fairbanks. So there's Anchorage and Fort Richardson. That's like, that's a pretty good, really good place. They call it Ranger North. So it's like the Arctic paratroopers. And pretty much uh, all the guys from Ranger Battalion, if you're doing your uh, E7 time, doing like uh, if you're an officer doing your time to where it's hard to get a slot in mm. the active Ranger units, they'll send you out there to where it's basically half and half to where half the guys were in Ranger Bat and the other half tried out for it and whatnot. So, uh, did you become a Ranger? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that... That's, I was a RI for a while, like a medic on the lanes for a while before I went. It's crazy. The whole like um, pipeline for it is insane because they, they make you do the ranger train ranger school, but then they also have, like I said, the whiskey one uh, training and stuff. Also, now is the ranger the top of the army? No. Or, well, or like or whatever it's called. There's there's ranger bat. Uh, then there's special forces. And special forces do, does their own mission. Um, they have a different mission than Ranger Battalion. Uh, special forces does more. Um, the way I'd word it is, they they train for more stuff to help out other units in other countries do clandestine uh, operations themselves. So they're more of a help helping out other people, other people's army forces, which. In all retrospect, that's more of a on paper thing because they do whatever the fuck they want. But then from special forces, there's the big boy group, which is a CAG, which is combat action group, and also known as Delta Force, which you know Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris, fucking. So Delta Force is the big boy group of the army. Mm. That's uh, CAG, as they call it. Nobody calls it Delta Force. It's almost funny. Like, if you call it Delta Force, it's like... I'm in Delta Force. <laughs> Delta Force. And another thing, uh, nobody in Delta Force will ever say that they're in it. They're, they'll say that they were in group, they did whatever, but uh, when guys that are from my unit, they've tried out for it, they've gotten picked uh, as a candidate, and they'll just kind of tell you that they're doing it and then they'll go away for their selection training and they'll either come back or they'll get moved to a different unit somewhere else. And then you'll know that they failed or you wake up one day and you click on their Facebook and it's Facebook's erased. Uh-huh. And so then that's when, you know, they made it. You're like, yeah, yeah, dude got picked it. up. <laughs> I know hey, that Jimmy congrats. <laughs> and uh, they'll drop off the face of the fucking earth. Wow. Like uh, they'll people, I mean, uh, say, on pay on digitally. Yeah. Like you can't, you won't be able to find them anymore. Their, their Facebook be gone. Their LinkedIn be gone. I say nobody fucking in the military has that. But, uh, it's like literally that's how we, they'd even, one of my buddies said that they, they sent guys to his gym to sit there and work out next to him and then ask him stuff to see if he'd talk about what he does for a living. Oh, really? What he's into, what he's doing. Oh shit! So it's like a secret group. Like, oh, it's you're in fucking it. Like, crazy. You would fail, Raul. Raul would be running. Oh, I, I'd be like Delta Force. What's up? <laughs> what's up? They're talking to me, dog. I'd, I'd be like some function. Uh, excuse me. So excuse me. I'm in Delta Force. Where's my drink at? Excuse me. Excuse me. So that's the whole weird thing. Like, uh, yeah. 
they'd they'd in retrospect they'd be like, I never realized that this person was a person Delta Force and this other person that approached me was a person from Delta Force. Yeah. And it's kinda like once you they've it's like that Dorothy fucking dream from and you were in it and you were in it. All these like all these people set you up to where I'm and I knew about it and I'd I'd still be at the bars drunk and be like, hey, I jump out of airplanes for a living. It's really cool. I have a secret clearance. It's like <laughs> that's just so they're they're the big dogs. Oh, that's the big dogs. And that's that's who um they're the ones that during um during Gaddafi, they're the ones that were on the ground, uh kind of directing the villagers with pitchforks if you will they said we had units on the ground we were a qrf uh quick reaction force for that whole takeover so they had birds they had other paratroopers in the sky circling over libya ready to jump Mm. and um but they had delta force and cag i mean cag guys fucking going around basically supposedly dressed as libyans local nationals yeah and directing traffic uh, because it's it's you know they don't they're not they're not having a presence there yeah we have a presence there but they're you know couldn't have uh you know somebody to blame it on <laughs> wow and so once that we were all like kind of into we were ready for it we we're like i want to get my combat it's called a, a combat jump you get it. it's called a mustard stain and it's this uh yellow it's a yellow ass star that they put on your airborne wings and so you get a different pair that has a, they call it a mustard stand. So there'd only been the three couple from uh, World War II, like Mark, uh, Normandy, Market Garden, uh, uh, Italy, and then I think there's one in uh, Vietnam, but then there's just been two or three in Iraq and Afghanistan during the whole uh, Operation During Freedom, Iraqi Freedom. And a couple of those were show of force, like they uh, jumped 82nd or 173rd jumped into uh, a secured airfield that was already secured. But they just did it to kind of scare the shit out of people. Be like, holy fuck, they still jump out of the planes. Wow. And so nobody's done it. Uh, I've met a couple of the doctors from uh, Ranger Bat that I worked with in the ER that had Ranger stains from Grenada. I mean, mustard stains from Grenada. They were like, yeah, jumped into Grenada. Pretty cool. So what was it like the first time jumping out of a plane? Scary as fuck. Because I signed up in August, end of August. It was like August 30th of 2007. I didn't jump out of my first airplane until, uh, was it June of 08? So I went almost, I went like almost a year. Yeah. Without knowing that I had to jump out of a plane. It's, we used to always say, you know, I, I'm not telling you how to suck the goat's dick. I'm just telling you that you got to suck the goat's dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so you just hear about it this whole time. And all you hear about for nine months is how you can fucking die or, or maim yourself or paralyze yourself mm-hmm. jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. Every drill sergeant, every instructor but that usually was an airplane, they'd be like, I did put him in airborne and, uh, yeah, they broke their leg on the first time. And you're like, fuck, dude. Yeah. So you, 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 your fucking body, your mental thing is built up this anxiety about it. And the whole first week of airborne school is, again, how many ways you can die jumping out of an airplane. That's fucking – they just show you. And, and at one point, they use these uh, – they have a 250-foot tower 
at Airborne School that they used for the uh, 19... 1920-something, 30s uh, World Fair mm-hmm. in New York, and they bought these towers, and imagine it's two. it looks like a 250-foot uh, power line, and it's just got these huge metal arms that go out, and they pick up a parachute, and then they'll drop you, and you can learn how to steer. And so they take a 210-pound dummy, like a Rescue Randy, and they show you all the malfunctions of a parachute. So they show what they call it. Part uh, full malfunction, which is a cigarette roll, to where it looks like a big joint with like a string wrapped around it. Your parachute mm-hmm. just goes, and it has minimal to zero drag. It just mm-hmm. and so they drop this dude, and he drops just like a sack of fucking potatoes, and it's just like uh like the dirt out there. It's like a baseball field kind oh. of dirt. So you just see this dude drop in like one second, go two hundred fifty feet. They're like tomorrow you're jumping from a thousand. And you're like thousand feet. So most people, when you jump out of, say, you go to skydiving, you want to take your girlfriend and fucking impress her. Yeah, that's four, thirteen to fifteen thousand feet. Thousand. I'm doing it from the first time. It was I think eleven hundred to twelve hundred feet. Yeah. So they range the airplanes from about a thousand to twelve hundred uh, AGL um, from the from the birds, so they can stack a couple of layers. So they have one guy at like eleven hundred, another guy at eleven fifty, and another bird at to uh, 1200 feet so that's they tell you, you got four seconds and four seconds if your main chute doesn't open you have to open up your, your reserve in that four seconds if you don't act you have probably about two other seconds to where your chute will have enough time to activate yeah the minimum the, the like if you if you don't feel your chute start opening you just literally and then there's the whole thing of uh if you if you pull your reserve like a, a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you have to wait, but you can't pull it. Cause if you, if you have a, an office pop, if you will, you know, it'd be like, this never happens. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fucking pull it prematurely. You don't want, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, you fucking pussy. What are you scared of? Huh? You can't wait till five. You know, and it's like, damn fuck. Man. And they also have, if you feel like you have a malfunction, you can, you can uh, say you can refuse to jump, but if you refuse to jump and you sit down, they make you sit down on your hands, like sit on your hands, like literally, like yeah. you're a fucking middle schooler that fucking you know, and you cannot touch your equipment. And when they bring you back, they bring a, a parachute rigger with an R, a parachute rigger, and they bring him on, and that's the guy who packs the shoots, inspects the shoots, and everything. If he can't find a, a malfunction, you get uh, UCMJ, like military action, like judicial action. You can get fucking in trouble wow. up to like you could go to the brig, you know, you can basically get fined. Damn. At minimum, it's really you can get fined money. If you pussy out and you, you think there's a malfunction, but there isn't one. Yeah. We had one guy that did that and I kind of felt sorry for him because he had had a lot of problems with Afghanistan and we had just gotten home. And so it's PTSD problems, but guy totally flaked out on a jump and yeah. did that. And everybody, he was a standout dude, pretty good, good soldier. Everybody's like, fuck this guy. Damn. And so it's like, fuck, dude. It's that whole, like, you, it's better to jump and break your ankle or something than, than it is to say, or die, you know, to be <laughs> like, I don't want to do it. Or in, ba- in airborne school, if you refused, they just kicked you out. That's some legit peer pressure, man. 
So I saw a couple of uh, JR ROTC kids that yeah. are like, you know, West Pointers and whatnot. Cause I went through during the summer. So they all get to go during the summertime, which is fucking great. Cause there's somebody else to pick on other than a brand new private. <laughs> it's like, fuck with the new Lieutenant from West Point. Yeah. And so this kid uh, stopped at the door and kind of put his hands up at the, and, and the drill, uh, the black hat literally grabbed the top of the airplane and lifted up with both legs and kicked him out. Oh, and you hear and So if you don't, if you don't jump out all the way, there's also a jet prop stream and a jet stream, depending on if it's a prop or a jet and it shoots you back. So you have to jump in me. I'm fucking six foot four and my ass clears it every time, but I still make the biggest jump. People are like, Holy fuck. I saw you just leap out. And I'm like, if you don't make a strong exit, You'll get sucked onto the side of the aircraft. This is not getting any better. <laughs> I mean, how are you selling me to jump out of a plane? Like, I'm not doing that ever. And so you you hear this, you hear this kid go, ah, and then doo, 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 doo. Oh, on the skin of the aircraft. He's like, doo, 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 doo. and then it the shoots. Fuck. So I've heard that about a handful of times. Little, it's always the shorter guy or somebody that just. Or Shorty if you be trip. fucked. Oh, no, dude. dude. Shorty kids. <laughs> fuck, man. No, the drill says he's going to throw him out. <laughs> no, <laughs> Let's go he, pick him up. He'd be too small. There's also been, uh, say, there's been a, a female at Fort Bragg fucking died being, it's called being a towed parachutist, where you get towed behind your your static line, your parachute opens up by this long, like, 30-foot yellow strap like the ripcord or something ripcord like, yeah. but it's like not what you pull it's already on your back oh okay when you're jumping okay it's already that's what you uh you hook up that's the thing they say to hook up your got thing. you and it's on this big uh line this big metal cord that goes through the whole front to the back of the airplane so it pulls your whole thing so it's on a timing like big straps that are on your back of your pack tray of your parachute and so if that has to have enough jolt to open up your whole bag of your parachute, opened up everything. So there's been like 9,500 pound chicks and or little Audie Murphy dudes uh, that have not had enough jolt to open up their parachute. And then you just imagine a, an airplane flying with a string with a human attached to it, just flailing in the fucking wind. And so they'd always say in training, and we kind of didn't realize it until the dark humor hits in and you're like, wait a minute. They'd be like, if you become a towed parachutist and we cannot uh, pull you back in, we'll make every attempt to pull you back into the aircraft. And they tell you, you can't grab at the, at the black hats, at the uh, uh, jump masters. You can't grab them, but they can pull you back in with yeah. the string. But if they can't, they can also cut you loose. So they'll cut the string, the, the cord that's holding on to your main parachute, and you'll have to be, you'll just get cut free and you'll have to reserve, you'll pull your reserve and rely on your reserve parachute. And that one's quite a bit smaller than your main one. And it's attached to your hips, not your shoulders. So you're falling like this and landing on your back with a really low, uh, higher rate of descent. Or they'd be like, if we can't there, do wait, any... But wait, there's more. <laughs> if they go, if we can't do that, they'd go, if we have to land the bird... Now, mind you, you're getting dragged behind the aircraft flying like, you know, Mission Impossible style. They, they, they told us this in airborne school, and I never forget it. They go, if you can, if we can land the bird, we will. And when we landed, I want you to climb up onto the uh, windshield of the aircraft and sound off with a loud and thunderous airborne. You're like, 
motherfucker, I just got drug across the whole <laughs> fucking tarmac. <laughs> like, you're like, these guys are fucking sick. Like, they literally spend a whole week in just showing you how you're going to fucking die. So you get one week of training before you have to jump? Two, oh, so two weeks and the third week you jump. Oh, That's okay. right. That's three weeks. And the first two weeks is uh, all the training for it. What do they say? The uh, the first week they separate the the boys from the men. The separate the we- second week they separate the idiots from the guys, and then the third week the idiots jump. Mm. <laughs> wow! And so that's big. You know, your fifth jump is a night jump. So they <laughs> jump, drop you off in the middle of the night. Now, this is on the Alabama and Georgia, but on the Alabama border. Right next to the Chattahoochee, you know, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, never knew somebody, whatever, do me. We'd fucking sing that shit all the time. It pissed people off. But we'd uh, fly over right over that. So the first two weeks, again, they'd tell us all the other stuff that could kill you. And they had wild hogs, wild boars, fucking, you know, tusks and shit. So there's wild hogs everywhere on this drop zone. They'd be like, watch out for the night jump. And hogs would be out there. And, turned out all these fucking instructors would wait for your parachute to land and you'd land and then they'd get underneath your parachute and act like your parachute was stuck on a bush Mm -hmm. and it would be a black hat like a drill uh, an instructor and then they'd come at you like a pig they'd be like (laughs) (laughs) they scared so many kids luckily i saw them set up a kid next to me when i landed i watched it go down so i was like be cool and just sit there and you know they won't, <laughs> they won't fuck with me if you and then literally this kid fucking started yanking on this thing and he thought he got killed by a fucking six foot tall boar wow. jumping at him so that was hilarious to do that um what else how many times would you say you've jumped 35 35 wow military yeah 35 military jumps i've got about three uh, civilian jumps but that's totally different. I, is it easy to do you? So do you pack your own stuff or somebody else has? To no, do that? that's again, uh, the parachute riggers. That's their job. Uh, they pack all the shoots, uh, sign their name to it, you know, dated there to go graduate their training. They have to pack their own shoot and jump it. So, well, so you know, they're doing a good job. Yeah. But supposedly because their job's so monotonous, there is a high t- High rate of them failing drug tests. <laughs> From what? Okay, so we note to self: no one has ever joined the army as an air, airborne person. Jesus. So there, there are all these guys that like you know like. So Frank has a fucking cocaine problem on fucking you know, long weekends, <laughs> and he's packing my shoot. And another thing, they their job is so monotonous that because of people fucking up, say if you had to do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. You'll miss a step somewhere. Mm. You'll figure out a shortcut. Yeah. They have to do all of their job by the handbook. You'd have to get the fucking handbook out, and you and your buddy would sit there, and you'd have to turn the page and then do the next step. Yeah. If I had to do that fucking, I'm not, I'd, I'd want to kill myself. I'd fucking be so fucking bored of doing that. And then every time, like, people looking at you like, did you fuck my shit up? Or the I don't know. Their job just seemed to me like it's not anything that I'd want to do. What would you say the lifespan of a parachute is? God, I've seen some from we we jumped the T ten deltas up until they had a new uh, parachute that's kind of like a squared square, big square now, and 
we still j- jumped the T10 Deltas, which is like, you know, Vietnam style. It was the actual same ones from like Vietnam post a uh, big circle, big round canopy. Yeah. Uh, the rate of descent on those is about 15 to 20 feet per second. Um, so that's equivalent to jumping out of a second story window and without a parachute. <laughs> So that's jumping 15 feet. Yeah. If you jump 15 feet, it takes one second to land. So the equivalency of you, they call it a parachute landing fall, a PLF. It's not a landing. It's called a landing fall. You, you literally land, you go feet, knees, butt, shoulder, head. And <laughs> it's just supposed to be. Jesus so you have like points of contact where you literally get trained to fall to the side when you land. Uh, I've seen one dude it was, it was a heftier dude. He caught an air vent once like a high, a high pressure of hot, hot air going up. Mm-hmm. And he did literally a, a standing landing and like landed like a little ballerina. <laughs> and we were like, what the <laughs> fuck? Cause like, you know, it's like, a, I figured you'd land like a pile of shit. Yeah. He fucking <laughs> dude. He was like, that was amazing. And occasionally you'd, in Georgia, you'd get those a lot, um, uh, thermal vents You'd see um, one time this girl jumped and she was again, probably hundred pounds Yeah, and she had a thermal and she was going up. Wow. Everybody else was, and she was literally gaining <laughs> altitude and her parachute. We were like, what in the fuck is going on here? So like the weirdness and once you get kind of good at it, you can, you can also steer. They don't have like toggles like the, uh, like you see on a regular parachute, what they call like a Ram air parachute to where mm-hmm. you can have these little toggles and do things. You have four risers that are just four two and a half inch straps, nylon straps that you can either pull one or pull two front ones to go forward or two back ones to go back and then pull one to go left or one to go right. And then if you want to go really right, you got to pull fucking hand over fist like you're fucking climbing a rope in fucking middle school. So how are you learning to do this? Like what, what is the actual Can, training? The two weeks. They have two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> two weeks of I mean, the, you know. uh, it's so funny because they have all of these uh, uh, tutorials that are basically a script. They have like a whole script of every scenario and they'll have like, it's, it's funny because they have skits and different things they'll do. And with inflection of voices and different oh, brain, they, they brainwash with different inflection of my voice. And so they drive everything home uh, to where, like, again, they just show you all the different ways you can fuck it up yeah. to where when you do it, you're like, oh, that's fucking easy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It'd have to be like doomsday to fucking something really to go wrong. I mean, I've seen some fucked up shit happen, but yeah, out of how many jumps I've done and or been involved in, not very often. But I will say a couple of weeks. I think it was a week ago. I just saw the article. They finally posted uh, a giant mobile kitchen. They they do heavy drops in Alaska and different places. So where I was stationed at, they a mobile kitchen fell on a girl and fucking killed her. Jesus. So I was just fuck? telling somebody, we had a uh, a generator burn in one time. And I had to tell people, I was like, get the fuck off the drop zone. Because I was like, it's not just people. They're dropping, you know, they can drop a fucking a howitzer or artillery, like a cannon. They'll drop yeah. cannons. Sometimes they'll fuck up. Their parachutes, you know, not have big enough or something. So some girl got a fucking mobile kitchen dropped on her. I mean, imagine that, like, fucking thinking you're going to, you know. You're going to die Play it war. safe. There's not a war going on really right now. And then you're fucking a eight-ton kitchen. What the fuck? 
fucked, man. My buddy Courtney, yeah, you know, that's what he did, and he, he says f- like his knees and shit are fucked up. Do you have any issues from your back or anything? Because Courtney says his back is fucked up too, right? Oh, like, yeah. I know he says like his knees. Oh, or I thought it was something his like knee, back. My his neck back and my back. Be, yeah. Oh, dude, my knees literally sound. If I bent down and like did like a squat, I could probably pick it up with the microphone. I mean, it's audible. Like really? I can hear it. My friends have heard like me when I've like bent or down or done something. Like, what was that? You? Yeah. <laughs> I like thought it was like fucking radio from fucking uh, uh, police police academy. You know what I mean? They're fucking. <laughs> so but, how much stuff are you carrying on you too when you're jumping? Oh God, parachute is thirty five to forty pounds, I'd say. So that's your parachute. Uh, nobody really. We weren't allowed to do Hollywood jumps because we were in Alaska, so you'd always have to have uh, your uh, rucksack. So you'd have a rucksack hanging down from your waist. Uh, on these clips that go right, they'd hang down on your waist down to your knee. So imagine having a gigantic rucksack that's usually on your back. Yeah. You have it on your hip. So that's pulling down on your hips. How much does that weigh? That could weigh anywhere from 40 to 100 pounds. And what's all in that? Um, what we call the Michelin Man suit. We have these really cool suits that you never get to wear, but you have to carry with you everywhere in mm-hmm. case you're about to die. But if you wear them normally, you won't be warm enough. It, it won't warm you up enough so that you'd have this big marshmallow suit they call it you look like the michelin man mm. <laughs> and uh so we'd have that uh extra boots big thing is we'd jump in sometimes you'd have i'd have my aid bag on top of my ruck so i'd have my ruck and then i'd have an attachment that would my aid bag would hang below that and that would have fluid so that i have like probably five six liters of saline water in there uh, sometimes I'd get conned into bringing batteries like ASAP batteries, which is basically like a fucking two bricks put together, mm-hmm. uh, to have to stuff those. I've jumped in with a 110 pound ruck. Fuck. Uh, the other guys that are, have it worst is the 240 gunners, the machine gun, uh, assistant gunner, the AG, because they have the uh, tripod. So they'll have all the extra ammo from 40 cals, like a 40 cal machine gun. They'll have all the extra ammo. And uh, maybe a battery or two, but then they'll have the tripod. And a tripod is just a big metal fucking tripod to set up a machine gun on. And I couldn't quote the weight on it, but it's fucking heavy. It's heavier than the machine gun. What is the Hollywood thing you mean? Hollywood means you jump with just a parachute. Okay. So you don't have your rucksack, your aid bag, all your shit to where you do a carry-on mission. So that that just mean that you jump in and then... You'd land and there'd be a fucking school bus. They're waiting to take you back, and then you just get on the bus and drive back home. So if you're if you're if you're a towed parachute, what is it called again? Towed parachute. Towed parachutist, and you f- dangling on the side of the plane, which you have this thing dangling on your below you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have and, or, or the machine gun guy. The, he's got a machine gun tripod, fucking yeah. flailing in the air too. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have it wrapped up. Oh, uh, fuck, man. So wouldn't have, that fuck up the plane, though? Like, I mean, the human's not going to fuck up the plane, but, like, wouldn't the like the machine gun tripod thing fuck up the plane? No, nah, well, I mean, it's made for it. They have it wrapped up in, like, a, oh, okay. it's okay. got a kind of a case, but it's mm-hmm. basically, like, just a nylon, like a padded nylon case that they just wrap it around. It's basically put padding on the, keep the it from hitting the dude's knees. That's basically it. And then they have their 240 hanging down on a big case. Uh, so the actual 240 gunner will have his gun. And they have to carry this? And we'd like, all have our gun. Like, I'd have my M4 uh, in a case on my on my side. So you'd have your M4 on a big padded case on your left side, your parachute on your back, 
your rucksack and my aid bag hanging down from my waist. Uh, at one point, it's too heavy to walk forward with that much dangling down. So the uh, 240 gunners and me, we'd have to walk backwards onto the plane, onto the bird to get up the ramp because we couldn't lift up our legs forward. So you'd have to walk backwards because you had too much dangling in the front of you. And it just, and you'd be out on the ice fucking, uh, the tarmac would just be icy. So you'd, that'd be the only way to get traction. The fuck, man. And speaking of traction, that was another karma thing with a, somebody busted their ass on the ice. You did not, not chuckle. You didn't laugh. Cause I swear to you, <laughs> when you do that, you will fucking face plant. I've seen people be like, ah, and then pow, and you're like, I said they walk away. <laughs> it, it's literally like you can't. I've seen people. I've been walking and then just hit a hill to where like I was like, I'm doing a controlled slide and I can't do anything and I'm just moving with. Like I've sat, I've had to sit on my butt before because I've just been like, I don't want to make an ass myself, so I'm just going to slide on my butt and then get down and then go about my business once I stop sliding. Shit, man. It's like, yeah, you've seen all these. Imagine a whole bunch of alpha fucking males. All these dudes are just badass fucking. And and then you add icy, slippery situations in, and it's like, fuck, dude. Do you know who's not falling? <laughs> Delta Force. <laughs> They're not going to fall. I don't know. <laughs> One time I did see a, a guy from, uh, he used to be in Delta Force, but came back down, and he joined our unit. And he walked around all this with the scowl on his face, didn't really say anything to anybody. And I remember we got on a uh, bird to jump and he fell asleep, but he didn't buckle himself in. Mm-hmm. And the seats, imagine the seats are going uh, uh, on the side, like to where the back of the, your back is faced against the skin of the aircraft outside. So you're not sitting like a normal air, mm, airplane. Okay. You're not sitting forward, you're sitting sideways. And they did a, uh, combat takeoff to where they go straight up in the air and just hit the gas gun it and go straight up nose up and this dude was sitting there was full he was at the very end of the the line of the parachutes like toward the back of the bird and he the bird took off and everybody else already i buckle in and i literally hold the the one side of my seat so i don't lean because you're leaning so far and you have so much shit on you and everything and then other people you'd be like oh, i'd yeah. have you your shoulder into me my shoulder and so everybody's just gripping on to fucking make it sh- kind of keep even keel while it's take the birds taking off so this dude didn't do any of that and he passed out and he took off and i swear he fucking tumbled with all this shit and just rolled to the fucking end of the aircraft to where the like the the God damn, I did all this shit for a living. Can't remember the, the tail, tail of the aircraft where mm-hmm. it goes down, the ramp, the tail ramp. He's on there and it's like finally he gets his gets himself together. And again, the bird's still just taking off. It's going straight up in the air. And he's, he's like the G's are fucking pushing against him and he's trying to like crawl back to his seat. And we're all like trying not to. We're trying to watch, but trying not to ever let him see that we're laughing. Beat you we're like, <laughs> fucking look at him. He's fucking, he's, well, and no he's wonder like, he's back with y'all. He fucking sucks. <laughs> just watching him like trying to crawl back to a seat was just hilarious to watch like that. To see somebody oh, had bless, fucking man. done. He was one of those dudes when he got to our unit and the S shop. S shop is the guys that do all your paperwork and your clerk clerk's office mm. that do your records. They were like, this shit was blank. He was like, E O E R or A E R O E R like officer evaluation report. It's fucking blank. They were like, yeah, he, he 
everything he had done up until that point was on not mm. not anything recordable. So we had been in CAG for that long. Wow. And so I was like, I'm not fucking with this guy, but everybody would be like, dude, you see that motherfucker falling? <laughs> hey, huh? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, the patch won't save you from fucking looking like an asshole in front of us, huh? <laughs> Jesus. Well, were you ever deployed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did two back-to-back combat tours uh, in 2009 to 2010. So I uh, got there February of 2009 until March 2010. And so that was when we lost. That's the, uh, the Bergdahl. I went with the first, the Bible first Geronimo, right? Airborne Arctic airborne unit. Right before we deployed, we needed extra guys. And so we, uh, for what they called MTO to have a full battalion. And so they called up Fort Benning and sent, they were like, send us whatever guys. We don't care if they're airborne qualified, just that they're infantry. And we'll send them once they get back from deployment, we'll just send them to airborne school. And evidently we got a handful of kids and one of them was fucking Bo Bergdahl a kid that, you know, got captured by the Taliban. So Jeez. this kid goes to our unit. All I knew about him is right before we deployed, he's just, we called him a lurker. He'd just lurk. He'd hang out in the barracks. Like we all be playing call of duty and my friends play call of duty. I would, I'd be uh, with the microphone talking shit to kids and tell them I was going to bang their sister and shit. You know? Back. So we'd, we'd all just see this kid fucking lurking in the hallway, like standing in the doorway, leaning in, watching. And it's like, get in or get out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, come Stop and hang out. Weirdo. We're all cool. Yeah. You know, and so we, all we knew about this kid was, you know, he was just a, a new, new kid before we deployed and that he was a lurker. And then evidently, uh, my, one of my buddies was his combat medic in, in his platoon. And so I found out all this stuff after the fact. So all the stuff I'm saying isn't firsthand, but it's firsthand fact from somebody. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that that's said. But Bo evidently was, they called him special forces, which in a bunch of guys that were in Ranger Bat and Airborne units, special forces is kind of a joke because everybody's like, there used to be a whole Ranger promo that was like, what about special forces? And it's like, fuck special forces. <laughs> uh, so it's basically because they can grow beards and we can't. And so, so we called him SF because he'd sit there with like, a, he'd read the Ranger handbook and like be reading it like during normal time when you should have a Maxim magazine in your fucking hand and being a goddamn man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, fuck. And so we'd, we'd mess with him about that. So this kid turned out he was slowly sending off his uh, equipment, different stuff of his to his sister. Every time they'd go refit to a main uh, outpost, a main uh, fob, he'd start sending his stuff home little by little. And then, because uh, he evidently was upset with how our commander was doing war. He didn't think that we did a lot of stuff with draw, drawing fire. It's like, go out there and act like, you know, your trucks broke down or go out and do this. And they were like, he, he thought that was using us as bait. And I'm like, no, no, man, that's, that's, a, that's how the only way we can get shit done right now. Cause everything was, yeah. McChrystal had just gotten fired. So the hands, everybody's hands were tied. So we were just doing whatever. And so this kid had a, hard on for wanting to, I guess, tell on our command, mm-hmm. supposedly. I don't, and the best is he went up to one of the 
Staff Sergeant, um, his squad leader, and this guy, Staff Sergeant Duffy, he's basically like Lurch, monotone as fuck. And he said, I didn't know this kid was really what he meant, but he came up to me and he goes, if I leave, do I leave my web, my sensitive items behind? And he thought he meant like leave on R&R to go, you know, for break for two weeks to go fucking back to Idaho where he's from. And he was like, yeah, if you leave, leave your sensitive items behind. Yeah. So then that night he fucking left, left his rifle behind in his uh, hut with his platoon, but didn't tell them what he was doing and walked off the combat outpost with a, uh, a, a map and a compass, which again, compass was a sensitive item. But, uh, so we find out he's, uh, missing. They put out, it's called a dust one. Um, crap. It's D U S T W U N. It's whereabouts unknown. And I can't remember what the dust is, but it's basically an acronym for like, there's a missing soldier and we need to go find him. And so they spun up what's called the dust one mission. And at that time they start finding in a whole bunch of Intel about him and finding in uh, radios. They were tapping into the radios that the Taliban were using and finding out we were chasing after him, finding different places and trying to find him. But turned out they were spying on us too. So anytime we'd go someplace, they'd, we'd just miss them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so they finally got him back into Pakistan. And, and so we took that and started on what they called a, again, this is still pre McChrystal still in charge. You know, they, uh, that movie they did with, the. Uh, Crystal, he's the guy that talked to Maxim Magazine and had the reporter from. Is this the Brad Pitt? The Brad Pitt. Movie. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were still in charge then. So we still had open game with stuff, but people were trying to make sure, basically having our hands tied. We couldn't do certain things, couldn't do hard knocks, like go into people's houses uh, at night. Mm-hmm. We'd have to wait till sunrise. A whole bunch of bullshit that didn't make sense for actually waging war. So McChrystal took Bergdahl, and we went on what they called a, a champion sword and champion spear. And that was basically, we were looking, quote unquote, for Bergdahl, but only like one of the, one of the companies was actually going on his trail. Yeah. But we were using that because the war uh, rules of engagement change when you're looking for one of your own. Okay. So we turned that into a free-for-all, and you could do hot... You could chase into other countries, like chase into Pakistan, uh, as long as you had PID, positive identification. Uh, so if you have eyes on somebody after after the fact, say if they've gotten a firefight and you ran to the border, you could chase them into the fucking border uh-huh. and into Pakistan. Because that's the thing. We were on the Pakistani border, so all these motherfuckers would, uh, they'd hide or go into a mosque or go into a building. And then with that, once you lose positive identification, which means if he goes into a building and I can't see him anymore, he can come back out and I can't legally uh, engage him. Why? That's just how it's drawn up. It's the way they, they said it. It's now, positive idea. I've been following these same kind of rules, though. Fuck no. <laughs> so, I didn't, so it's like the rules of engagement are just followed by like, like civilized countries, I guess, or I don't know. Like, yeah, so, like, like NATO, anybody yeah. like that, but... There's not fucking Taliban fighting with a rule book. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, say, even like, say, medics aren't supposed to get shot at. But my card, I didn't have a NATO protection because I was special ops. I was a shooter medic. So my job was to shoot first. Not I, oh, I didn't okay. have that armband 
you know, and fucking, mm. I didn't have any of those protections anyways, but if I did have them, nobody would have given a fuck about it and, or they would have used that as a target. Yeah. Cause that's Did why you, they don't have, that's uh, that whole medic medics thing from DC on like uh, war movies. They don't, they don't do that anymore. That's literally a fucking target to shoot and hit somebody in uh, axillary, which axillary means like in an armpit. Yeah. So you shoot axillary and then, and or hit the chest cavity. Cause if you shoot straight, if you, you know, sitting at a side, side silhouette, you know, you're not giving a whole lot of uh, uh, body up mm-hmm. compared to say, if you're straight on, so you're sideways. So you just put a whole target. So if you shoot somebody's arm, it'll go through and hit their heart, oh. hit their chest cavity. So that's another thing. Oh, we even, um, we quit, we went sterile a lot. Uh, our uniforms, we do sterile uniforms and uh, people don't wear uh, colored. The big reason why they don't wear it, they wear subdued uh flags yeah again the same thing if you wear a red fucking flag red and blue flag on your uh thing that just gives somebody a fucking focal point uh to shoot and and give a great shot through your uh because your uh plate plates would go right through your armhole for your plates for your vest fuck man so a lot of uh uh identifying markers that normally you'd see in movies and different stuff we'd never fucking do we'd People wouldn't wear a lot of their unit patches because you don't want you don't want them to identify you in certain units. Yeah. Um, again, we don't wear like in war. You don't in deployments. You don't wear say like your airborne wings and your uh, combat action badge and your combat medic badge or infantry action badge. You don't wear any of those, like because it's it's kind of weird because you're like, man, I, I got that. Why can't I fucking wear it? You know yeah. what I mean? But you can't wear certain stuff because you just don't want you don't want to. Uh, Put it out there. Also, imagine being a kid dealing with this eighteen, kind of nineteen. Shit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, any person, but imagine you know that young. It's fucking wild, man. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Again, once I was like twenty four and I joined, so it's like twenty five and twenty six when I'm in, in Afghanistan, and there's kids like going home on R and R, and it couldn't even go to the bar. Yeah, you know, like nineteen. <laughs> That's so there ridiculous. Was always, there's like a seventeen year old everywhere. I remember when. The, the youngest kid gets to cut the cake whenever they have a cake for something. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, who's the youngest kid? And there'll always be like a kid that was like 17. You like, can join the military at 17? 17 and a half or something. Your parents can sign a waiver. Wow. And you can go. But it's like, right. You can sign up at 17, but then it's called like a late uh, a late join. Instead of a quick, uh, quick ship, it's a late quick yeah. ship. So you finish out your high school. And then so you can sign up in January right now or whatever. And then. Uh, come into May, June, I'm fucking on a mm. first thing to Fort Benning. Damn. So there was lots of kids like that to where it's like, you haven't even done life. I mean, yeah. like, you haven't even gone to your first college party. Yeah. It's like, you know, there, like you said, a 17 and a half, 18, and then you're over there killing. You know, if, you, if you're like an infantry guy, you know, or you're on missions and shit, you have to survive and you have to kill somebody. Like, can you imagine bringing that back to you to the States? Like, how do you do that? Well, I mean, that's probably why a lot of people have PTSD, man. Yeah. And shit. you got to think a lot of their upbringing, like me being from Memphis, not saying anything, Memphis toughened me up or anything, but like some of these kids are from fucking like villages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a fucking village. There's like 700 people in their town. Yeah. And they're they've never seen another world. Mm-hmm. They're all of a sudden they've seen a whole nother world. They come back and they're like, Holy fuck. Like literally like, like Lord of the Rings type Shire shit to where they go back to the Shire. And sometimes that's not enough for them to where 
I've had a lot of my buddies go back home to like Ohio and then they're like, fuck this shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. have to move on and do something else because like reality of what they're from compared to what, you know, you go back home and hang out with your friend who's like, well, I've tried junior college for a year <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. you know, just work at Starbucks. You know, it's fucking shit like that to where your, your uh, viewpoint on the world definitely changes a lot to where I could see a lot of people it changing a whole bunch of the way they are. Luckily people always give me that whole, and my, all my doctors that are like, well, you seem fine to me. You got a good personality and you know, you make jokes about it. And I'm like, nah, dude, I'm fucking one of the, out of all of my friends say out of my platoon, I'd say one of the higher cases of PTSD to comparative to where I just am better at dealing with it. Having a sense of humor helps out a lot. Again, it sucks the dark sense of humor with it too, but like, you know, you learn how to like just not say shit to like the soccer moms and stuff. Mm. Calm down. (laughs) My buddy, he said that hit one of the best things that happened to him because he was, um, he did a couple of tours or whatever, but he said that getting with other people that experienced what he experienced helped him be able to cope with the issues that he was having. That's what I'm, I'm rocking today. Um, I started, I helped uh, one of my buddies, Mikhail Venikov. I helped, he started a, a, a non veteran nonprofit called Ranger Road. And so I've been involved with that since 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, we started it in Sacramento, California when I lived out there. Okay. And so uh, he's, he won, when I just got in the army, he had, at an E4, he won the best Ranger competition. So every year they take a, a junior enlisted and a senior enlisted and out of every big dick unit and they go down to Fort Benning and have the best ranger competition. Yeah. So when I met this dude, he is King fucking dingling of the E4 mafia. <laughs> so E4 is like all the specialists all the, underneath the sergeant, like corporal, but less responsibility. But this dude started it off like uh, in a whole uh, group to where we did adaptive therapy for, we found uh, paralyzed veterans, uh, a lot of amputees, we specialized mm. in amputated uh, veterans from like special ops units or different units all through the army and Navy, uh, Air Force, whatnot, Marines. And so we teamed up with uh, uh, Uriah Faber from okay. Team Alpha Male. Yeah. So I've uh, we use their gym. So I've trained in Team Alpha Male's gym for years now, uh, doing basically – you know, ranging from CrossFit to actual doing MMA, doing uh, they have Lee Kemp, uh, wrestling instructors like uh, Olympic two, eight, 1984 Olympian, mm-hmm. uh, badass wrestling coach. They got uh, uh, Joey Rodriguez, boxing coach. Uh, uh, who else? I trained with like Sage Northcutt, helped out a bunch. Sage is a sweetheart, really. The guy's the golden retriever of people. <laughs> <laughs> He, he literally, and he, he'll call Uriah Faber. He calls him Mr. Faber. I uh, think that's, and he's, and he's not fucking joking. Yeah. He's like, hey, Mr. Faber. Okay. Yes, sir. And you're like, <laughs> fuck, he's sincere. <laughs> but he's like, he's like Zach Morris. It's like, it's like a pretty version of Zach Morris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, holy fuck. And, but the guy's totally sincere. He's done a lot of uh, help with uh, us, him. Clay Guida's come out a bunch and helped fucking a caveman. Well, we met that guy. So let me tell you a story about that really quick. <laughs> um, which is, we're in Columbus, Ohio. We like have 2007, 2008, something like that. We're going to go watch Rampage fight with Nick, right? Nick's good friends with Rampage and stuff like that. So I forget who Rampage was fighting, but we're up there and we go to... Keith Jardine. Oh, okay. That's right. We go to... Um, we go... 
to some clubs and stuff like that. And we're out, and this guy, I, and I have my, I have a little digital camera in my fucking pocket, right? And I, so someone's like, oh, look, there's these fighters. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a click guy, whatever, something like that, right? It was a conversation. I was like, hey, man, can I get a picture? He's like, yeah, sure. Do you have a camera? I'm like, why else would I ask you, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think this is like before they were like what they are now. Yeah. Because nobody like what's big well, into the UFC or MMA like is today. Yo, man, it's fucking. So I think it was like weird for, I guess, for them to be recognized. And, and shit phones like were so shitty. Well, remember, yeah. we taking a picture I, I, I had with a razor, phone. I think, yeah. at the time. You know, you can't take a fucking, I'm not going to take a picture, a good picture with a fucking razor. Well, yeah. at the time, you didn't know it wasn't a shitty. <laughs> yeah. wasn't a I think it was picture. like point. Two megapixels probably or something like that, right? Because, I mean, I think my 7 has a fucking, what, like a 10 megapixel camera. I'm sure y'all's phones have, like, fucking 20 megapixels now. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's hilarious. It's, he's one of those dudes who, like, I'd shit myself if I saw him wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> he's like, fucking put walk. a shirt on, man. Like, Isn't that whole gym known for that? You just kind of walk around? Like, yeah, I will have to say. They're, yeah, they're known for their abs. Yeah. And I, I, for, I felt like a giant... I felt huge there. You know I can see, see it now. What you, know, you say, little man? You know how many pictures I have of me standing? Uriah found me one time. He goes, you were on your fucking toes. He looked behind me, and I was, like, standing on my tippy toes behind him. And he was like, what are you fucking asshole? And I was like. <laughs> but, hilarious. yeah, Chad Mendez, uh, he's about to do his fight this weekend. Yeah, um, he's bare knuckle, fucking right? Fucking bare knuckle. He said he's about he's to. Jacked. Is it tonight? Quit? He yeah. looks fucking yeah. jacked, man. Who is Dude, this? Chad, Chad Mendez. Chad Money. My big money Mendez. So he's one of those dudes. He's so small, like a small guy in height. But every time I've walked by him and give him the what's up, you know, yeah. it's like by the water fountain, he he just makes me look small. Like he makes me feel like I'm way smaller than him. Yeah. Even though he's, yeah, he's way bigger than me size wise. But height, I like tower over him. And it's just so funny because, again, he's gotten so much bigger that he doesn't yeah. have to make weight he's been out for two years after the whole scandal he did his one little comeback and beat the shit out of somebody to be like ah yeah and then he hadn't booked anything have y'all seen uh, i think he said he's getting paid more than francis got paid for mm-hmm. his fight wow have yeah. y'all seen um a picture of alan belcher lately or fighting he's like he, burly he, he does uh bare knuckle now you're right dude he is fucking massive, yeah. like just super, super fucking jacked. And you know, obviously, everyone's obviously saying, you know, it's Mexican P- supplements, Mexican, but- yeah, Mexican, Mexican, Mexican <laughs> supplements. Yeah. But you know, the thing with that is, you still have to put the work in, man. Like it, yeah, definitely it gives you an advantage to like you know, but you still have to train. You still have to like with like say taking steroids to build muscle, like at the gym, like at ACC or something like that, right? You still have to go and. Do, do that. It, it just doesn't. It, you, yeah, and and it just doesn't put the muscle on. You have to do the work. But yeah, you gain muscle faster, but you still have to put the effort and hard work into it. And there's some of the PDs are so uh, in the gray area stuff right now, to where people are like, "Oh, I didn't know," or "This state is illegal, and this one it's not." Mm. Uh, some of the and it's literally badass supplements. It's like, oh, I found out a really good supplement, and now it's becoming illegal. Or say like. All the different stuff throughout the years with PDs, I could see it getting to where they they downgrade to where. I don't know. Well, mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh, what is that stuff? I used to when we when I when you got me first started working out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I used to take this uh, stuff. I think it was called like you know explode. 
I don't know. Maybe that was it was something. Or Jack 3D. It was Jack. No, it was red. Yeah, it was Jack 3D. They had to change the formula because they they, they banned a bunch of stuff and that was people were taking it yeah. and they're pos- testing positive on like tests. Um, like, what are you talking about? This I'm taking Jack and some that was an agreed and they were using. Not, it's a pre workout. You know, they didn't know it was going to cause them to you know. And then all of a sudden they had to change that. It could cause. Oh heart no! The thing I was thinking was bull knocks. Ah, uh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> It came in like a little jar, like you know, like yeah, a, it's like, and it has the smallest little spoon, dude. It's like the spoon was like, like a think of a teaspoon, but like miniaturized teaspoon, right? Mm. It was what you put, and uh, you know, you always put a little bit more, but like, dude, that shit had me fucking wired. Like I was ready to go. I was you can like, see yes. colors, <laughs> smell, like, dude, <laughs> smell, flare. and then obviously <laughs> that company knew what they were doing, and. They were shut down by the government or something like that. Yeah, and they then, all had to reformat. Even that's the same, the Jack 3D. and that, oh, you know, okay. Explode, the, all those had to get redone because of people having sheer heart attacks and it being so close to like one one strand away from being methamphetamine basically at a certain point to where Jesus. I took it in Afghanistan for like night mission. We'd be like, oh, we got to keep going on a mission or something. He'd be like, give me that. Give me that blue stuff. <laughs> well, you know, like like ISIS fighters, they they take they are on meth. Like oh, it, the ISIS, like a lot of these Taliban fighters and stuff like that mm-hmm. on ISIS, they take meth religion. It's like part of their culture or something. Not like their religion, but like their soldiers are on meth. Mm. Uh, I read that and I didn't believe it, so I did a little research, and yeah, it, governments are funding their meth. Like it's crazy. I don't know. Until, I mean, World War II got the whole Blitzkrieg was brought to you by meth-laced uh, chocolates. There's chocolate with meth in it. Wasn't Hitler like on meth or something like That's that? What they Lots say. of coke. Yeah, uh, it was cocaine. But he, he did like, uh, they had liquid cocaine form. They had all sorts of different things. The best video of Hitler is at the 19... 19- 39 at the Olympics that were held. Is that when he's rocking or yes. something like that? Yeah. And like Himmler. <laughs> it's like this. Uh, who was it? One of the, one of his, uh, I can't remember if it was Himmler or Goring. Goring. Goring had to hold him back, put his hand up and be like, chill out. Because this wow. motherfucker was rocking. He That's why he had the tick. He fucking hid, hide his hand behind his back because his hand would be jittering. And the, uh, the amount of the... Uh, uh, our prescriptions that his doctor uh, had pres- written for him was just insane. The uh, like so many grams of cocaine for the nose <laughs> in the morning. You know, imagine Hitler liked a party. <laughs> they the say something fuck, about Napoleon. It was like I don't know if it was coke or whatever it was called then, but there was some kind of he was on some kind of drug too. Well, if they made it that far uh, into, I think he made it into almost to India, mm-hmm. so he could. If they went to Afghanistan, it was not, their, they yeah. got poppies, poppy, different, all sorts of different things that you could go. Did you see those fields? Yeah. Mostly some in the Northern area, there's a lot more poppy. I was in the uh, mid middle of the East on the East, what they call in coast Providence. Mm-hmm. So it was in the middle East of Afghanistan on the Pakistani border. So the North half of a lot of, a lot more poppy. We had a lot more, uh, uh, Mar- pot field, cannabis fields so really there'd be uh wheat there'd be like wheat and corn and then all of a sudden there'd be like field of dreams out there and you'd be like what the fuck so hash is huge out there i mean they're fucking they'll, they'll smoke hash like religiously and so, so like out like outside the where you were at how does afghanistan look because all i think i hear is like it's a bunch of caves and i think about like you know like not barren as, land and not as like many this. caves uh 
Like that's where they're hiding when we couldn't yeah, find them and shit. There's yeah. tunnels. There's okay. you'll find uh, every once in a while you look down and there'll be just a pit and you're like, what's down there? And they're like, I don't know. We're not gonna fucking go down there. I'll yeah. tell you that much. Like we don't. I've never dealt with any caves or tunnels mm. ever. Uh, people have we've thrown bombs like grenades down a couple of places, a couple of tunnels that we've been like, eh, just drop that. No, <laughs> fuck it, because I'm not going down there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> we'll go down there tomorrow. <laughs> I've never. Needed to. Yeah. I don't want to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's almost sometimes in the middle of war, you're like, how come we're not doing that? And then our platoon sergeant just be like, there's some questions you just don't fucking ask. Yeah. And like, I remember one time I asked, literally, it was like, how come we've never even looked for Osama bin Laden? <laughs> and you're like, quit asking questions like that, dude, because that's not, not in your pay grade. You shouldn't yeah. worry about it. But the, uh, so the landscape is mountainous, really, really mountainous. Uh, where I was, it was 13,000 feet above sea level was flat. Uh-huh. The valley was 13,000 feet. Holy shit. So the, uh, and I was right up, butted against the Hindu Kush on the Pakistani border. So then there was about 18,000 foot mountains next to me. So there was cold on uh, the mountains. It was really cold, but it mostly, it was like, say during this time of year, it'd be cold as fuck at night. And then like, it's, <laughs> Really close to Memphis temperatures. Mm. Like the random days where it's like 65, 70, and you're like, what the fuck? It's January. It's yeah. fucking glorious yeah. outside. And then next week, it'll be like 35 and rainy and hail. You know what I mean? See, you're I like, never even think about that. And that was another thing. Hail. Yeah. Random. Random shit because we're in the mountains. So the if a thing would go over, just start golf ball size hail. And you're just like, hello, Washington. <laughs> fucking the, the guy in the turret. And you're like, yeah. fucking shit. Well, I just assumed that it'd be, it'd be hot. Just by, and you know, oh, it's, it's hot. It's hot like during the, the desert, summer. You know? And it's not desert. Everybody gives me that. So how's the desert? And I'm like, I wasn't in Iraq, you know? And, yeah. and so it's the best way to say it's like, uh, have you ever heard of like moon dust? Like people say something was like moon dust. So instead of being sand, it'd be this really, really dry dust that, uh, say, the riverbeds, they'd have wadis that would get dried up. And when you step on it, it would be like, you know those little mushrooms? The, uh, the little mushroom that's like a, a big ball, and you step on it, and it makes that little dust, the powder. Oh, it yeah. It's like smoke almost. Yeah. Imagine all the dirt like that. Mm. Not all of it, but good So it's bit. like dried up mud. Dried up mud. Like, like, like. And rocks. And it would be like ankle-breaking rocks. Oh. Like, Imagine football size rocks. Jumping out of a plane. They're rocks just, that kill you. But you'd be running across a field trying to get somebody. And imagine a whole bunch of people fucking left out. Uh, imagine if Tom Brady's uh, uh, trainer left a whole bunch of deflated footballs <laughs> around the whole fucking field. Yeah. And you have to run and not step on one because they're like ankle breakers. You step on one, you're going to roll your fucking ankle with boots on and fuck your shit up. Wow. And so they'd have that and then adding in... Uh, mountainous terrain to where everything there was within a football field distance or more, there could be a mountain to where the guy could fucking wearing just PJs and sandals could diddy mow out really quick. Fucking dude. Some of these needs NCAA needs to get scholarships from these guys for track running. I mean, you're like, Holy fuck. He's fast. He's fast. <laughs> so and they're all running. So they don't have the fucking 50 pound backpack. No, on. They're wearing they, pajamas, man. Yeah, jammies. Like, you guys are chasing them. With your all your gear on you, and yeah. your gun. I mean, your machine, whatever the fuck it's called. So, yeah, right? that, that would be really. I guess it would be tough to determine who is who against yeah, you. They don't have a fucking uniform. They yeah. don't. 
like I said, they could drop their weapon. They could run, hide behind. I've seen a dude hide behind a bush and run out behind a bush. And they're like, wait a minute. Is that the same guy? And they're like, Damn. you know it's the same fucking guy. But like, yeah. So what did the towns look like? So there was like cities, like there was a city called Coast right by where we were, uh, where it was, um, what, Fob was next to it. Fob, Sharana, or Salerno. Salerno was the main Fob. So it was in Coast Providence. What does that mean? It's just the name of a, it's the name of a drop zone from Italy. Oh, okay. Uh, from oh, okay. World War II, but they named it. It was back when uh, the initial push in 2001 happened. They started them, the first base that got built was there because they came in through Pakistan and they, the main base got built. So that's uh, Fob Salerno. So that's an actual city. Coast, Coast City is like, um, I mean, it's a pretty, what you, they'd call metropolitan, mm-hmm. but we'd call like... It's very kind of like India or Pakistan has uh, uh, the local markets say that have it look like a shipping container, a lot of shipping containers, mm. uh, a lot of storefronts that just look like uh, garages, you know, the slide up doors. Yeah, yeah. Shit ton of sh- like say three, three to four story buildings, but the first one would be markets. And then the second might be like a restaurant and then housing above. Mm-hmm. And that would say like a family would own a building. Like that's how we did in, 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 um, South Africa. Yeah. So like you'd, you'd have your whole family would own like a compound basically. Yeah. So you'd have, you know, a shop, your uncles or whoever would run a shop out front of whatever you did. And then they'd have another thing. So it was kind of cool to see how their cities were set up, but then in the, you could go an hour the other way and go back to where you're in a fucking like Sunday school. It's mm. like, sun, like you're, they're wearing the only thing that they have that is t- of technological advancement is a uh, electric tea kettle. Really? They'll have that or maybe a radio. Mm. But these people live in mud huts made out of poop. Damn. It's poop, mud, uh, little, uh, what are they called? I can't remember. What they, I, but they they live, you know, like kind of like in, in adobes. Like the best way to describe it is like an adobe type uh, villages. Yeah. And again, um, families would own... I've seen just small, you know, buildings, probably like, you know, 2000 square foot building that had like an open area and then a couple rooms and whatnot to where I've seen fucking labyrinths. We've gone through to where it's like they turned, it'd be like Hickory Ridge fucking mall turned into a fucking like Adobe to where you're like going in different places, opening up a door and you're like, holy fuck, there's like way more, you know, and you think it's going to end and then you go down and then you find more buildings and rooms So it's weird how, well, there's no building code. So Jesus. like you can go through another, like villages. I remember just going through in between everybody's walls is like, say 12 feet tall. And so you're just Damn. like walking through an alleyway and you're like, motherfucker could pop off anywhere right yeah. now. Cause I'm just in an alley in between somebody's house doing, doing God knows what. So like the whole, uh, being there, the, playing war, walking around like call of duty style to where you're like, this is a shitty fucking situation to be like in a firefight. If you were there, because if a firefight popped off and you were in one of these little villages like that, one, those people probably grew up in that village or fucking been around it. Yeah. And they've tried to, you know, the advantage is in their hands to Mm. where, you know, they know everything, what to do and how to get around it. So we we didn't really do a lot of engagements like that. We tried to stay away from a whole lot of stuff like that if we had to, 
but then we'd clear objectives nonetheless. That 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 means going through basically kicking every door open and searching stuff, which fucking once again that can get exhausting if you yeah go into one of these places. But uh, we there are definitely times where we were ready to go fuck some shit up, and our lieutenant was like, "No, no, we're we're not going to do that." We're like, "We can fuck these guys up," but there's like a playlist of like mm. stuff that you can do. And then there's like uh collateral there. They won't do certain things if there isn't like a hundred percent and you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like if we're, we just want to pick a fight, Sarge. Yeah. They won't let you do that. You're like, nah, dude. And typically like, cause they have, I remember one time we were going to go, uh, some guys set up an ambush and we were going to drive through a Valley, like a, in between like a little wadi that goes, kind of like going through like a miniature grand Canyon to where they were up on the top and we were going right through in the middle and we were going to set up a ambush and go around, but then send one party in the middle to draw a fire. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. And they were like, cause a gunner can get shot or a truck get blown up. Yeah. And then it'll be on me because we didn't have to do it. Mm. You're like, no. And you're like, you're on the radio. You're like, fuck. Yeah. I want to fuck some shit up. I can see like everyone's all amping jack. You're like, yeah. 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 Fucking drinking rippets. Everybody drinks those rippets that you find at the dollar store general. Oh yeah. So <laughs> we're all hopped up on rippets, fucking uh Kodiak dip, <laughs> fucking Marlboro cigarettes and fucking we're like, no dude, let's get them. I don't care if we don't have the advantage. Yeah. And you're like, they have the high ground, Anakin. It's like wow. my buddy Jeremy was telling me is he he was in Afghanistan like a couple of times and Iraq a couple of times and he was like, Man, the amount of energy drink and shit we take it's just, it's just to pass sometimes it's just to pass time because you know sometimes there's nothing to, there's literally nothing to do or you just have to be awake yeah and you have to just be awake and he said like something about rip it is like a um i don't know if it's still rip it but a rip it was like a um a, 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 like uh, had a contract with the government yeah. or they were sponsored that was the only thing by we got. the government or something like that like rip it and cliff bar yeah. Really? Yeah. I love that, dude. Damn. I got free, it, free cliff bars and free rippets, man. <laughs> Ribbit is like, owned by uh, Fago. Uh, and, you know, I just imagine how the contract and all the money, because, you know, you have soldiers all over the world they're shipping this shit to. Oh, like, yeah. and, and, and you're then, drinking 10 a day. Like, next guy next to you is drinking 10 a day. And then we'd all got home and we were like, Holy shit! I found this at the dollar store. I'm getting a pallet. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> and on, on it, it's, you know, it's, it's it's you know, just like this bank can, but it's got 99 cents. That's the that's the drawer. Uh, you know, that's why everyone likes it. Now the other one in Iraq. Now all my buddies that went to Iraq and uh, my unit went there right before I got into the unit, and so they were all came home for these stories of uh, wild tigers. Wild tiger, ride the tiger, tiger, tiger. That's Fucking, an energy drink. So it's an energy drink, but. It's got caffeine and nicotine. Shit. Fuck yeah. They literally call it riding a tiger. There's a meme where they superimpose like a fucking uh, private riding it like a fucking, you know, like a bull. And it's just a can. (laughs) Wild tiger. That shit's fucking. Pull it up, Jamie. (laughs) So that'll give you heart (laughs) palpitations. That shit, people would be like, I thought I was going to have my first heart attack on that shit. Wow. And that was, you could buy it in any of the bodegas in Iraq, any of the little shops. We're getting a case. We're going to just like give it a guess. I'm buying it on Amazon. From from what I hear, this the version they sell here is, again, the, the tank. The, the, the tamed, pussy version? Yeah, it's the tamed down version. <laughs> See if it does have nicotine. I don't All think. Right, hang on, they might have just replaced it with like niacin or something. That's fucking wild. But they had, dude, guys were swearing by it. They were like, bro, I could freebase that if I could. Man. <laughs> 
You're like, I used to drink that with a dip in, smoking a cigarette, and just drink that on top. And you're like, fuck, dude. What were the locals like? Hit or miss. Some of the locals were some of the warmest people in the fucking world that would like bring you in, feed you fucking some of the best tea, chai tea. Oh, fucking, man. Their green tea was awesome, but then they had this kind of a milky, kind of like chocolate milky chai. Mm-hmm. It was fucking amazing. Uh, their beans and rice is fucking on point. Nom bread. Dude, nom, whenever I see that shit at Kruger, I'm like, fuck, yeah, dude. Because, yeah. like, they don't use forks, right? So, nom, it's like you you grab everything with nom bread. You remember- so, it's like a staple. like, Or you can make pizza. We'd find pizza this little nom. kid from the bakery would walk across the field in front of our outpost. And I, if I ever did the ECP, the uh, gate, if I was working that, and I'd be like, hey, kid, come here, man. And he'd be like. I'd give him like a dollar and he'd hand me like all of his bread. And I'm like, no, 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 no. One. And he'd yeah. be like, I'm like, dad's going to get kill you if you hand me all this fucking bread. And I'd buy like one piece out and I'd come back to this uh, hut, pull in security, be like, dude, we got fresh non bread, dude. Because that, that and like. It's like drugs. <laughs> Dealing drugs. Yeah, it's a little shit. But yeah, that, the goat, goat meat's weird. Cause they, they cook everything, like they don't waste stuff. So they cook it with the fat back on it. And that's the one thing like stood out. You know how many times I've had to like sit there and be like, mm, this is delicious. And then like, when can I get away? Well, it's because like, you don't want to, you're yeah. like, cause you like, can't do it. You, and you like, some of it's like, has to do with like, we're meeting with like the village governor mm-hmm. and the mayor or whatever is in charge of whatever mm-hmm. Providence that we're in. And you can't like, they line us up and I represented the platoon as their doctor. Yeah. So I really had to be fucking welcome and warm and doing all their shit. Whenever we'd sit down and uh, have a dinner provided, because you'd think they'd invite us for dinner and it would be like a fucking ordeal to them. They'd the amount of food they cook. I mean, it's like a fucking you know, you've like a a spread. They'll have like a fifteen feet of food on the floor. Like they'll have a roll of a whatever. It's like a table mat, table mm-hmm. place thing, mm-hmm. and they're just just lined. It, Everything's different. It's kind of like that video I sent you where those uh, guys were eating all together and they were just using their hands. Remember, it was in the middle of like like of the table. Oh yeah, yeah. And they yeah. were just like eating. When you're talking about what about COVID? <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, making a joke like, what about COVID? And so yeah. it's like they have worse things to worry about. <laughs> okay, but like that's how they eat. Like everybody comes around a table and they yeah. just use like non bread or their hands and just eat like this. They, they don't. There's no s- spoons and shit like that. There'd be like a serving spoon for like the rice, where you do that for like just dump out. But everything else, like, literally. It's kind of like Ethiopian food. Yeah. Very much like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it reminded me of, kind of like Indian food, but mm-hmm. it's like Mexican beans and rice, but bland. Mm. A little more bland. A lot of seasoning, but the it's not as spice. It's not as hot of a spice. It's more of a worldly, kind of a turmeric type weird hitter. You know, some of it's like sweet and spicy, but, um, but yeah, all the... Or, all the stuff there, like literally all the all the Mexican dudes were like, man, this beans and rice is fucking on point, dude. <laughs> like this is just like my, you know what I mean? And they'd be like, yeah, this is just like my mom's house. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny because I've gone over a couple of different places around the world and I've been like, this beans and rice is the fucking same ass shit. You know, yeah. if you guys understood that they have this exact thing in Mexico, you'd shit yourself. Yeah, you'd be like, what? You guys have beans and rice too? It's fucking instead of just nam, it's a tortilla. You know what I mean? And, but even saying you go. Uh, say South America, like actual Mexico, Mexico, like you know, villages of Mexico. Their their tortillas are more like in between a tortilla and non bread, mm. where it's a thicker tortilla to where you can do that the whole same 
How long were you in the army for? Eight years. Oh damn! Eight. You just got tired of it or something? Or oh, I got retired. I got uh Well, I did. So I reenlisted because I knew that uh, when you sign up, sign up for four years, you're signed up for eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do four years of inactive reserve uh, unit. So I found out a bunch of guys were getting deployed in and out from like the Tennessee, the reserves or National Guard out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And after being in special ops and doing stuff, uh, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't want to be go deploy with people who didn't do it as a nine to five. They were what you know, weekend warriors. Nothing against the guys that do that because that's an awesome job to do. But after being in infantry in the front lines, you're like, well, why am I going to go do that if I'm still in my prime? Yeah. Do that. So I stayed in knowing that. And sure as fuck, after I reenlisted and went uh, to my next duty station, they, the Tennessee National Guard or something, called my mom. It was like. Oh, we're looking for your son. He's supposed to be here. We're about to deploy and we need a medic. I'm like, he's fucking in Alaska. What are you talking about? He's still in. Yeah. They're like, oh, we thought he got out. He was supposed to, because I was supposed to get out. And they literally had my name and number on the fucking roster to deploy with the National Guard or Reserve Unit or something from here. And I was like, where were they headed? I don't you know. Right, Afghanistan. Oh, okay. That was right when Iraq was draw, the full drawdown of Iraq. The only people there were like moving logistics people. So, after being on the radio and hearing, be like, hey, this is the Iowa National Guard. <laughs> We're in your area of operation. You're like, fuck this. I'm not going to be that. Like, we literally made it was a liability having them out there. Mm. A lot of times we'd have we've had to rescue them, whether it be like not really in a bad situation, but like, we don't know how to change a tire. and We're out in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, Jesus. fucking shit. Well, I've seen pictures. Like, these are legit pictures of, like, National Guardsmen and stuff like that. And women, like, they're not, they don't look like like a soldier like you. Like, you know, like, would you? they look out of shape. Oh, they're, yeah. They're fat as shit, man. Some Very of them are, much. Some of them are, like, fat as fuck. It's like embarrassing. Carl some Winslow. of the Carl Winslow looking ass. Yeah, kind of like that. Like, that big, like, dude, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm like. Wait a minute, is this a meme or something? Because yeah, I always see like the army guys making fun of them, like sending memes and stuff. Like I, I'll see it sometimes on Facebook and stuff. Oh, or, yeah. and I'm like, dude, this gotta be a, this can't be real. So I started, I googled it. I was like, holy fuck! I oh, thought yeah. like the National Guard. I know they just like one week in a month kind of thing or whatever it is. But I thought like I thought it was like something legit, like a joke. I was like, okay, this is like a, from a movie or something. Nah, there's <laughs> like holy fuck. There's people with like congestive heart failure legs and shit. You look at them, you're like, holy. fuck. Fuck, deep vein thrombosis looking ass shit. Fucking <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah. That's that's a you know all the units kind of have that. I remember at one point when I my second big station when I reenlisted, I went to Fort Sam Houston in uh, 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 San Antonio to work at the emer- uh, level one trauma center emergency room there, mm-hmm. and so it was like a full full fledged badass hospital, and uh, the bottom floor was the cafeteria, and they had. Elevator people used to always take, and I, I wasn't used to having an elevator. It was used in the army. Even if there was an elevator, they made you take the stairs if mm. it was like a floor or two. <laughs> so, a larger uh, air woman uh, from the air force got on the airplane, and she hit the she hit one up, and I go, "Don't you think you should take the stairs?" <laughs> Damn! And fucking all of my buddies with me were like, the fucking air left that fucking elevator. Like everybody was just like. He fucking said it. And I was like, come on now. Go on. <laughs> what was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, that's because being... I went from, you know, King Dingling, being in a 
big boy unit in the army, as we called it, to where I was around females for the first time mm-hmm. uh, in actual, like not in a training situation and around uh, mixed unit, mixed uh, branches. Mm-hmm. So we were at a, a army hospital that was also ran by air force people and they trained Navy medics there too. Mm. And then sprinkling a couple of uh, Navy corpsmen that worked with the Marines. So they kind of have that. So you have like four different branches running around all of a sudden. And so then they see, airborne wings and and you know action badges and stuff and that's and then they also see combat uh, deployment patches you'd have uh in the army you'd have one patch for your unit and then the other patch on your right sleeve for if you deployed and so they'd always say things sound better in stereo if you have like two patches mm, on uh, okay and and people would see like literally i was triple stacked so i had a um uh, airborne wings i had a combat action badge and a combat medic badge to where I'd gotten combat action for being combat action, getting shot at. And then I got a combat medic badge for actually being, you have to do what they call care under fire. So you have to save somebody while getting shot at. Wow. So when you come back with those and you're airborne, when you walk around in my unit in Alaska, didn't mean much. Everybody was double or triple stacked. If you deployed, you at least in my unit, you had to be airborne. And then the other people, uh, if you were infantry, you got an infantry action, ba- infantry combat, combat infantry badge, uh, CIB, or, you know, if you're artillery, you got a combat action badge and then medics, they could give both, uh, depending. And I got both cause I was in two different, uh, attachments at the time. Yeah. And so walking around with that, there are people four stacked with like air assault wings and, uh, say, uh, pathfinder, um, What's that? Pathfinders, the people who say they're the people who find a landing zone and will do all the testing. They'll throw up a weather balloon. They'll f- do all the math and fucking trigonometry for uh, where the the birds need to be, mm. uh, where the best place is. The whole lot of math, a whole lot of, uh, you know, they're the people that are behind the lines and find the, uh, the drop zone. Jesus, man. So that, then you'd have, what are the other badges? Free fall. So you'd have a, people with a, Freefall badges um, from Ranger Bat and Special Forces in our unit walking around with a uh, freefall. That's high, Halo, what they call Halo, high altitude, low open. So if you walk around with, there's guys walking around with Halo wings. So when I'd walk around with just airborne wings and a regular combat medic badge, it didn't mean much in Alaska where I was. But then I went to Fort Sam Houston and it was like, fucking look at this guy. Like, mm. holy fucking shit. And I was only like, I was an E4, I was a corporal at the time. So that most people it take you a while. To, most people be E five E sixes or something, and then I was I was a PFC and I had all that, so it was kind of crazy to Jesus. be walking around as a PFC in the army and have like all this shit before I got to my right when I got to my unit and everything. So like you could, I bullied a few people here and there. I've, <laughs> I've literally some kid looked at me and he was bigger than me, and I said something. He was in training, but I was at. At Fort Sam Houston, they train all the medics, but I was uh, s- staff. I was like, uh, what do they call it? Where you, you're there the whole time. You're act, you're like actual pe- person that's stationed there. I'm not doing training there or anything. Oh, okay. And so this kid was in training and he fucking said some shit to me. And I was like, I didn't even get up. And I looked at him. I go, can you read badges? And he goes, yeah. And I go, read this shit. Do you want to fuck with me right now? And I just <laughs> got up. <laughs> So I I remember this dude, like, just walking around like that was kind of cool, like, to be able to do it. It sucked to be there. She'd be like, oh, my God, this is stupid. Like, 
I remember one guy came up to me, uh, combat. He was a medic from the air force. And he was like, so what are you guys talking about the line? What's this line you're talking about? You're like the front line, front fucking line. <laughs> oh, oh. So like the front line, of, like the front line of war. That's like, and so it's kind of funny to be be like, Hey, you were on the line. Rig of fire, man. Johnny Cash movie. Go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just so funny to be around kids that they've been in almost the same amount of time as me, but we're just working in the hospital and stuff. So that was kind of cool to where you could walk around and it was surreal to kind of walk around and be like, man, I got, I'm fucking got problems. You know what I mean? Like fuck. And people with the Bergdahl thing. I could show up and people would already know like about my deployment. So they'd know that I was from the unit that left Bergdahl behind or that Bergdahl was in and whatnot. So that whole, not saying it was a stigma, but that having it precede me everywhere you went, they'd be like, Oh, that's the guy. Be like, don't fuck with me. We'll leave you behind too, bitch. <laughs> oh yeah. We voted him off the Island. Big brother style. <laughs> yeah. They fucking said, all right, this is unprecedented. What we did. We were the first unit uh, to leave a guy behind like this. We literally, they were like, all right, it's February. We got a couple more weeks left. Do you guys want to stay and go on more missions and try to find him? Or do you guys just want to say, fuck it? We're, everybody was like, fuck him. Yeah. Like fuck his couch. I heard that so many times. Yeah. Fuck his couch. Yeah. And we literally, like, we all had to sign gag orders uh, to get on a bird home. To get, to fly home, we had to sign a gag order saying we wouldn't go to, like, you know, CNN or fucking Fox or anybody uh, at the time. And so a lot of the guys, when, say, when Bergdahl got released in 2014, he got released. um, All my buddies went on, like, Couple of my buddies, five of them went on Megan Kelly, uh-huh. and then they were out of the army at the time, so they could speak out and they told like the truth about what happened. And even that, they got chastised. They even got called swift boaters because they were talking out about it. About it, yeah. you know, the whole swift boat thing with John Kerry getting a he got a purple heart for getting a he basically he got his cheek scraped by a branch when he was on a boat and required a nurse to give him a band aid. And he got a purple, one of his purple hearts that way. Wow. So that the swift boaters are the guys that spoke out against him. And then they tried to make these guys that spoke out against him. They called them swift boaters and would try to say that they were talking out against stuff. So the same thing with my buddies, they tried to uh, downplay what they were saying and everything and said that they were crazy and doing stuff. And we are like, they were just literally finally waited till they got out and could say what they wanted to. Yeah. The two of my friends that did an article, uh, the Rolling Stones article that came out uh, that talked about Bergdahl, that was the first time we knew that he had uh, tried to join the uh, French Foreign Legion. And so we were all reading this for the first time, and then one of our, he was a lieutenant at the time, but a captain now, at when it came out, we were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Doing an interview with Rolling Stones. He's still in. He wasn't there. We're like, he was there, but not there right there mm. when some of the shit was happening it was like secondhand or like he heard about it or and just telling his side but it wasn't firsthand account and so he kind of i'd say people looked at him in a different light yeah uh some of the other one of the other people that was still in said that he'd gotten like followed by the fbi afterwards because he spoke out against it damn what was the guy's logic behind abandoning you guys he had no logic behind, we found out through everything he had severe mental problems. Mm. Uh, again, he got 
we didn't know until this article came out on Rolling Stones magazine, like probably two years after our deployment. Yeah. Um, we didn't know that he had applied for the French Foreign Legion and got turned down for psyche vow. Now, for those people who don't know, the French Foreign Legion is the place you can go be a mercenary for the French Foreign Legion Army. If you say it's Scotland Art, say if the Scotland Yard has a dossier against you for like murder or fucking being a jewel thief mm-hmm. and you want a clean record, you can join the French Foreign Legion for like how many X amount, I think five or six years. And if you complete your enlistment in the French Foreign Legion, you get a new identity. Oh, wow. Shit. And your Scotland Yard and uh, everybody erases, um, what's the other, uh, European one that has it. They'll, they'll basically wipe your slate clean and give you a new, uh, new beginning, and you'll get out. But the thing is, the French Foreign Legion has probably the highest attrition rate of getting killed. Like uh, Again, once we had like the numbers where we wouldn't go do certain missions because yeah. of it's just the numbers not adding up. French Foreign Legion gives no fucks about collateral, about damage, about anything cost of it because they're fucking disposable. Yeah. The only thing is they're pull up their uh, uh, uniforms, French Foreign Legion uniform. They carry a fucking uh, sledgehammer. (laughs) It's either a sledgehammer or an axe. I can't remember. They wear a butcher fucking like, like, you know, the the build a butcher fucking uh, uh, apron. They wear like a butcher apron and carry a fucking um, either a hammer or a sledgehammer axe. I can't remember what it is. Like gangs in New York type shit or something. But that's that's the people that they take. So they take people who are mass murderers. These dudes. Yeah. Yeah. But they have a different uh, dress uniform that they have. The thing he was talking about. They have a different one that they. Wow. Put like parade uniform or, uh, but so these guys take anybody who's a high criminal in Europe and or anywhere in the world and they turn Bergdahl down. So that just, you know, sets a precedent for like how fucked up he had to have been. Yeah. Um, grew up in Idaho. Nothing against that, but you got to think he's from fucking like where fucking Napoleon dynamites from, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's a fucking axe, That's man. it. Like, oh, what the fuck? God. That's their fucking, yeah, it's an axe. A fucking full-on, like, firefighter fucking axe. Wow. That's their parade <laughs> uniform. <laughs> what the fuck? So these guys are, uh, next to the Rhodesian army, they're, French Foreign Legion and I guess the Rhodesian army are the two that, like, I wouldn't fuck with. Yeah. Like, they're mercenary army of people that could put together and so, yeah, Bergdahl got turned down by these guys. So we find all this out by Rolling Stones magazine. We're like, holy fuck, this guy's even worse than we thought. Yeah. And he was like told us talking about how our commander was like a, a foolish old man and all this stupid stuff. We're like, who the fuck cares? At your position, you should have no fucking fucks about what the lieutenant colonel of our battalion does or yeah. says. Because you have no, he probably met him twice ever. It's like, God bless, man. So that is a whole weird thing of uh, our deployment to where literally I go other places and then people would be like, oh, yeah, Doc Laux is in Bergdahl's unit. And I'm like, fuck, no, Bergdahl was in my unit, motherfucker. Yeah. Like people, we'd have to, we'd always say that to people would be like, fuck, no, he wasn't, it wasn't his unit. <laughs> <laughs> so 
he got put once they released him. I had already gotten out of the army, but I was stationed at Fort Sam Houston. He they moved him to Fort Sam Houston for pretrial confinement at our barracks, and he had to have two guards with him at all time, MPs, to keep him from getting killed by somebody. But I had my old roommate come by and tell him that I used to live there, and mm. that he's lucky that I'm not there because there's literally a li- there's a line of people just waiting to kill that dude. Damn. He's out now and they, you know, gave him a dishonorable discharge and fined him and whatnot. But um he's basically people are like, well, that's kind of bullshit. They let him off light. I'm like, he's from Idaho. So he is uh what do you call it when he get just stuck there? He he can't leave Idaho for the rest of his life. I mean he's exiled. That's a full exile. Yeah. If he went anywhere, he'd get murked. He'd get shot. Fucking somebody from our unit or somebody from another unit would fucking kill this kid if he ever came out in the mainstream media, if he came out and did anything. How old is this guy now, would you say? 35, 34, hmm. 35. So he was about, I was 25 and he was probably 19, 20 when he joined. So it was probably, yeah, he was probably 35 because I just turned 39. Wow. So, so that's one of the crazy weird things about being from the 501st is that would Follow me everywhere. Be like, oh, you guys, y'all, y'all had Bergdahl? And you're like, fuck, man. <laughs> That'd be like, you know, you're like the like water boy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting like <laughs> it be making the news and then Brady being like, them asking Brady about it. Like, yeah. Fuck, I don't know. The <laughs> yeah. fucking he's the water boy. Yeah. You know, you're like, have no fucking dealings with him at all. Like, but uh, so that was weird. The uh, the other thing, also the weird thing, was with that deployment. Also, was known for like a shot. We shot and captured a, a first Russian to ever get captured in Afghanistan. So that was wild, and it kind of put me to where I ended up having to work for the FBI and Department of Justice my last two years I was in uh, because I was building the case up against him. So we uh, we got called up one night. It was after Eid. Eid Festival kind of rotates to uh, coincide with the ending of, um, um, gosh darn it, what's the? Ramadan? Thank you, Ramadan. So it's toward the, after Ramadan, it's some, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it goes about every six weeks. It'll rotate to the right every six weeks, every year, six weeks to the right or something. And so it was right after Thanksgiving that year. And we got called up. I had just done like, 24 hour like duty mission on a, a tower, just sitting out of a fucking guard tower, just or 12 hours, just all up all night. And then I couldn't sleep during the day. And then that night we got spun up at nine o'clock at night. The uh, outpost next to us that had the, uh, had Afghan soldiers, uh, Afghan border police on it. And they called us up and we're like, Hey, we're getting shot at getting attacked. And they had a full on uh, complex attack, getting shot at machine guns and stuff. So we uh, got in our trucks and drove around the corner to them. And, about that time, they we got F-16s online and uh, Kiowas, a couple, you know, helicopters. But we had the F-16s. We had we had them online uh, called Big Guns. So we uh, followed these guys through. There was probably 30, 30 guys through the mountains, and we uh, dropped two or three fifteen hundred pound J dams, and then two thousand pound J dams. J dam bombs. Those? You know, on the uh, side of an F-16 on the wing, those giant, giant bombs, you know, they have like yeah. a missile and okay. then those big things that look, one of them's like a fuel cell and the other ones are bombs. Okay. Uh, they, they range in like uh, 
thousand pound, fifteen hundred pound Damn, uh, increments. So we basically uh, wrangled these guys into a valley uh, from the ridge lines, following them, and then herded them into a valley, and then laid uh, had the had the uh, uh, jets and the helicopters do gun runs on them, the and dropping bombs. I swear we lit the sky up to where it looked it looked like daytime like Damn. a few times for a good five six seconds at a time and shook the ground to where i mean earthquake style yeah like, and then we went down to where uh bombs were going off and they helicopters did some mini gun runs and we get to the bottom and there's just fucking grass it's like hard hard like a dried up grass and bushes were just facing sideways. Like they, they go up and then at a straight right angle looked like, you know, you know they show the atomic bomb pictures and like stuff mm. getting blown over straight in half. Everything from knee up was just decimated. Like, cause when a bomb hits, you know, it goes up like a, like a vortex, like a big V. So anything up uh, to a certain height doesn't get touched up to like two and a half feet. Nothing gets touched. So like for two and a half feet, there's like just, it's like somebody cut all the bushes off at two feet above the ground. Jesus. Uh, we found the uh, Taliban had two donkeys that day. Uh, one donkey didn't make it. Um, they had machine guns and uh, uh, recoilless rifles, like uh, basically mortar tubes that shoot missiles uh, strapped to them. So we found one donkey. We found, we found hooves, two hooves. And I remember uh, fucking my sniper picked up the two hooves and was like, yelled at our platoon sergeant. It's like, to look and he's it's right you know freddie got fingered just come out mm-hmm. uh, a little bit before that and he was like look at my hooves you know he's like my hooves dad look at my hooves and he was like hey sergeant imagine like our sniper sitting there waving two two donkey hooves that are God like bless and he's man. like look at my hooves and we we're like what the fuck and so then we ended up going over uh clearing the mountain and going up to the objective but we didn't know where these guys were anymore and so all these Afghan guys, soldiers with us start shooting everywhere. They were like, oh, he's over there. And they start shooting all, all over this mountain. And we were trying to find where some of the guys had scattered. And sure as shit, I looked down and there's this one dude at the bottom of the valley behind behind a big boulder. I mean, like a fucking like five foot boulder. Mm-hmm. His butt sticking out on one end and his uh, knees, legs hanging out the other end. So my sniper gets him. Shoots him in the butt, blows Damn. his butt cheek clean off. <laughs> it fucking hit uh, from an angle. So we're up in a, on a ravine, like on a uh, ridge line. So shooting straight down, like down at a 45. Guy shot, but it hit, ricocheted off his hip bone, like his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, pelvis? Sh- yeah, but it hits, I can't remember the actual name, but it hits his pelvis bone basically. Um, and it ricochets off because your pelvis is really thick, thick bone. And it, ricochets off and blows this whole butt cheek it just goes in and then back out the way it came holy shit there was nothing like one butt cheek was gone i mean it was like <sighs> there wasn't much i could do but it was like to see that was like kind of, kind of kind of funny but when he got shot his leg went out to the front of the rock so i got him the kneecap and that was like right when Django and chain came out oh, they yeah. were like <laughs> oh kneecapping a motherfucker <laughs> wow <laughs> damn man and so we came down on him uh, and then we had the Afghan soldiers with us. Now, mind you, they had just gotten their whole outpost where they lived fucking wrecked. I mean, they had gotten their ship mortared and bombed and uh, shot up. So these guys were pretty fucking pissed, right? Mm-hmm. So they see this guy and he puts his hand, He we converge on him 
Now there's rules of engagement that you can do. You can clear an objective and by clearing an objective, you can, uh, you can shoot somebody up to a point to where you pass them. If you walk past a uh, combatant on a battlefield and you walk past him, you have to render aid. But when you get up to oh, somebody, so you have to help this person out. Yeah. Oh, so, shit. so you have a choice. You can either clear the objective, which is a double tap, if you will, uh, what they call a controlled pair now, because they can't say double tap. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so they saw this dude and he puts his hands up and he goes, don't shoot. I'm a Russian citizen. And I looked at all the Afghans. He was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, no. They were like ready to fucking murk this dude right in front of me. And I had to wow. like tell him, I was like, no. And then they started thinking like my interpreter, my Tajiman, got really pissed. He was like, fuck this dude. Fuck him. It's funny when you teach these interpreters how to cuss. Yeah. They're like, fucking fuck shit. <laughs> <laughs> fuck his house. Fuck his mother. <laughs> and so like, he's ready to fucking go. I mean, I'd be like, look, if you shoot him, I'm going to shoot you. And he was like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. I'll get into trouble. I was like, once we go past this dude, I can't do it. Yeah. And so I had to, at that point, I have to safeguard him legally. I could go to fucking Leavenworth if I yeah. fucking murk this dude afterwards. So I have to make sure he doesn't get murdered. And also they're pointing fucking weapons at me while I'm, you know, working on a guy. You know what I mean? Like a whole bunch of random Afghan soldiers that are, you know, trigger happy. Yeah. You know, they're, you don't want to fucking be, even if they did murk him, I was like right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, fuck, dude. A little bit of safety. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, Jesus, I don't want to fuck up my uniform. Yeah. <laughs> I got a clean one on. No, but uh, so I, I had to safeguard him and tell him they were pretty pissed at me. I had to give, uh, he had a, a dragon off. What's it, that? Uh, you never played Goldeneye. Uh, fucking, uh, it's like a badass AK-47. Okay. Uh, it's for mid-distance. Some people say it's a sniper, but it's a mid-distance AK-47. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, 600, 700 yard uh, weapon. Um, and really cool looking compared to, to the, you know, regular yeah. wooden buttstock AK-47s most of them had. So I gave him that. I had to carry this guy up a mountain to the first ridgeline that we were at so we could call a uh, uh, medevac for him once we cleared the rest of our objective and not give away our position. But nobody wanted to fucking carry him because he was bleeding everywhere. They were like, fuck him. So me and my sniper had to carry him, piggyback him up a mountain. Jesus. And when I say a mountain, like... I'll show you a picture sometime. There's like a picture of me with him and there's a mountain next to me. And that mountain's like going, at, uh, I don't know degrees, but like probably a 60 degree angle or mm-hmm. something straight up. And so we had to put him back and then get my, uh, one of the machine gunners to watch him at a machine gun nest. And then we went on to clear the rest of the objective and we go find like 29 dudes that had just gotten, gotten, uh, hit by the bombs that we, and the gun runs. And so there's one dude still alive that they literally, again, safety shit. These guys are fucking cowboys out there. The Afghanis don't, they have no fucks Mm -hmm. and they don't have the same training as us. So they were like, doc, there's a live guy alive, you know? And so I went over to try to try to see what I could do. And I get down and throw my aid bag down and I get down on my knee to him. And then all these Afghans that like I told not to fuck up the guy before, they just shot this guy like fucking five, six, seven, eight times, like right in front of me, just in the damn Christ, man. And so this dude's like sitting there and that's the big thing. So I get fucking personal on this. People don't fucking die right away. Like movies show you all this sort of shit. Like fucking some people, it takes a long time for them to die. They can get shot over and over again. You shoot something in the fucking skull, skull and they'll still crawl around. 
this dude was like fucking just still alive breathing, but like doing agonal breathing to where I remember my sniper was like, just breathe, buddy. And I finally had to be like, I had to push him into a wadi, like a stream just to have him quit fucking making crazy ass sounds. And I remember my platoon was like, Doc drowned a guy. (laughs) I was like, fuck you. I was like, like, I'm not going to sit here. My mental health would have been like eight times more fucked up if I had sat there for the 30 minutes it would have taken for him to fucking die. And you're like, holy shit. Like, that's the type of stuff people, you know, I'll tell some people about that, especially if people want to be suicidal or say, I'm like, things aren't like the movies, dude. I mean, that's, that was one of my first realizations where I, I understood somebody get shot multiple fucking times and then they'll still be crawling around on the floor and shit. You're like, yeah, fuck dude. And again, they did this. I was right there. So it could have ricocheted, say hit off his, um, Iliac crest is the hip bone. That's what I was thinking of. So you could hit, say, off your scapula, your shoulder bone. Uh-huh. You get shot in the shoulder bone. That, that'll pop right back out, and it'll fragment. And then Ugh. you'll have – I could get hit. You know, you, all sorts of crazy, stupid shit could happen with that sort of thing. That's why we, when we did do all, everything, you know, it's, there's angles. There's clearing. You have a guy next to – like if you uh, clear an objective, you have somebody in front and then somebody directly at a, like a right angle. So that way you never have crossed paths of bullets. You know, mm. bullets never cross streams, if you will, Ghostbuster style. Mm. Jesus Christ, man. So much to it. Like, yeah. It's like, so we take so much for granted, you know, like what you guys do or how we live our lives. And you guys are dealing with all this shit, man. And we complain about the dumbest shit. Oh, they're just over there killing babies. You know, that, that, <sighs> so dumb. So how is it? Is it? I've heard this. Do they put up a lot of like anti-american propaganda so you'll like pull it down and it's attached to some shit or you know some of the one thing about propaganda i could tell is i remember one kid i talked to in afghanistan i was trying to figure out i was trying to let him know that like 9-11 happened yeah they had no clue Mm. they thought like we were here and then they did 9-11 and retaliation yeah the lost in translation stuff between there's no real news out there. So mm. anything they've heard, they've just heard from like their uncle. And one day there was just um, Americans there. Yeah. It's just some of these kids, other kids, they've literally lived in a colonialization of where there's any kid born from 2002 on has lived their entire lives under some kind of American colonialism. Yeah. There not saying like the colonialism, like fucking AOC yeah. says, but like there's been a presence of people there that have always been around. Yeah. And so that's the one thing that I think where everybody messed up and I'm not going to get into politics and pull out or whatnot, but they used to always say, uh, back in the day long, like Alexander the great type, uh, war tactics was that you could fuck the hate out of somebody. Mm. And that being said is not, that means you can intertwine your cultures and let, I think it's two generations and within two generations of that, if you keep it up, you can change the outlooks of everybody Yeah, to where everybody's like, well, these guys are cool. I've known them for 20 years and my uncle knows them. Yeah. You know? And so it's backed up. We only went one generation deep. And then a lot of that shit, you know, we left an impression, very impressionable kids there and then left them with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. And that was a big thing. They told us a lot. They were like, they, at that time, they had a thing called a uh, coin. It was called uh, counterinsurgency. So they called it hearts and minds, winning the hearts and minds of the people. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of 
fucking gay to us because we're like, I want to shoot people. Yeah. And they literally had us do what they called key leader engagements, which I got, I got fed a lot, got a lot of tea, but we'd go to villages and just sit there with our platoon leader, our lieutenant, our platoon sergeant, and then sit with whoever was the head King Dingaling of whatever turret island we were on mm-hmm. and just be like, what can we do to you for you? Like I've, I've literally, I've built benches for a school one week. I sat there and I'm just, we had lumber and we brought out prefabricated like lumber, brought it out with drills and made benches mm. for just for these kids, just to fucking let them know that we're not the bad guys. Yeah. And the fucking crazy thing is I've literally been on in one village with uh, the Afghan uh, border police army guys giving out like uh, blankets, soccer balls, like a whole UNICEF fucking uh, gimme package. And then I saw the Taliban pull up on the other side of the ma- other side of the village with their uh, Toyota vans, those little uh, four by four vans, like um, I can't remember the name of it. Hi, Hi Ace, Hi Ace, like van. the one from uh, Back to the Future. Well, that's a uh, that's the uh, that's Volkswagen. Oh, but the they it's like a Toyota, like an old eighties nineties Toyota soccer oh, van. Okay, but they use those that are like their four wheel drive, and they pulled up. We were on one side of the village. They were giving out fucking grain and wheat and different shit and rice on the other side of the village. Mm-hmm. And then, like, some of the kids would be like, oh, go over there. And then, like, they get sent by their family to go to the other side. So we were literally fighting, like, talking to people, talking to villages that were literally in cahoots with the Taliban and us. Wow. They were just, was, like, happy to get stuff. Yeah, they're right? just I mean, getting stuff. They're, this is probably dirt, more than they ever had. Yeah. They're poor. We were helping pay for their agriculture and keeping them, like, growing stuff. And then the Taliban would keep them fed. And then whoever, like literally, it would be whoever gave them more goodies that day could probably end up better. And so it's kind of weird seeing the Taliban adapt to our sort of same stuff. Yeah. To where. That's interesting. You know, I never thought about how like they didn't have information to what happened. Yeah. No clue. You know. But they knew who Michael Jackson is. Hilarious. That was my baseline. I'd be like, (laughs) Michael Jackson? Also, the other person. That's that's a star, man. They knew who John Cena was. Really? Kids would walk by and go, you can't see me. <laughs> really? Because evidently every no, soldier, fuck. every soldier would do that. And he became, John Cena is like, if you, if you know this, John Cena, you're a fucking uh, celebrity in Afghanistan. <laughs> and they'll be like, Batista, no good. <laughs> no good Batista. They were, they had a big rivalry. Yeah. yeah they right. fucking these kids. Fucking so, so like, I guess through the years, soldiers have brought, you know, um, magazines and different stuff pop culture to where they literally knew john cena and there'd be a kid kids would walk by you'd be in a fucking random village and they'd give you the you can't see me you'd be like fuck yeah give him a candy bar give him a fucking candy bar <laughs> wow but yeah they we knew we we were in somewhere that was fucking really remote when they didn't know john we, we would like michael jackson was because that was michael jackson had died that year oh okay so uh that was a big thing Another thing we used to do is it's called when we'd be out there, we have no internet access or phones for a while. And you could, people would just come up with rumors. Somebody came up with a rumor that, uh, Brad Pitt died. <laughs> You'll never fucking, a whole bunch of fucking, again, 20 or mid twenties, <laughs> alpha males going, man, I can't believe fucking Brad Pitt died, man. Fuck. Can you believe that? <laughs> Fuck man. It ruined fucking Troy, man. He's fucking Achilles. <laughs> and then turned out that was fake. Damn. Somebody had just come back from R and R and was like, "Brad Pitt died." <laughs> <laughs> so I come back from fucking R and R. 
Michael Jackson had just died. The uh, OxyClean guy died that same week. And oh, somebody yeah. else died. Billy Mays. Billy Mays. Yeah, Billy Mays. <laughs> Billy Mays Hayes here. So I come back and they're like, automatically, you know, me, it's, I fucking come up with bullshit and joking and messing with people all the time anyways. Yeah. I'm like, Michael Jackson died. They're like, get out of here. I'm like, and the OxyClean guy died. They're like, get the fuck out of here. You're fucking with, you know what I mean? And then they, then like a, a couple weeks later, you know, the Rolling Stones magazine comes out and we read it and they're like, he fucking won lying. Oh, fucking God. Michael Jackson, man. He wrote Thriller. <laughs> Like wow. fucking the amount of like just being uh, remote, going from one where to where you could have information at uh, a finger snap away and then mm-hmm. taking that all away from yeah. you guys. And especially this back 2009, 2010 to where it's still in its infancy, infancy of like Googling stuff and, yeah. you know, Google me wrong type shit. So it was just kind of funny to be able to fuck with people like that and be so out of the loop. Jesus Christ, man. Fuck, I didn't even, I came back and I I didn't know MySpace wasn't cool anymore. (laughs) I was still wearing Ed Hardy (laughs) t-shirts. I fucking, oh my God. I I remember I said something, some girl was at a concert at uh, Tunica. Went to Stone Temple Pilots. My sister and her friend took me and was like, I'd just come home from Afghanistan and wearing what I wore a year and a half prior. Mm. And wearing some fucking... uh, It was Rock like, Revival jeans and an Ed Hardy shirt. Like, Look at that loser over there. And she was like, I was like, this is an awesome concert. She was like, nice shirt, dick. And I was like, <laughs> this is a cool shirt. <laughs> Remember that Ed Hardy party they did at uh, yes. fucking King Biscuit? Yeah. <laughs> that was like, what the fuck? And then I was like, why is everyone wearing this shit? And I never... Anything I mean, oh, that was, but I was like DJ. What's his name? Uh, Flip. Flip. Yeah, he went to Kirby for a bit with. Them. Yeah, he um he's down in Dallas, dude. He's he's fucking murdering it down there. Nice. Like he's all over the scene. Like he's the go to DJ still. He's one of those dudes that never aged too, because he was like four years older than me. Mm-hmm. I remember he was, or maybe five. He was four years older, so I was in eighth grade when he was a senior. Mm. So I knew, you know, I never went to high school with him, but knew had friends that went to high school with him. Yeah, and. Jack Frost graduated with him too, or oh, a year right. older. So it was kind of cool to like grow up around that and see everything going going on. And you're like, yeah, hey man. And then the, playing the Kirby card, like, I went to Kirby. Like, oh yeah, what's up, man? <laughs> but yeah, that dude doing some stuff with him was pretty cool. With King Biscuit, him and Tree were fucking always. I remember King Biscuit. That was the time I, I hung out a bunch. I'd get off work at a uh, Flying Saucer. Yeah, and I'd go help flip. Sometimes I'd help him tear down because we were doing. I was. Helping doing a lot of shows, getting like muck sticky on uh, yeah. events that he did, like rooftop parties at, at Gibson Guitar and whatnot. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Damn. And, uh, but I remember sitting there and uh, Paul Gasol, it was back in Paul and uh, uh, Miller, Mike Miller, Mike Miller, mm. fucking back when he played. We, I remember just sitting there beside them in the DJ booth, like, I felt like I was like the littlest giant. (laughs) What's up, guys? Hey, I'm six foot four. Can I be in your group? (laughs) So that Paul Gasol at the time, he was dating uh, one of the girls that went to Kirby with me. Uh, She actually was on Playboy with the University of Memphis when they did Conference USA. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what she was. I forget. I can't remember her name for the life of me. Candace, maybe Uh, something. But so he was dating her. And another girl, they were Grizzlies cheerleaders. He was dating two girls and not like I date two girls. Yeah. He did left arm, right arm. He was at, used to be at a uh, uh, Fox and a Hound. Yeah. I remember he'd be, all the time. Both of them, them. And then I remember one time we played 
ping pong at fucking Fox and a Hound. And a bunch of my buddies walk up and they see Paul Gasol and me doubled over a ping pong table. We're <laughs> <laughs> like both of us just bent over at the Hunched waist over, like, <laughs> playing. They're like, this is the funniest fucking thing to see. Fucking the two lankiest guys in Memphis fucking playing. I remember seeing that guy like at uh, the spot back in the day. Because mm-hmm. that's, I guess they had nothing else to do. Like they were just hanging out like normal people. So, um, I didn't know him, but when I when we when I was working at one five two, he was coming. He used to come to one five two by himself, like early as fuck, not knowing anybody because he was like a big star yet, you know everything. Not knowing anybody, he would just be hanging out. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Uh, they told me to come check on you. Do you need anything? They was like, I mean, what's going on here? And, you know, I was like, what do you mean? It's like it's fucking nine thirty, dude. Like <laughs> people don't go out. I was like, wait till one o'clock next time to come out, and you know, you know, and because uh, he thought maybe the club. Something happened or something. There was nobody in there, and I was like, "Nah, man, you just you just you just came a little early today." What Whoop. was this now? At one five two. Oh, yeah. Because when we got all those professional players, they really had. We didn't have an infrastructure for like, yeah, you know, a little high end place or someone would go to Cal's or whatever. It's like that. Jer- was your Joe Burrow? He said that's why they were so successful in Cincinnati because there's not shit to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's fucking yeah, Cincinnati. I got a got two Joe that fucking uh. uh Super Bowl cost me some money. Did it? Yeah. How much did you bet? I didn't bet. Did any you do FanDuel's or which one did you use? I don't bet like that. Here. Um, show him your uh, Joe Burrow moment last night. <laughs> he so, fucking Joe Burrow. I got Joe Burrow like a... Oh, dude. Rated rookie card. Got two of them. So... <laughs> Ten. Oh, this motherfucker just goes, oh, I got two of them. <laughs> so I banked all the money on that, thinking that Damn. if he won the fucking Super Bowl, people were already, uh, they were going to double in value overnight. Yeah. So I was going to flip that. And literally now they're like, it's stagnant. It's still the same. Yeah. I didn't lose any money. Did you buy them or did you actually pull them? Oh, I bought these. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with cards now, with uh, COVID, you have to get them PSA graded. Yeah, It costs 100 bucks a uh, card. Unless you're like an actual uh, work for Tennessee card company and have like a uh, a membership thing doing it yeah. mm-hmm. as a broker or whatever, so now there's no money in really pulling them or buying it without it being graded because they could be brand new out of the box and the motherfucker would give it an eight. Um, really? So on on Facebook, I forget the group's name. I think it might be Grand Slam Grand Slam Collectibles or something like that. There's one. It's a big card company. You know, the people will buy. Packs of cards, right? Like online, mm-hmm. so it's so like so they'll open them for them, like on like Facebook Live or whatever. And all right, well, now we're opening. Who's who's who's? And they have their name, you know that. And they open them really slow. They have gloves on, and if it's a good card, they instantly put it in a sleeve and a hard case, and then they mail it to PSA for you. Mm. Or whatever, or maybe they have. Maybe they have this a, what happened oh, yeah. with that Logan Paul thing, whatever he was. Yeah, doing the Pokemon f- cards or whatever. Yeah, so oh, like yeah. that. So apparently, everyone's gotten their money back, even the guy that sold the cards to Logan Paul. Like, no, but I'm saying is that how the kind of same process? Yeah, yeah. So that was a factory. I don't. That's that's that that's a whole different thing right there because they're saying how was this graded if they didn't if how who who allowed this to happen? Was and, it a stunt? Do you think? Knowing no. who that guy is. Can I do a Bratton break? Yeah, yeah. yeah I gotta drizzle my whistle real quick. Yeah. Oh. Um, but it was just like, you know, that's a good idea. I'm gonna go to. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been needing to go for like an hour. 
Man, you've lived a fucking life, man. Oh, I'm leaving here. Barely even talked about, like, say, like, the beforehand. I haven't even talked about Memphis Wrestling. I talked about, like... Yeah, I have that also, like, you know, I make notes, you know? Uh-huh. Like, and, uh, like, I wanted to start with the Army stuff, and then, like, I was like, you know, let's, uh... And then I was going to be like... We're going to have to come back for part two. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just so much to talk about because you've done so much shit. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, dude, I was at a birthday party last week and there was a whole bunch of new, like, hot little moms there that are married or whatnot. Yeah. Just, but they were like, so what do you do? Or like, I see you every day walking. And I'm like, and I started telling them, they're like, oh my God, like, it's like keeps going and going. And they're like, <laughs> what else did what? But yeah. But yeah, so like, so they opened, so the whole thing, now that you say that, it may have been a stunt, but yeah, I, mean, I don't. Logan Paul. But no, this was PSA. I don't know if it's PSA. But what's the other grading company called? Uh, there's Beckett. Uh, because then, uh, PSA JS. is like the PSA is like PSA is the top, the top, you. right? Yeah, but I forget the name. Beckett uh, J- JSA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it may have been one of the other ones, but like, so the 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 thing was <laughs> that's fucking awesome. It was graded. It was factory sealed, and then it ended up being. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cards or something? Yeah, I saw that. It was uh, they packed them in a. Cause that's what when it, they opened up the pack that was sealed. It was in a sealed case. Yeah, and then they broke that, and it turned out to be fake, fake. Yeah, it was just crazy, man. Oh, you got some. Got some yeah, we got the Jaw Morant with a uh, that has Young Dolph in it and Key Glock. So why did There's this a one card like that? Yeah, it's. Uh, they once when uh, Young Dolph died, oh. they found out everybody was like, "Oh yeah, this was you a got card two that he's of them, on." Dude. I got a bunch at home of this card. Yeah, I got all the uh, bronze. That's a bronze one. That's a teal one. I got a pink. Uh, then they have the regular silver. That's cool as shit, man. But uh, so yeah, this is the second time a big cameo's been on a basketball card. The first time was the 1991, 1990, 1991 Mark Jackson card mm-hmm. of NBA hoops that had the Menendez brothers. Courtside. That's. I think wild. I shared that after they, they killed his the, parents, their parents, using their parents' seats. seats. <laughs> Damn, dude. So that's like a you know that card. I have that too. Do you really? Yeah. Fuck. I've had that for years. Jeez. I've known about that one. My buddies all are always like, oh, "Fuck you, my mm. little my little Joe Montana card don't mean shit no more." <laughs> no, just kidding. But no, uh, I saw that and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Whoever has these graded in mint condition. Shit, man, the fuck, especially right now with the market being so fucking hot. When the John Morant went right after Young Dolph died and everybody found out that Young Dolph was on those. uh, Let's just say Young Dolph's autograph went from like, I saw one dude that had it for like 5,000 bucks and then I saw him for like 10,000. So these cards were going, normally they were like 100 bucks, maybe 200 for like a a graded 10. Yeah. The uh, 10s were going for six, 700 bucks. Instantly, like overnight, uh, graded, or graded, graded. Uh, they were up to like a thousand, some of them about a thousand bucks. Um, people, I bought, I bought a nine for 300 or 150, 300. I think 150 is the most I paid. And that's like ridiculous because within a week and a half of it happening, they all went right back down. They went down again to where it's like a normal average price. Mm-hmm. They plateaued and then, but so. Yeah, it's hit or miss. That's kind of where I, I started uh, doing that to kind of diversify my portfolio, if you will, to where I didn't, you know, didn't want to get on the Doge kick and everything that yeah. I've been doing. So, literally, been doing uh, the cards and cassettes. 
I try to I try to get like into- what kind of cassettes like VHS? Uh, no audio. See, I heard I have that some VHS, VHS tapes are like popular now. So, like, so apparently, if you, if you people or anybody listening has or if their mom has like their old Disney VHS, the tapes. Disney classics has to be the Black Diamond ones. Yeah, what Dude, does that mean? It's it has like a, a black diamond on the like side, a logo, like mm. a thing on there, and those are worth. Shit. It depends on which ones. There's certain ones that are upwards. I've got a bunch at home, and then uh, the original Fox uh, release of uh, Star Wars on VHS. Or worth a good bit of money. Um, it's so crazy. What is it? There was a Honus <laughs> Wagner card that sold the other day or a couple weeks ago, whatever it was. The card was like, it was missing half. It was like kind of like this torn, you know, mm-hmm. but it still fetched like $350,000 at auction. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, uh, there was one card out of the John Morantz that came out. There was one that was a platinum color, and they only made one. Yeah, one of the platinum ones, and somebody found it and had it on, had it graded, and it got graded at as a nine, only a nine or something. I think it was eight or nine. What's the scale go to? Ten. Oh, okay. Ours go to eleven. But uh, so they they found a platinum one, and the guy had it for sale for fifteen thousand dollars. What the fuck? Buy a fucking car. You know what I mean? Like that's some dude found that one, and some of the other. You know, it just depends. But yeah, the other cassettes, I do audio cassettes. Like I have, I've been told by, you know, some sources. Oh, you got a legit I have, collection. I have dude. the biggest collection in Memphis. At really? Least. And this is from like hip hop guys. Like every, like Skinny Pimp, Al Capone, anybody out there, like French Boy and Lil White all know, like have told me I have the biggest collection. I'm the only person that has like say Lil White's, I got Lil White's album sealed. Like the Doubt Me Now, like, and that was right before they quit making uh, You're a bit, you post I got this two one? stacks. I can do that twice. I have uh, the whole T-shirt. Yeah, the 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 first five releases after Thirty Six Chambers. So I have probably four uh, purple tapes from uh, Raekwon. Those are worth about a thousand bucks now. Jesus Christ, man! So the purple tapes go for. I, they're going for about six seven hundred bucks on auction uh, right now. So wow. when I started buying them, they were like, I paid a hundred bucks for the first one. So maybe. what are people doing with these tapes? Sitting on them, just uh, go play them. I mean, I was when I was living in California in the Bay Area, I'd see all my buddies would come up and want to go record shop, go to record stores, yeah. look at records. And I saw these young kids, like the 20 year olds, were digging through cassettes and they were like, literally, they were like, this could be the next thing. And so I started started going and buying all the Memphis rap that I could, and yeah. where I'd find uh, Memphis hip hop. So I got that. I have more eight ball. I've, Almost every eight ball and MJG cassette. Now I got. Go ahead, go. I'm sorry. Do they even have this stuff? No. Like, no. <laughs> so he has. I met him. He has. Yeah. So they, they came. Yeah. So they own a brewery uh-huh. called um, Beale Street Brewing. Eight ball and MJG. And, and, well, somebody else owns and it, but they, 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 the, they have a beer with them, right? Oh, okay. They have two beers, I think. No, Penny has a beer. Uh, they have one. Hypnotized Minds. Hip, yeah. They have Hypnotized Minds from 36. Six they picks. have uh, uh, Space. Whatever the space age simp, pimp sipping, dude. It's like the cans. The cans are what. Dude, the artwork is amazing. Yeah, the really? cans are what's selling the beer because the 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 logos like like Carlos said, they're freaking awesome. Like you, you see that, you're like that's fucking cool. I want to buy that just so I can keep a can in my collection uh, or something. Okay, but you know the beer's not bad. But you know like, so it's a collectible. Yeah, I th- I think like you know you have, you have you have the penny, you have the three six, you have the eight ball MJG one. I got that penny barbecue. Yeah, like you know like it's like you know it's cool like you know like. That, that they have a niche and that's what they're doing. You know, mm. they're, 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 they're 
getting with Memphis people, you know, they're, they're, they're Memphis, you know? So that's, that's, I think that's one of how they're selling pretty decently. Yeah. So they did that tour of Memphis last year where they literally, you would have thought fucking somebody, the president was driving around Memphis. They had a police escort and went to liquor store to liquor store all around mm-hmm. uh, Memphis and did like a, a little photo meet and greet. And so I, I'd met him before and hung out a few times at a, a Peabody rooftop parties and stuff yeah. doing m- music. And so they knew who I was and literally like their manager or whoever was like, what you got in that case? And I was like, I opened it up and he literally moved me to the front of the line. And I've never heard like MJG involved in just going, damn, damn, damn. It's, I had like, awesome. I had MJG's album, like a solo album, the no, no more glory at a whole bunch. Like what, um, who else? Skinny Pimp hits me up and is always trying to buy fucking his tapes off me. That's so crazy. He's trying to buy his own shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because you never think to hey keep the originals like yeah. that. You, you know, sold. like you just and 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 your collections in good condition, man. And like, Memphis, yeah. I don't buy a lot from Memphis. Yeah. Because imagine a cassette tape that got kept in a car in Memphis. It'd be all hot, yeah. hot, sweaty, st- steamy, humid car gets up to 120, 130 degrees yeah. in here. You know when it's closed. Yeah. And then extreme colds mixed in. Nobody uses a fucking garage. So that thing sits there. <laughs> they really don't. Not so in Memphis, man. Anytime I've gotten a tape from Memphis, I've put it in once and played it. And then it'll like, uh, come off track. The lead lead will come off the tape thing. Oh, you use the different, pencil? The glue. Oh, <laughs> you have to literally, I've fucked up so many like expensive ass tapes because I did not do the pencil thing. Like your parents taught you yeah. choose the thing. Cause now they're that glue that's, puts the two tapes together is rigid and uh, will brittle. And so it'll, it'll break if it goes through the, the pad to get red. Wow. Red. So this tape. means with the, with the market being like this, that means it's going to be a bunch of fakes coming out now. There are, right. I've, people have been reprinting a lot. Um, I've throw, I send a lot of stuff to like say computer from three, six out, send them all the uh, bootleg copies of people, basically bootlegging three, six music, whether it be uh gangster boo, uh, It'd be actual like you know project pad i've like player flies albums i have i sent player fly this and he was like man fuck that motherfucker <laughs> and he was like what'd you do and i was like i i reported him he's like good report that motherfucker anytime you see that shit and i'm like fucking i have to report people for copyright infringement and stuff and then it takes forever for anything you'll see it get shut down and then about a month later it'll pop back up again uh, somebody to have know this world existed it's, and it's, then it's crazy they're redoing a lot of tapes say like dr dre just released out the the chronic which basically meant my all of my copies went up in value because there's a whole bunch of twenty dollar ones that everybody's buying. Yeah, and Skinny Pimp's big brother, uh, Trill, uh, Trill Trill Hill Tapes, he has uh, he's been reprinting their own tapes out of their masters because they had their own. So they're actually making money off of theirs, selling them for like fifteen twenty bucks a piece. But then I literally see people buy those from. Uh, Skinny Pimp's brother, they're like legit from Gimme Some uh, Records, and then they'll sell them for 50, 60 bucks online. Somebody Where the else. fuck are you getting a tape player at? And that's another That's another thing. I got, that's an, uh, I find tape players like Walkmans and like old school ones. Yeah. Like the uh, Star Lord Walkman, like that original. Really? Walkman, like the, that's worth like a thousand bucks. If you can you find it. Do you have that? 
Nah, I is got that like the I got the ninety nineteen ninety one. No, that's the one from um. That's the Talkman. Oh, okay. that's the uh, Gar- Guardians Talk- of the Galaxy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Chris yeah, yeah, Pratt. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, he, he knew the Walkman he uses. It's like that's, the original nineteen eighty one, nineteen seventy nine Walkman. It's going for a thousand dollars, if not more. Well, it's like Jesus you know, it, like you know, I watch that show American Pickers every now and then and stuff like that. Yeah, like you know, they they want the older stuff because it's built better. You told me, remember? Like yeah. that, that's what's so expensive. And the Japanese stuff, you yeah, want. and like the stuff that I. I, I didn't go to this little Dixie Pickers over here uh, on off Yates right here, mm-hmm. but like apparently they have like old signs and shit like that, you know. So in a lot of my stores, we have uh, a couple of my stores, I should say, we have a bunch of uh, old like tin tackers, yeah, like a beer, like different beer. And dude, some of these are so old. I'm like, dude, maybe I can convince them like let me have these or something. I'm just give them like something or something. I don't know because. They're, they're worth money. Yeah. yeah you, you know, know like, like uh, stag beer yeah, and a couple like, beers that do, don't make just, anymore. Yeah, if you it's, find it's, it's just like, I'm like, I took, a, I took one out of account the other day and gave it to my brother. It was just a regular chilada, you know, but like, it's like, dude, this is, you know, these are going to be worth some money. Like, especially at this one store, he's got so many old ones just on the wall, not doing shit. So are, do you think CDs are next? No, CDs are weird. They scratch up. Uh, they weren't as, See, a big thing with cassettes that makes them valuable is the fact that they're destruction. The they they break. Mm. They're they're uh, uh, delicate, if you will. Okay. Um, then the other thing, like eight tracks, the way that they printed the labels and everything, they oxidize to where they're none of them are good. Like if you look at any eight track label, it's just got some paper label on the outside. Yeah. And that throughout time, just being at a room temperature will uh, degrade it to where they're not, they don't hold their value. Mm. And so since it's printed, uh, the print can come off, Yeah, you know, really easily. So if you have a cassette that doesn't have scratches, doesn't have stuff on it, you know, it still has all the print on it and a good J card that comes out. That's a big thing. Like, uh, and it works. I mean, you like again. You keep keep a cassette in a hot car; it'll fuck it up in no time. So yeah. you'd have to put that uh, pad back on and redo a whole bunch of stuff. I've done some crazy surgery on some tapes here. They're trying to fix fuck, them. Man. It's kind of like you know. Video, I, mean, I don't know if you do video games or not, but like in video games, you know, like old NESs and uh, consoles and games and you know Genesis games. Like if you have the, if you have the full complete kit like where it's like the With case, the, book. the booklet, and the game in it, mm-hmm. and it's sealed and it's a fucking collector's game. You can get like a couple hundred dollars if it's, it's, you know, but like I found like, I just happened to see this at my parents' house the other day, um, one of my old Genesis games. And I just Googled, you know, to see how much it was worth because I had the whole thing, you know, it was worth like 80 bucks. Yeah. You know, and like, you I think this thing's like 30 years old now, right? Or something yeah. like that. I was like, damn, maybe in like 20 more years or 30 years, it's going to be more because people want the original old shit again, man. Like, yeah. There's always a market for something. And it just, all of a sudden that, unknown market was become the next thing like like his cassettes like you know yeah. until he started posting them i never really even looked into it i was like man damn yeah cassettes that is you know people want that shit again yeah and the fact i mean what back in, i even have like one of skinny pimps uh mi- kind of a mixtape but it's the one that he sold out of his trunk the lady b that's uh something for the streets that's supposed to be a female artist Turned out it actually was Skinny Pimp singing as a woman. <laughs> and so like the first track or two is an actual woman and the other tracks are all him. And they've had audiophile guys like literally rewind, like put the, take the treble away and add bass. And you're like, holy shit, that's Skinny Pimp's voice. Wow. It sounds that that's the whole like MCP pants from Aqua Teen Hunger Force type, type flow that they, they just did it to where they turned down the bass 
put up the treble and made it into a chick's voice. And so I have one of those that literally has a paper uh, label on it. That's some dude uh, I have for sale on eBay. And some dude hit me up yesterday with like, that's the fakest motherfucking shit I've ever seen. And I was like, actually, I'm from Memphis. And you can fucking get Skinny Pimp to... Uh, I, can, I can actually I can get give you contact. To, yeah. He was, like, his name. <laughs> he was like, it just looks too clean. I was like, that's because I've had it since it came out. And I've never I've played it like twice. And I was <laughs> what like... Do you, what do you think the next thing is going to be? Did you already ask this? Mm-mm. No. Sorry. No, I asked about CDs. Oh, yeah, okay, that's right. CDs nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is every funny? Time, every time people ask, every time, nuts, every time someone asks, blah, 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 question, I'm like, Bofa? You know, I always tell my Bofa, they're like, oh, what's that? I was like, both of these nuts. <laughs> like, it's like, the, it's like the most, it could be like the most mom post, like someone's posted. I'm like, oh, check out Bofa. <laughs> and like, here I am. Like, now, like, uh, independent, independent uh, labels and different things for CDs, like Triple Six Mafia stuff. There's a market for that. Uh, player fly CDs are worth about a hundred bucks a piece. Damn. Most CDs are about 15 to 20 nowadays. If any kind of old, you know, three, six CDs, you'd probably get for 30 bucks a piece. Player flies go for a hundred bucks all day long. Um, for just the CDs like Y2K or different. Why, why do you think he's the worst so much more? Limited press, uh, release, limited release. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, cause he did it all his own. Um, I think, he, I can't remember the actual uh, company that he, he started, but he was pushing them out on his own and then had uh, selecto hits who were, you know, printing. Mm-hmm. So everybody had their own deals doing it themselves. So this stuff like, you know, uh, skinny pimp stuff is really rare. Uh, but the even rare stuff is the rare stuff is say from profit entertainment from when, uh, you know, DJ Paul and Juicy J stuff before it was hypnotized minds mm-hmm. when it was everybody, when skinny pimp was there, player fly, uh, a couple of the Ooh. other, uh, uh, guys that you know you don't really hear about anymore, like the T T Rock and K Rock, and a couple of random people that were all involved in it and dissipated around 1995. But some some of that stuff is worth a lot, like uh, the Profit Entertainment things. And then after it's like the anything that Selecto Hit put out that's like a Memphis hip hop thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is uh, you see, it's huge in Europe is Tommy Wright the Third. Uh, you know, you could walk, ask some kid that's a, say he's a hip hop fan that's like under 30 in Memphis. You'd ask him who Tommy Wright the third is and they'd be like, might have no clue. Yeah. You go to ask some dude from Germany, be like, it's Tommy Wright the third. Be like Memphis rap number one. You know what I mean? I, fucking, I don't think they talk like that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an immigrant. <laughs> oh shit, man. But yeah, uh, it's crazy to see like that sort of thing. The people who are smaller here are huge, huge presence in Europe. How'd you get into music? Well, I've always been around it. I grew up, uh, my great aunt and uncle are, they make uh, what they call mountain, they used to make mountain dulcimers. So I used to be around music and uh, they did a dulcimer festival. So it's kind of like bluegrass. So my whole life I was around that uh, and started playing piano, uh, taking piano lessons at uh, back when it was Chef's Lane Chef's Music before Scott Lane op- bought it in Germantown. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to take piano lessons there. Took bass guitar lessons from uh, Ed Finney, who's a beatnik dude from that taught out at Germantown. He's still out there, I think. And so I took bass guitar lessons and got into doing a lot of uh, playing with bands in Memphis. And my dad, dad's really good friends with the old keyboardist from Big Ass Truck back in the nineties. Oh wow, like, you know. And so he worked with uh, one of my dad's best friends, 
And so I used to go to a lot of parties that like big ass truck would play, play at it's like a little swanky 34 people our age back in the nineties. Yeah. And so I'd play with them, hop on and play bass and whatnot and started doing stuff at new Daisy a lot. Okay. And then that's that from the music kind of got into, uh, from wrestling and that's, Doing this wrestling, working for <laughs> Jerry the King Lawler. Used to go to the, uh, what's it called, to the Tunica casinos. And I used to dress, I used to go to, I bought, a, this is back when uh, Rounders just came out. A little bit like 2001. Rounders had come out, whereas, you know, Matt, uh, Matt Damon playing poker and stuff. And that was and awesome. It was movie, right man. when they first even started playing uh, uh, poker on ESPN2. You know, it's like you could see it. Chris Moneymaker. Moneymaker. Yeah. Right when he, I've played against him a few times. Really? When he first started, uh, he came to a couple games and or we had a, a prize games at Clicks. Oh, okay. Dude, and then went thing. to a couple of after hours games with him before he got on the tour. But that was, so I got into big doing poker and I'd dress up in a leisure suit. I'd wear like a 70s leisure suits and just be a jackass. I'd fucking get pretty drunk, get high as fuck, like smoking weed all the, like the whole time. And the other people would be smoking cigarettes and I'd just sit there with a bowl of weed, just fucking getting ripped. And they'd think I was just too stoned to really know what I was talking about. And I'd yeah. be like, come all in. They'd be like, I'm going to call him. Fuck him. He's high. And, and I'd take these guys out and stuff. And finally, one time I was at the casinos and, uh, one of my buddies is a wrestler and he was out there and they were like, they all guess were watching me be an asshole to these older guys. And I was playing a limit table. I was playing like a four, eight limit table, like to where I was playing like no limit. And I'd get a, a shitty hand and I'd be like, I'm all in. <laughs> they like, hate that shit, man. Sir, sir, this is a limit table. Oh, well, eight. Because <laughs> <laughs> when, when I get drunk at the fits, you know, and I'll play like they're like, sir, you're not paying attention again. Oh, uh, surprise surprise hit me hit me hit. what no. sir this is roulette <laughs> yeah so i i'd play like an asshole and these old people would be like motherfucker i'm folding you know and i wouldn't have shit and i'd i'd sometimes have one of my buddies who was a cop get me out of the table and so i'd after i'd win a bunch of hands and so one time they'd see me all they were watching me and they were like this guy's fucking pissing people off and they were digging it yeah and i saw that jerry Lawler was watching me so i was like putting it on a little stronger and so started fucking with all these people and then got done and went over and talked to my buddy. And they were like, is this what you do? And I was like, oh, for extra money. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm a bartender. And they were like, you're a bartender and you just go around like this, dressed like this in a fucking leisure suit. <laughs> in like 2002, 2003, just like, yeah. And I was like, can you, can you talk shit to like a big guy? And I go, fuck, I'll, I'll, talk, to, I'll talk shit to any steroid freak. You know, I was like telling them, they were like, all right, come in on Saturday. I thought like, they sent me to Dyersburg, Tennessee, to a house show after Memphis Wrestling, to mm -hmm. where they did house shows. They'd film every other weekend on Saturday morning. They film at UPN 30. And then we'd go to Dyersburg uh, on Saturday nights. And so I started doing house shows there. And under the they, – they asked me, they're like, so what's your, your stage name? And I was like, well, everybody calls me Crazy Carl. And they were like <laughs> – you can't go out there as crazy Carl dressed like that. And so, yeah. so they came up with that at the time they were like, you're Craven Moorhead. And so I used that as my name for yeah. about a year as Craven Moorhead as like a seventies pimp where it's kind of like Huggy Bear from Starsky yeah. and Hutch. Yeah. It was like a mixture of Huggy Bear and uh, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> 
where I'd come out uh, dancing to uh, my entrance music was Super Freak by Rick James. Because that was, again, Chappelle show, second season had just come out. Yeah. You know, the I'm rich, bitch. Yeah. Fucking, in the, <laughs> fucking the whole thing. So uh, when that came out, I mean, my entrance music hit up right at the same time with pop culture being you know, yeah. a huge Super Freak thing. And uh, then that got big to where... I my MySpace page. I got a really nice letter on MySpace from a band called Craven Moorhead from Chicago. And they were like, we just copyrighted this and her had a trademark or one or the other. And they were like, we just want to let you know. And they didn't threaten me. It was just one of those, like the most professional way to say, change your name. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, totally understand guys. Best of luck. Fucking yeah. So at the time I just started doing stuff with Muck Sticky and, uh, singing with him as a hype guy. And they were like, and I told him I needed a name change. And I remember he called me back later that night and he goes, Craven Snatches! <laughs> Craven Snatches! <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, dude, that's amazing. Like, he was like, go down, snatch his trace! <laughs> and, and so that started the whole Craven Snatches thing to where it even got me to where I couldn't use my name on the TV. They were like, Jerry Lawler was like, what the fuck do you think I can do with this? Yeah. He was like, it's 1130 in the morning. I can't be yelling out Craven Snatches. Because yeah. I came out with a, I was part of the Lawler Army when they had Macklin Militia and Lawler Army stuff. And I came out with him to help out. And they were like, going to give me a good push and mm-hmm. have me on TV with the actual stuff other than just having me run out and help somebody. And, and he literally was like, I can't say this on Saturday morning fucking cartoons just got off you know yeah. what i mean and, yeah <laughs> but so did that for the longest time doing helping out memphis wrestling on tv and so hollywood his name is hollywood the midget is his actual stage name so yeah. he sung he was in muck sticky but he was also a memphis wrestler he's a wrestling little person and uh maybe he's shorty from fonts also <laughs> nah man <laughs> no, i'm just kidding and so I teamed up with him and he was, I did a lot of, uh, we used to wrestle women together. Are you serious? It'd be like, uh, it'd be like, uh, we did bra and panty, panty matches or underwear matches to yeah. where the fans would think, you know, I'm going to rip this chick's shirt off and they're going to be, you know, last person to wear the bra and panties wins uh-huh. or loses or whatever. Yeah. And then, then it'd be like some girls, girls would rip off my clothes and I'd have to run off with uh, boxers on, you know, <laughs> like underwear yeah. and then run out. So Hollywood and I are wrestling women. They've, uh, and then so one day he finally was like, so I'm, uh, I'm doing this singing thing with this guy named Muck Sticky. And I was like, okay, cool. And I go, let me, <laughs> let me hear this stuff. And yeah. it's like, and he plays me this stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? And if you've <laughs> never heard this stuff, he's much pothead music sounds like, uh, Tally from, or what is it? Mr. Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo. Oh yeah. <laughs> sounds like Mr. Hanky. Yeah. But talking about finger banging people's sisters after smoking blunts and shit. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? I'm a little too weird. Fucking, I'm all into weird stuff. But he's like, yeah, I'm doing this stuff with him. Do you want to come do a show with us at New Daisy Theater? And I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. And so then I ended up doing stuff with them to where it started out with me just doing jokes. Fucking one year dressed up as Tyrone Biggums and did a whole <laughs> skit. Made a peanut butter and crack sandwich on stage. Wow. And, uh. Then start, started being his hype guy to where Hollywood and I would travel together wrestling and then we'd travel together at music, uh, doing stuff. And we'd and also meet up with uh, Saliva whenever Saliva would be on tour 
uh, Paul Crosby, the drummer, and I and the midget were really Hollywood. The midget were really good friends. <laughs> like how you did that. <laughs> His name. Privet. His stage name is. Yeah. So we'd get called up anytime they were near drivable distance or hop on a leg. For a while, Buck Sticky was uh, the tour manager for Salava. Okay. So I sold T-shirts for a little bit and then would run around with the midget and uh, hand out backstage passes to girls for after the I, show. That's a good gig right there. But this is where it gets really hard. We were at a really big responsibility because you can't hand out passes to say if there's, you'd have to feel this group out of girls. You'd be like, is there going to be some like girl that's a Debbie fucking downer? It's yeah. like, don't do cocaine with these guys. They're going to fuck you on the tour bus. <laughs> yeah. You're like, fuck. And then you can't find the girls that like has the random guy with them. Yeah. You know, and then it'll be like, hmm, Becky, that's not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, most bitches now would just leave their dudes. Okay, I'm going on, I'm going backstage. See yeah. Later. And, and then some girls, pieces, dis- they'd see a six foot tall guy wearing a leisure suit and then a, a little person running around with backstage pass. And you're like, are you fucking with me? Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to get raped in the back of hallway? And like, they have no clue. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got Chevelle in the tour bus and they want to hang out. Yeah. You know, and it's God like, bless, man. so the amount of like, res- they'd literally be like, you have to do a good job. I'm, I'm counting on you tonight. Like you're bringing the party. And then like Paul Crosby from the drummer from Sliva would get on the tour buses and be like, put out or get out. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah. And that's when the girls knew it. They'd be like, okay, I'm going to go home now. And then the other girls would be like, all right, down. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so we even had to, like, stop the tour bus and be like, hold on, he's still fucking some chick on the bus. We're not going to drop her back off. (laughs) We're not taking her to Ohio with us. No. Fuck, man. (laughs) You know how many, yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. So, yeah, going around with saliva in their heyday. Like I said, that was when they were fucking on fire. Yeah. They were doing that, I can be your hero, that hero song with Nickelback. uh, Yeah, what's his... Chad Kroger, Chad, whatever they yeah. did that whole uh, thing for the Spider Man soundtrack. Yeah, or whatever. That was huge, man, dude. Wow. Yeah, that sort of thing was, I mean, wild to be around that when it was going on, and just be like, I opened up for them, or like, I just hang out. <laughs> I told you he's done everything, man. That I know. Is- I was like, yeah, this guy, because uh, I I know of you, but I don't think I've ever met you. I don't think officially. Yeah, I've seen you out and about. Like, yeah. I think Silly I knew, Goose. I've, and, I've heard of, I always heard about Muck Sticky back in the day yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, Raul's like, yeah, he has these crazy stories, man. I'm like, okay. Because you know. every time I, you know, I've, I've known him so long and I know that, you know, if he's knows so many people and he's got stories with everybody and stuff like that, it's like, man, this is going to be a perfect opportunity to get him on the podcast. Like, you know what? Let me just send him a message. He's going to say no. And that's it. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. What? I was just on ESPN a couple weeks ago. Uh, I did a. Did a spot for Dustin Starr and the, uh, yeah. I did the mascot. I dressed up as a Steph Curry uh, in a Steph Curry jersey and played. Uh, uh, came out as a fan and did uh, musical chairs. As, oh, really? With the other fans and pushed all of them out of the way to get my chair, <laughs> and then got. Uh, I got hit with a chair by the Memphis Grizzlies and got knocked out on, right in front of Coach Kerr. It was great. You um, you um. You work with Dustin, right? At yeah, the wrestling? we worked. Me and him, wrestling? long time, grew up in wrestling together. He and I, have, I've been his manager a few times when we've gone out of town to like Osceola, Arkansas, and different places. Oh, is that places. the guy from the fights? That's the guy with the, with the hair. The hair. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the MC at the Grizzlies games and oh, okay. all the. He's, yeah, he's really a super nice guy, man. Really? Yeah, him and his and his wife uh, own Memphis Wrestling now, the championship wrestling from Memphis. Oh, okay. 
And so that's it's actually I did my son's birthday party at that was Memphis awesome Wrestling too, man. I had a full on uh, full on rest, pro wrestling match really? for the kids. They were going nuts. Uh, Each kid got called down with the, like music and stuff. Like they were like wrestlers themselves. <laughs> I, I, I watched this. I was watching this. I was like reading what he's posting. I'm like, this is fucking all. Yeah. Little white. I got a kid. shitty cake when I was that age. <laughs> like what is he's seven or eight now. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And then all the parents, cake. the parents were like, oh, you, you got did this party and everything. And like, what did it cost? And I'm like, I got hit with a motherfucking chair, bitch. <laughs> fucking chair. <laughs> they were like, oh, it's amazing. You did all this. It must have cost hundreds of dollars. Oh, I'm like, fuck, dude, man. I put a down payment by getting hit by the grizzly bear. Fucking shit. Damn. You know what I mean? <laughs> Damn. What they, uh, they called me to do it that day. They didn't tell me what I had to do. They were like, I have an extra seat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that fucking that's like a Nick. That's like a Nick move. Hey, uh, we're having people over at the house. <laughs> I have an extra seat. Okay. I'll go to a grizzly game. You have an extra seat. Yeah. yeah, for a spot. And a spot in wrestling means like an actual like uh doing a wrestling move or something. Okay. Like a setting setting something up for a wrestling thing. And so doing a spot is like say getting slammed or getting hit or mm. taking a punch. On text message, it reads a different way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I got a spot. He's got a chair for me. Fuck yeah. It's like a I'm <laughs> down. <laughs> Eric and the Grizzlies coming like this. He goes, bah! The book of goes wow. And it turns out, so Memphis Grizzlies guy, the mascot, is a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I didn't, Have, oh, did you not ever met him before? I've just seen pictures and I've yeah. never. I Super thought, nice guy too. I thought every time that they did a wrestling spot for Memphis, for the Grizzlies, I thought they put one of my buddies that was a professional wrestler yeah. in the suit. Yeah. Took the other guy out, gave him a break. <laughs> I did not know that the Memphis Chris was actually that badass all around. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, they had the stunt cock come in. Is Bring in the stunt cock. He's, uh, his name is Eric McMahon. <laughs> was that the guy that we ate? Yeah, at, at, at the Fitz. Yeah. Um, he owns, um, he's half owner of fitness kickboxing. You know how they split off from Memphis Judo, Memphis, what is Dave Ferguson's thing called, Tony? The what? Judo, Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, Memphis. Uh, so, you know, Dave owns that, and then him and Eric own the kickboxing things we see oh, everywhere. over here. Yeah, we see okay. everywhere in town and stuff. They all, they have like nine locations, ten locations. So that's been gone so long, I didn't even know that he, I get to the, to the event, and I'm like, he starts telling me, he starts speaking wrestler jargon, which yeah. wrestling jargon is the same as a con, con artist jargon. It stems from the same thing, uh, from, uh, carnivals carnies okay but carn artists and wrestling have the same jargon and where like he started talking to me saying this and that and i was like this motherfucker knows what he's talking about for being just a mascot i think yeah, at the yeah. time and then what jason letterfine texted me and was like you're lucky that motherfucker didn't fuck you up because he's a brown belt <laughs> and i was like word i was like <laughs> and then I, and then i started finding out i was like that he wasn't they didn't bring a stunt double in. And yeah. I was like, everything I've watched for the past five, six years of him doing it, it was like it's him fucking doing oh. it. And they just bring in guys like me that are Memphis wrestlers to take the spot or dress up as the other team's mascot or another team's fan. And so that's kind of a funny thing to be involved in to where one to be in the group of knowing being in on something. Like yeah. That. yeah. Cause that's really cool. Like, and to be trusted to be like, Hey man, you're, do this. I trust you. Fucking me and him are kind of intimate now. I've been like, he was like, how hard can I hit you? I was like, fucking knock the shit out of me. And you know, you're like, 
Fuck yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> other people would be like, take it easy on yeah. me, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be like, Hey, uh, this is the guy you hit with the chair. I need you to my son's birthday party. Thanks later. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. how did, how did Memphis become so big with wrestling? Well, the Coliseum, uh, Jerry Lawler, I'd say single-handedly that's back in the AWA and NWA, um, the whole Southern heritage titles, uh, back in, back in the day was a Bob Backlund and a couple other people were really big wrestlers. And then, uh, Texas had the Von Ericks, but Memphis had Jerry Lawler and everything that he brought along. And also, uh, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett's dad mm-hmm. ran it, uh, was the big promoter of it. So at the time they brought in, it was one of the big four, three or four big circuits, regional circuits that you had to go through to get to Vince McMahon to WWF back in the day. Oh, okay. There was like, you know, how this is predating WCW before Ted Turner started WCW. This is when there was just WWF and Vince McMahon senior. Yeah. So everybody, there was an actual huge market with these regional people because television wasn't that big at the time Mm -hmm. cable you know there wasn't cables there wasn't syndication there wasn't anything like that so when memphis wrestling it was a a way to see all these guys up front in person and you could do it anywhere you could go to in texas they had it you can go in the south in memphis they had it they had uh, territories in the midwest that did it uh north carolina area where uh rick flair's from Mm -hmm. they had that there and so that and then with that People from would travel from those different regions and move around like a circuit, like yeah. the old, kind of like the old, uh, 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 what's it called? Kind of like Carney's uh, vaudeville. Like vaudeville people used to travel around in a circuit and go around, around the country to where you can basically do the same thing every night and not nobody seeing the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they did all these going around and had these great feuds to where – Memphis would bring in all these up and coming people, especially starting in the eighties. That's when they started really getting huge and noticed as Memphis, because that was the farm league for the WWF. Mm. So and then, oh, sorry, go ahead. so like say, uh, ultimate warrior and staying here, they were a tag team and used to tag team people. Yeah. And they, uh, same with like macho man, macho man had a, um, uh, leave mat leave town match against jerry lawler oh really when he got his contract they had a, a loser leave town match yeah and so everybody was like is lawler gonna lose against fucking you know yeah macho man but nobody knew that macho <clears throat> man had already gotten signed by the wwf so they did all this they and at that time that was right when wcw started too and so there was two different avenues of getting into this to where if you made it in Memphis, if you were over in Memphis and over means like if people were into you and they were fucking like, if the crowd loved you and you were over with the crowd, whether you're a good guy or bad guy, that meant that, it, that like solidified your, your deal with WWF and WCW. If you went up there mm-hmm. and doing so, they also say you'd still be it's the same with like, say if you're signed with three, six mafia, they're going to shop you out to like Sony. Yeah. So you're still in charge by like, say Lawler pushed up, say when Jerry Lawler pushed Honky Tonk Man. Uh, Honky Tonk Man got a huge push in WWF compared to everybody else that's from Memphis. Yeah. You still have to answer to to the king. Mm. You still have like, 
your other boss, you got to keep happy because he's the one that gave you the push. Yeah. He put you over to Vince McMahon. So that's like he talked you up and got you a spot. There's big heat with Bill Dundee, never got his spot with WCW because they just decided not to take him. He wasn't tall enough. Then other people say that it wasn't over with uh, Lawler, that Lawler didn't want to put him over and have somebody else that's equal to him get a better spot. I've had other wrestlers say the same thing. But then there's also still the people who are like gatekeepers, if you will. Mm-hmm. So there's always those people, but then there's the same people that you can't tell. They could be the same guy that's promoting you is also holding you back. Mm. So the politics of wrestling is one of the weirdest things that I've ever been involved in. Cause you, you don't want to piss people off, but you got to be assertive. Yeah. And then you got to be able to like put yourself over and not let it say, go to your head. Macho man thought he was macho man. Now he was one of the best, best wrestlers of all time, but, Macho man let his whole gimmick because become his life. Mm. And so that you see him running around. He that would be Monday through every day. He got lost in it. Lost in it. Yeah. Um he most wrestlers do spots, call their spots in the ring. They'll literally be like they'll they'll get a, a finish and know what the finish is, but then everything in the ring is um uh, impromptu. Mm-hmm. And they, they call the spot as they go. Sorry, m- fucking up kayfabe. Kayfabe is not talking about this stuff. But so they'll get uh, they'll get the finish. But say they'll just go, hey, I'm gonna do a hip toss, an arm drag, and then do it to a hammer lock or whatever. And then we're gonna swap. And then the next thing you can do, you know, when the guys are locked up, they're talking, right? Mm-hmm. They're telling each other. If the guy throws him in a turnbuckle and he's locked up with him. He's whispering sweet nothings in his ear and going, Hey, Hey, go to the turnbuckle duck twice, take a flying elbow. And they just do that. Macho man did not do that. He did every spot by the number. He had posted like postcards and would sit there and make people go. All right. What's move number 32. Move number 32 is throw you into the ropes, do a, a clothesline, miss clothesline, go through my legs. And then, you know, and, and everything was choreographed. Yeah. He had no, he was a control freak. Like in that aspect, he wouldn't let any, anything, huh. every match, Macho Man's matches is every move is calculated and was planned. Damn. Unlike every other wrestler, you, you're like, let's wing it. And then we're going to take it home and the finish. So like Lawler would come out and tell you, if you finish, you'd be like, all right, this is going to be the finish. And then you'd have to spend the next 40 minutes before your match coming up with what the fuck, how you're going to get to the finish. Mm. So then that brings in the whole, there's the formula of a fight formula. And the best way I can explain that is Spider-Man. When you watch Spider-Man fight, what happens to Spider-Man at the beginning of a fight? Every fight when he starts, he's getting beat up, gets a shit beat out of him. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, come on, Spider-Man. Yeah. Come on, Spider-Man. Come on, Spider-Man. Yeah. You're like, you're Spider-Man. <laughs> if that didn't happen, there wouldn't be what they call heat. You have to get the heel, the bad guy, has to have heat on them. You can be wearing a Green Goblin outfit, and everybody knows you're the bad guy, but unless you initiate heat on that person's ego, in their psycholo- psychology, in their head, and establish yourself as a bad guy, whether it be cheating, doing something not fair. Yeah. 
uh, whether it's pissing off the crowd, it's doing something, you know, telling a woman to go fuck off. You know, you can do that. I mean, that's cheap heat. Mm-hmm. But getting in someone's head is has to be established or else everything that you're doing is for nothing. Because if Spider-Man just started punching the Sandman and just fucking pummeling him, you'd be like, well, that was that. Was that. Yeah. You know, it would be as an interesting. Yeah. Because there's nothing to cheer cheer for. There's yeah. nothing to go, oh, my God, and root for him. So to be over in a crowd, in my experience, you have to take a lot of ass whoopings mm. and build that up to where people are like, no, no. And that's when they call it the, uh, uh, a cutoff to where you cut them off. And then they go into a shine. So a shine is when you're like, yeah, yeah. And then they cut them off again. What happens? You're like, oh my gosh. And then they turn and it goes again. And then something happens. Either the bad guy cheats and does something or the, the good guy shines and does something good, valiant effort or whatever mm-hmm. in the storyline to where it'll change the role of a fight. So in that, you have to do the cutoff and then they have a shine and then they have false finish. Every my fucking people hate watching shit with me because I'm like, he's going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) That hand's going to come right out of the grave. (laughs) Everything has a false finish. So everybody, is he dead? And then the Undertaker, what happens every time when the Undertaker comes right back up? Uh, Man, he was the fucking And you think he's fucking done. You're like, how did he do that? They buried him. (laughs) They buried him. (laughs) So then you have the false finish. And that's when you can go into your taking it home and do your actual finish. Yeah. So for all that to happen, you have to take somebody on an emotional fucking roller coaster ride Mm. all by telling a story of doing stuff. That's literally what you did in six, seven years old with your friends. It's like, you know, fucking body slamming you. It's all so mundane stuff. Like Lawler's the best at it because he could tell a story with just jabs and punches, Mm -hmm. just little jabs, left jab, left jab, and then punch. It's fucking it, but it's fake punching somebody and you're like, yes, yes. <laughs> and that is what it takes to get over and win a person over in the crowd. And, or say, if you're telling a story cinematically, I mean, it's the same, same with any kind of movie. And the best way to do it is Spider-Man. Cause he's smaller, mm. smaller guy with superpowers, but still, nonetheless, it's like that has to happen. So in that you have to, man, I've gone months and months to where I used to go out and do like a, a promo where I'd be talking and then out comes like Derek King or some random person with a chair and it beats the shit out of me, hits me in the head with a chair and then stands over me and like, yeah, this fucking whatever country. And then it's MAGA country. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that has to happen. And I've had to, Oh my gosh, I used to have to take so many ass whoopings and then week in and week out and they'd be like, People would be like, I thought you were going to (laughs) die. I thought they were going to have to call an ambulance. (laughs) And then I've gone out and done matches after that, months and months of it. And then I've gone out and done like, I literally, my finisher move was I did Hulk Hogan's. I'd cut people off and do, I'd Hulk up, which I'd do a key bump. (laughs) I'd bump up (laughs) and I'd Hulk up and fucking start shaking and go, no. And then do the... (laughs) Three punches, a big boot, yeah. and a leg drop. I did whole, I, and it was the most over thing. When I went to do the ear thing and twisted my hands, yeah, people would be going nuts. <laughs> wow. And that, you could draw that out so, people don't understand, like wrestling, when I first started doing it, they 
Derek King used to yell at me, be like, you're going too fast. Cause I, I think it was like, I was fighting in a real fight. Mm. You're not going to give anybody. A, you're just going to start throwing punches, punch, punch, punch. And he'd be yeah. like, people can't digest it. So that's when you see everybody doing that slow punch or they, when the guy throws him down, you see the other guy walk like fucking uh, uh, Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You literally have to go slow because people to digest that, they can't see. Even like, say, movies, when they do a cinematic fight, a lot of times they slow down the, uh, the reel. Mm. So you can actually see, like, remember on the Born Identity movies and stuff, they used to do that in full time, but then they'd do it to where you could actually digest what's going on because you wouldn't ever be able to see that same with uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. Oh, that's what your favorite scene where you tell oh, me yeah. to beat me up. <laughs> that's the, that's the best way to explain what PTSD from combat veteran is, is getting on an elevator and going, how can I Sherlock Holmes every motherfucker in this fucking elevator right now? If I had to be, yeah. So would I go? And you're like on an elevator, you're like, all right, so this guy's here. I'm going to hit him with my elbow and this guy's behind me so I could headbutt him and then kick him front. Like literally, that's the type of shit. And you're like, and people, once Sherlock Holmes came out, would be like, bro, does anybody else do that shit too? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But so your mind can't digest things that are that fast. Mm. And so that's a weird thing in wrestling to where, again, you have to learn how to, it's telling a story of a fight, not showing a fight. Yeah. Because if you want to show a fight, go to, even if you want to show a fight, I would never say go to UFC. If you want to see a fight, mm -hmm. and I say that with a capital fucking F, because that's a big difference between like, say, with the Uriah Faber and them love training with us because we'd tell them all the stuff that we got taught that's not about getting points, mm. closing the distance. Taking most fights, ninety percent of fights in the first what forty five seconds statistically goes to the ground. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really going to be like, "Hey, let's stand up and you know just pound it." You know, we're both fucking. You know, we're both we're yeah. both fighters. So we, yeah, you know, we're the the guys that are wrestling matchups, and then they'll they'll stand and stand and fight. And you're like, that doesn't happen in real life, dude. Yeah, you, you go to the ground and it's fucking it's closing the distance. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's kind of a cool thing to be able to hang out and have somebody who's like a professional fighter ask you about fighting themselves. And you're like, wow, that's cool. You know, that's kind of a, and the respect, mutual respect between fighters and uh, combat veterans is uh, really cool. Cause you can like look at anybody and be like, like I remember one time somebody, I posted a picture of me with a, a bunch of the guys and somebody was like, you're taking a picture with some real killers there. And I was like, the only people who have killed people in this picture <laughs> are the other people. Yeah. <laughs> They're not in UFC. Yeah. And so it's like, hmm. yeah. So that whole thing of being like, I'm, you know, when we did what they call modern army, it's hand to hand combat, but they call it modern army combatives now. Mm -hmm. So the story behind that is amazing. I don't think it's Tim Kennedy, but it was a couple, two guys before Tim Kennedy got big, and got his contract with UFC. But this is back in probably 2005. They sent two or three airborne Rangers around the world. I swear they need to make a movie about this with mm. like Jean-Claude Van Damme is like the, uh, the, lead. Colonel, the leader, yeah. but they sent them around to like seven different places of the world, like street fighter. Like they went to Brazil. They went to Thailand. They went to, uh, Israel. They went to Russia. Uh, and they, they went and did learned 
all their martial arts. Mm. So they had to go to Brazil and get their ass beat in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Get fucking all the Gracies. And just live there. Damn. And then they'd go on to Thailand and do Muay Thai and set up that camp. You know, the fucking outdoor camp that everybody at UFC Kicking goes to. the fucking tree. Yeah. And then they go there. And then they went and did Samba. And then they went and did, you know, uh, Krav Maga. And then they went back. And then at every stop, they had to fight whoever was King Dingling oh. of there. And every stop, they said they got the ass kicked. Yeah. But then they went back home and wrote the book of what they rewrote hand-to-hand combat as and rebranded it as what they call Modern Army Combatives Program, mm-hmm. MACP. And that's basically, like I said, it's, it's UF's MMA fighting minus the points. Mm-hmm. You know, you can fucking knee somebody when they're on the ground. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Uh, that's, the, that's the one thing I, I like about one compared to UFC because it's more realistic. I know it does end fights quickly and it's dangerous, but... I've won a lot of fights by kneeing or kicking somebody when they're on the fucking yeah. ground. Yeah. And that's a, that's a thing that happens. So that sort of thing is kind of weird to hear. You know, they don't do that in some places, but it's like, bro, that happens in real life. Yeah. So that's why I always tell people if like, you want to see what a real fight looks like. It's, you can't look at it on a, on a movie or on UFC. Cause there's rules. Yeah. There's rules. There's yeah. the Fuck only your fight. Even, and even the, say the first UFCs, they didn't have rules, but the thing is, is those guys were smart. How many people, and a lot of them came from Pancrase and stuff, so they they never did uh, closed-hand punchings. Mm. So, and in doing so, that was before they had the gloves to protect themselves. So even with four-hands gloves, I'm not going to bust my hand up. So that's a big thing with the uh, bare-knuckle fighting. Your hand can only take so much. Yeah. And so if you, say if you have to do two fights in a night, that's why they were doing all those open hand cupping. And they say like Boss Rutten was good at that. Like Boss would, Rutten, it's cup. Yeah, you cup your hand, and you could uh, you could fuck somebody's eardrum up. Yeah, uh, to where you create pressure mm. and a back negative pressure on it. Oh, and uh, so Boss Rutten's one of the best. I love him and uh, who's Shamrock's younger brother, uh, Frank. Frank. Frank yeah. yeah, he had some really good fights to where you'd understand how protecting your body as well and protecting your, your weapons. Mm-hmm. And cause you can't punch somebody in the head that many fucking times. Yeah. Even hammer fisting, you're going to fuck your hand up. Eventually yeah. you're going to break, break it. So seeing the guys that come into UFC when there was no rules, seeing how they preserved themselves. Cause they knew they had to do two fights, three fights in a night. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't just go out. Nowadays you can go fucking melee somebody and break your hand. As long as you can make it through that third third round you're fine yeah like what um that's what jeremy uh uh what's his name i was i have a traumatic brain injury so i forget people's names all the time but one of my buddies uh josh emmett he broke his hand uh in one of his fights and fucking went the he broke it in like the first round and went three two other rounds with a broken hand and like a boxer's fracture so it was on you know the pinky side where it just hurts like a bitch you know and you're like bro's still sitting there throwing punches and you're like Fuck, dude. And he's a fucking, he throws haymakers. Yeah. And like, I couldn't imagine. Like, oh, that's what it was. He got kicked. He got kicked and his knuckle popped out on his hand. This Ugh. one, uh, your one that connects your finger to your actual palm, the palm, it popped out. Popped out, compound fracture out. When they uh, took his gloves off, his bone was popping out right there. <sighs> that one. Ugh. <laughs> Somebody kicked at him and he... It, it hit their foot, hit his hand because he put it out to kind of stop it. 
So like that sort of thing, people don't understand that you get get your fucking paw hurt and then you, you're out of the fucking fight. Yeah, because I remember when we went to, we were talking about, um, are you sleepy? No, it's just yawning. <laughs> no, I'm not sleepy at all. It's just yawning. When we went to uh, Columbus and we went to that Rampage's hotel room. Mm-hmm. And I went out on the balcony with because he was out there with Nick. Oh, and I yeah. shook his hand. He's like, oh, man, my hands are hurting, man. Like, like I'm sorry, man. I didn't even think about that. Well, you probably went it. like. Yeah, that's yeah. actually with a. Um, I know with professional wrestlers, when you go into a locker room, it's you don't shake hard. You give uh, it's the girliest handshake. Mm-hmm. You'll meet all these alpha males and you do this. It's it's a weak hand. You go yeah. hi and you tell people your real name. So like, you know, I'd be like, hi, I'm Carl. I remember I met uh, uh, Mabel, like uh, King Mabel, like uh, dude, big, big dude who used to be from Memphis. He had a uh, uh, little bleach blonde mohawk. He was like fucking 400 pounds. Oh, oh shit. yeah. Purple outfit. Him. Purple outfit. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Mabel. And he was like, he grew up in Memphis. He's from Memphis wrestling. So oh, wow. Uh, he, I met him and he was like, hi, my name's Nelson. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so like, that's a big thing because. Uh, how many, how many you grow up and you're, you know, your dad, dad always tells you, you know, shake a man's hand, you know, firm fucking handshake. Yeah. You're like one, these guys use their fucking big knuckles every day to fucking punch each other and their hands are always jacked up. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't want to walk in and be like, I'm going to shake this guy's hand. You already know he's badass. Yeah. You don't need to shake his hand <laughs> to like confirm it. Yeah. And you don't Some need dog. to do it back. And so that was kind of the funniest. I remember in my first locker room scene, they were like, Tell people your real name and shake like a bitch. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. And literally, it's like little tinkle, like there's some guys be like, what's up, man? And you just barely like little tinkle, tinkle. So that's kind of funny because, yeah, people, professional fighters, their hands are always mangled. Yeah. The one thing that I, I would have probably trained more because right when, uh, when WC ended and they started the 135. Mm hmm. I was like right there, you know, I was like 145 pounds. I was like, oh, this is the guys that I'd fight. I remember when it came out, I was like, I don't want to fight this guy with braids. Your <laughs> favorite came out and I was like, I don't want to fight him. And then like grew up and started doing stuff with him. And I was like, I'm a lot bigger than he. <laughs> I was a lot bigger and he looked a lot bigger. I told him, I was like, you look bigger on TV. He's like, fuck you. Because <laughs> who is, wasn't your, um. 135, is that Sugar Sean? Isn't he 135? Yeah. And that's and he's like 5'11 or and something that's like that. The, I've talked to him and told him, I was like, bro, that's you got to do it for the skinny, tall, tall skinny dudes. Because yeah. like at the time, I, I'm tall, you know, I'm 6'4", so I could have been in that and been even taller and like yeah. had a longer reach. But there was no, my motivation went out the window when you take a kick to the leg. <laughs> you get kicked without pads oh. on your shin yeah. and you did not grow up kicking fucking trees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If you wake up every day and fucking kick down a fucking piece of bamboo. Yeah. But no, dude, that's, I've felt pain. I've had my nose ripped off before. I've been blown up. I've been shot at getting kicked in the shin. That's it. Will fucking ruin your day. <laughs> It'll ruin your week. And, and and if your shins aren't conditioned, you get hit once, it'll knot up. You'll have a golf ball on your fucking shin. Oh. Yeah. So basically, you you bust all of you. You have to break all of your capillaries and train your leg not to bruise up. Just so calloused, I guess. Yeah, but you have to kill the vein. Your, it's capillaries, little small veins on the that go against your shin bone. And so you have to kill all that. Yeah, just and imagine like what happened with Anderson and fucking Chris Weidman. Dude, fucking fuck, fucking dude, that's you know. one way to get me from since I was a combat medic around medicine and stuff. I have uh, 
I can feel people's pain. Mm. Somehow when I see stuff like that, yeah, I'll jump up or I'll fucking have that weird sense of it fucking happened to me because I've seen people either had that happen to them in real life or yeah. had their uh, amputation go wrong or something like that to where like, fuck dude. And like so that hits home whenever I see somebody get fucking Yeah. And that was dude, so Weidman, brutal, man. Weidman's one was and yeah, even Connor's nasty. ankle falling over. Yeah, that was that, pretty I bad. forgot about that one. That yeah, got me like, to where I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. It's stuff. So, yeah, that's the one. I don't really have a lot of uh, empathy for people when it comes to a lot of things. Yeah. Because I've calloused myself to where I'm like, oh, sometimes people fall off trees. You know, some yeah. people get hit by cars or train tracks. But when I see something like that, it fucking weirds me out. Like that shows you how fragile we are, man. Yeah, and the fact that people literally, they're like ready to take, they're like, I can just get surgery and get this fixed. Like how many of my friends like, just like, I'm going to redo my knee or I'm going to fuck it up and just constantly. Like uh, Josh Emmett's my big example, like where he did a bunch of uh, Spartan races with me and stuff. And then mm-hmm. then I started, he started getting his big push once he got in the big uh, top 15 and stuff. And then when he hit a knocked out, uh, crap, knocked out somebody I can't remember his name, but he is about 2018. I was like, this motherfucker's automatically getting a push. But then he started getting hurt. He got his fucking frontal bone knocked out with Jeremy Stevens, cheap shot at him, uh, had to rebuild his whole frontal and orbital. <sighs> got it. And that's one of the worst. Cause your sinuses, uh, your sinuses never fully heal, heal when you get an orbital fracture. Can and you not uh, travel too on planes when it first for a while. Yeah, yeah. You're stuck places. Uh, he, Fuck. he was in, no, that was Sage that had to stay in Thailand. Sage, when he, his first fight with one, he uh-huh. got uh, he got elbowed or uh, either an elbow or straight right or cross right, and his and it broke his face. I mean, oh. broke his face, and he had to stay in Thailand. He had to get to you. he had to get fucking surgery in Thailand. Which I mean, I'm sure they do great boob jobs and dick tucks there. <laughs> but it's like fuck, dude. Dude had to get full fucking reconstructive surgery on his face. And a oromaxil uh, surgery there, and then wait because he couldn't fly yeah. home, so we had to rehab there too. Oh god! You're like fuck, dude. So that sort of thing is like it's a I different breed of person that fights, man. Yeah, and I'm I'm more of a like I got my nose fixed finally after years of a couple fights after I'd gotten out of the army and whatnot, and I finally got it fixed. And after that, I my motivation for doing any sparring. I had to go a year without getting hit in the face. You know how hard that is? Yeah. No, I mean, like, fucking not getting in. You know how many times to be like, fuck you, asshole, I want to fight. And you're like, I'm just going to go home right now. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I'm on a waiting list to get my nose fixed. And if I take one, I got to restart the thing. Because anytime you get damaged your nose, you'd have to wait till your nose heals up to get the surgery. Because oh. they can't fuck it up. Or else they'll just be, you'll be bleeding like a fucking stuck pit. And they, they can't do anything during a surgery. Wow. And so I had to wait a year. You know how many times I've been like, oh, you're getting fucking easy right now. Because <laughs> I do not want to fuck this shit up. And so like, I had to quit going out to bars and quit doing stuff because my nose looked like Andre Orlovsky. Oh, shit, really? Hey, it was like right in between Mike Perry and Andre's. Oh, fuck. Not That's... quite as bad as Mike's, but right there with Andre's. <laughs> really? I had 90% blockage on my right nair. And I've, I've ripped my nose off. Like I'd, I've had constructive surgery on my whole right side of my face right there. And stuff. So, so I had damage prior and then I kept hitting it, breaking my nose. Yeah. And anytime you just get in a fight or fucking get hit or 
random things, you know, just pop you, you know, bring in another little bit. And so once they finally did that, I swear it's like I had the first night of full, full sleep and I woke up and was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like, and the motivation, like people be like, so what do you feel comfortable doing? We want to spar. And I'm like, don't hit me in the fucking face. <laughs> I'm like, don't kick me in the shins. Don't kick me in the face. Uh, like, so, so what kind of sparring partner are you? You know what I mean? It's like, we can wrestle. <laughs> we can, Jesus we, Christ, man. We can do some judo. But that's type of stuff to where you be like, don't hit me in the nose now that it's fixed. Nah. Your motivation goes out the window yeah. from doing stuff like that. <laughs> Damn, man. Are you still doing wrestling stuff? I, I'm or in line spot. to getting a spot. Hopefully, Dustin Starr. Here's no, uh, they need probably they'd, they'd need a, a craven personality eventually, but I don't know which personality I'd use because I got you know craven. Also, I've count stacks, which is the person gimmick from like uh, that I do with Lord Tina Louise or my, my powdered wig. Count oh, stacks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, count stacks might come out. Um, just craven might come back out of Memphis wrestling. Uh, they're building their stories up right now. And I'm doing a great job of, I take Hendrix to all the uh, Memphis wrestling matches. So I get to sit there with Hendrix and oh, with my cool. son. Nice. Mm. And so he's totally into Memphis wrestling. And so I get to hang out with him and do the dad thing right now. And, and then I, I'm a Monday morning quarterback with a, a Dustin star in them. I just tell them everything they fucked up on the weekend. I'm like, Oh, just you guys oh, by the way and, and this and, here are my notes on this weekend. <laughs> yeah, this is my big ass book. Here's, I literally have a notebook that I, I take notes on all the stuff. When I watch it on TV, I'll take more notes because it looks totally different when they edit it uh, compared to when I see it on TV. Because say if something didn't look right, or, yeah, you know, you could take a different angle. Is it still on Channel Five? Uh, no, it's CW Thirty. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't been Channel Five since uh, Power Pro. Oh, it's late two thousand six, two thousand five. So- because what, is, what are they doing at the Coliseum? Is it just so? There's been abandoned? a lot of I can't. I've not been involved in the recent stuff, but last I heard personally, there was the debate of bulldoze it mm-hmm. as one option and fucking put up like a a memorial shrine like it was the Twin Towers. <laughs> put a pond in there, reflecting yeah. fountain. <laughs> reflect about all the Monday nights we used to have, or they the amount of money it's going to take to renovate it is a waste mm. of municipal funds. So they've had other people they've brought in sensing groups to like say, what are we going to do with it? Uh, are we going to make it one person literally was going to make, they, they said they were going to try to do an indoor water park. That was the one thing that was actually made sense, mm. but the structure of the building, they, they'd have to do a top to bottom re- restoration yeah. of the entire building. Um, so where it will pretty much cost the amount of money it would cost to bulldoze it and mm. build something new. The other thing that's fiscally good for the city to do is the fact that um, the FedEx Forum has a clause with the city saying that they can't do a mid medium level concert at the forum. It has to be a certain amount. No, if it's a big enough concert, it has to be at the forum. Yeah. That's what it is. And so the mid-level concerts all get to uh, Snowden Grove. Okay. And or to the Landers Center. Yeah. If it's a smaller venue. If we had the Coliseum, it could be like the way we did when we had the Pyramid and the Coliseum to where it's like the smaller level, uh, 20,000 people 
do it at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Instead of losing all the money, the tax revenue and uh, money for restaurants and whatnot, if we had everybody set up shop around how much money Midtown could make if we did have concerts there. Yeah. And that whole area. Yeah. So that was a big thing that they were trying to talk about is the fact that Snowden Grove, that all the branch in South Haven takes away so much money from us that we could be making in Memphis because everybody's just going to go there for those smaller mid-level shows because they can't load it. They can't do a small level show at FedEx Forum. FedEx Forum was trying to, um, you know, FedEx Forum has the thing with the Grizzly games. If there's a Grizzly game, it can't be like a big concert anywhere in Memphis. Yeah, or not, not like not like twenty thousand people. Like and you know, like can't compete with like, it. Yeah, it can't compete with the Grizzly game. And that's another. That's yeah. what I was and, trying uh, to say. Uh, and then they're they're trying to redo that clause because they want to bring something you know mm-hmm. bigger, like another venue. Because you know Nashville is thinking about building a dome, uh, a new football stadium. I saw that with a dome, so that way they can get a fucking Super Bowl. Mm. I mean, can you imagine the fucking Super Bowl in Nashville? How awesome would that be? And they like, just have the covered for any kind of concert. Yeah, and, and anything, yeah. You can have Kenny. You know how many Kenny Chesney concerts <laughs> you can have in that motherfucker? <laughs> Hell yeah. But yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, and you know, with Barbecue Fest and Music Fest being at Fairgrounds this year, I actually love that idea. Not just because we live so much closer to it, you know, and so much closer to home and stuff, but like, you don't have to worry about fucking. So much stuff, but yeah, it's gonna fuck. It's you know, it fucks up the guys that had it downtown, like all the uh, businesses and you know, all the people that rely on that money downtown stuff. But like, they're still in the city, though. Yeah, I mean, there's people are still gonna go downtown and party, one hundred percent. You know, but uh, I like it. I think I'm I'm going to Music Fest this year because it's not because it's closer because some friends are coming in town for it and stuff like that. But then also uh, barbecue fest is going to be there. You know, just, it's going to be easy to get in, easy to get out. You know, you know it's just I am curious to see how they do music fest though. Like, you know how how much space we need and shit. Like, the fucking parking lots aren't that big. You know, like yeah, where are they going to do it? Are they still going to do it? A music fest? Where's that going to be? It's going to be year? at the fairgrounds. Okay, so it is fair. Yeah, because remember they were, they were they were talking about doing uh, at Shelby Farms. That's right, but. That's crazy because they just fucked up the whole Tom Lee Park thing and made it all like mm-hmm. a. Well, apparently now, if you're driving, not when you're coming down you onto Riverside, but yeah, if you're driving on Riverside, you won't be able to see the river anymore because the bank is going to. Yeah, like, they banked up and added like little. Yeah, hills, hills and stuff. I don't know. It's like they're, they're the, I don't think they dis, disclosed that part of it in the things when they were. So now the city is going after the uh, Memphis, uh, the MMRP or something like that, like the Memphis Parks people that are in charge of that shit. I don't know. Yeah, that the one thing I'd complain about with it being at Tomley Park was the the wind. It being on the riverside, it just get too windy sometimes for you know be doing stuff. I can imagine it being a little more contained, being out there mm-hmm. cutting on the gale force winds coming off the fucking. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, if when, it, when it's raining, it's not gonna be muddy. God dang, dude, that's. <laughs> You know, hey, why do you got why do you got rain boots? We're going to a concert. You'll see when you get there. Yeah, it's like, why why is my car so fucking dirty? Why is all this? Mo- oh yeah, we went to music fest. You know, it's just, I I just don't know, man. I'm I guess maybe it's got older, but there were some music fests we didn't end up going, like oh, because just, it was raining its ass off, and it's like, man, I don't want to deal with that. And this is like when I was like early thirties, you know, maybe, and I was like, I don't want to deal with that shit, man. I'm that was fun when we were like 18, 17, 16, 19, you know party and doing that shit i just think it's funny the amount of like i know growing up in memphis getting dropped off 
at Music Fest when you're like 14. Damn, really? That's <laughs> like awesome. 14, 15. <laughs> My dad dropped, I mean, we got out of eighth grade and I remember uh, Dave Matthews or something was playing at Music Fest or something and we were all like, Let's go. And we got dropped off. I think my dad was there, but he was like watching Bob Dylan on the other fucking side. <laughs> He's like, I'll meet you guys here at 10, 10 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. And you're just like, fuck yeah. It's like smoking weed and the fucking crowd and shit and like crowd surfing. When well, you like, remember, yeah. You remember like when you lost your group of friends when before cell phones was a big thing? Oh, God. It's running into each other. And then so you say there's five of y'all, six of y'all. One person falls off somewhere, and then we the five are walking around. Then another, then all of a sudden, everyone's by themselves. Meet up at Silky's. <laughs> yeah, it's that like, was the Silky's <laughs> wall. That yeah. wall on yeah, Silky's. It's like I've stood up on that, just standing there, and be like, somebody's going to notice me. <laughs> it's like it's like where did everybody go? Like next thing you know, it's like I, I went to the bathroom, and then everyone was drunk, so they forgot that I went yeah. to the bathroom. So everyone's just walking around and stuff, having a good time. Like all right, we have a meetup, so you know we have a meetup at one o'clock at. And or uh, wherever it was, I can't remember. And when Music Fest, you know, back when you did have cell phones, uh, they there were too many people in one area, yeah. so it your didn't work. cell phones wouldn't work because you were in a concert setting, so they couldn't work. Yeah, and you'd just be like, "How am I gonna get fucking found?" Yeah, <laughs> I've I've gone by so many bars on Beale Street, been like, "If so and so comes here, tell them." You know, I'd go through yeah. like one five two until like Kelly and Justin and everybody at the bar and be like, if you see them, tell them I'm alive. I didn't get arrested. They were they just threw me down and like, yeah. so one time I was at a, a John Mayer concert at the new at a uh, at Music Fest. John Mayer was playing. I was waiting for I guess somebody else to come on, but he was a great singer. And uh, I saw this cop, uh, you know the Cobra Squad cops. Yeah, the Cobra. Cobras. So this cop was a douchebag to me, like back. A, probably six months prior. And I'm like, uh, I was like 21 at the time. And I was like, fuck this guy. And he's like standing there in the front of the area, like by the guardrail and like just standing there like a douchebag, like not enjoying the show. Yeah. And I, I had a pocket full of quarters somehow. And I started flipping quarters like, uh, you know, flip bottle caps. <laughs> yeah. I can do the undercut under yeah. thing and I can shoot them. Fucking, you know, it was back when I was in bartending days. So I could do a lot of bar, stupid tricks like that. And I was like, Pack! and started flicking them. And I, I hit him about probably five, six times. <laughs> and this big motherfucker's like looking around like, who the fuck? And every time he'd look around, you know, look away, I'd hit him. And finally, I'm six foot four. Some fucking douchebag. Like, it was him. <laughs> fucking pointed to me. Like, douchebag with spiky hair and a visor. That's what year it was. And I was looking. Spiky hair and a visor. He fucking grabbed me. I tried to diddy mouth out. And he, I was too close to that little, uh, the catwalk that goes in between the crowd in the middle oh, of the yeah. stage. He ran up that and got one hand on me before I could get away. And I'm, again, at the time, I'm like 140 pounds. He grabs me and pulls me over the stage, pulls me over the little catwalk area, uh-huh. and pulls me up toward the front of the stage. And when they got to the front of the stage where fucking... Uh, uh, John Mayer is singing. He's like, neon, neon. And then fucking slam. They slam me against the stage. And I remember he stopped in the middle and he goes, well, I didn't know y'all could do that. Neon, neon. <laughs> they fucking threw me. It was like every piece of like metal bar that they could hit me against. Yeah. On the way out, they hit me against every little railing. Like I was a fucking tin can at a jail. <laughs> <laughs> and then they picked me up, the two of them. Picked me up Wild West style, one by my belt, threw me out. I landed on my belly, like fucking getting bounced from a saloon. Wow. And I remember some girl that was like, it was my mom's boss's daughter at the time. Random, but just some chick 
sees me get thrown out by fucking the Cobra squad. <laughs> and she's like, Carl, are you okay? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm cool. I didn't get arrested. Fuck yeah. And they just threw me out and then told that they took my wristband. And then that, again, that's, I ended up going to Silky O'Sullivan and stood on the wall. <laughs> they called like a bunch of our cop friends and had a, they called 201 Poplar and were like, we're looking for Carl Laux. We're like, he's not here today. <laughs> so like yeah yeah before the phones you definitely had to do being from memphis can you imagine if you weren't from memphis you're like hey we're all from arkansas and you are just here you getting Damn, lost you're like yeah. holy fucking shit dude oh man i couldn't imagine like because memphis when you hear other people talk about memphis like i i remember when we went to college in ut knoxville so there'd be girls from like nowhereville east tennessee they're like i'm not allowed to go to memphis like what? Like no, man. I can, I can go anywhere in the world, but I can't go to Memphis. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? So like you just hear about all this stuff, and you're like, I don't know. It's not that dangerous to me, but to other people who are fucking idiots, can you imagine back in the day before they renovated downtown in South Maine? Oh god. What was the rule of thumb? If you were on a street named after a state, you were in fucking <laughs> trouble. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm on Tennessee. Get the fuck, fuck out of off there. of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like South Maine was like fucking crackhead. That was People it. getting robbed, coming out of fucking corners. Like, ah. You yeah. fucking had Arcade and you had uh, Ernestine's Hazels. That was it. Remember? Yeah, we used to Max's go, was like an empty parking lot. Is it? Was it? I don't remember. But like we used to underage drink at Ernestine Hazels. That's how I mean. We used to jump on the interstate and fucking go all the way down. I was like, where are we going? Why is it taking us so long? Like, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah. oh, we're going to a space called down. It's downtown. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> fucking. I can't imagine. That place is so funny when you go upstairs and you find people up there doing whatever they're doing. And yeah. You're like, hey, what's up? Y'all have your own little bar up here? <laughs> like, what are y'all doing up here? Like, we all know what you're doing yeah. up there. What's really like? I'm into ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing. That It actually is a haunted bar. But I don't know. That's It's also a piece of shit place. Like, you go upstairs, you're like, Hey, y'all got all this money to fucking y'all fix this fucking put a door up or something, you yeah, know? It's like it's, it's a weird and the staircase is gonna. I don't know why anybody's hadn't died going. It's down gonna that fall in. Yeah, I mean, I've gone. I've slid about four steps and held on to the rail before, you know, to like be like, oh shit, that was close. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, what's the name? Chris Cordovelis. His uh, the warehouse is right across from uh, Ernestine and Hazel's. He says like kids show up at a house at his house knocking on the door like fucking late at night wanting to do stuff party and he's like what the fuck dude you're 20 i don't know you yeah <laughs> i can't imagine just having you know what i'm talking about right is uh, that the one behind the, five spot the the it's like like a red house or something there's like a, a little red building this is like a blue warehouse monkey? right by the uh kind of by blue monkey across from the uh, train station where the uh old train station thing is yeah i'm just guy named chris cordovelis he's like uh his friends with like a bunch of old school rock stars like Melissa Etheridge and him are good friends and oh, stuff. Okay. He's like 60. Um he looks it's kind of funny. He's like he looks like an overweight version of the Mr. Pringles guy. <laughs> he's got a little mustache. And, <laughs> um but yeah, he's big into music and has like a, oh, a building. Is this the a mansion? It's not a man. I mean, it's like a warehouse. It's like a warehouse in downtown. It's I know there's like a, there was like some home down there. So it's you remember like, the way Nick, like a pool in the fucking. Remember that Nick was going to throw the party. One of those parties we went to the little warehouse to look at it. So uh-huh. you're understanding Hazel right down the corner. Yeah, it's like right here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, so here's the blue monkey. 
keep walking down that street to get to Ernest and Hazel, it's yeah. like the little red house across the street, right? Yeah. It's next to that red house thing. Oh, you know okay. those stairs go up to the nowhere up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. it's next to that. So oh, like it's okay, on the okay. left. If you stand looking at this, it's on the left of that. I got you. Yeah, it's it's big. I mean, it's a, you know, but <laughs> I just can't see mm. who the fuck wants to see those random people going to his house. Yeah, if randomly he'll post pictures of uh, on a security camera and be like, "Does anybody know this douchebag? He knocked over my trash can or knocked over? He had a uh, these Pharaoh statues in the front of his place, uh-huh. and so somebody knocked over one of those one time. And uh, so he, he's big into like music. Uh, does a lot of promote like not promotion, but help give people like he had a, a warehouse to where it's like his home. And then it has a warehouse attached to it. To oh, where okay. you can do concerts. Uh, they did back when uh, they were filming a lot of movies here, back when South man was doing that right after walk the line, they used to use his warehouse for like feeding uh, uh, the crew members, like for catering. Oh shit. Really? And stuff like I had, I had dinner with Nora Jones one night there. Wow. She was like, I want to get away from the crew from the movie. And you guys seem like you're cool. And I was like, were yeah, you in the movie? Cool. Nah, not oh, this one. Okay. Uh, I was in another movie as Craven. Really? I, uh, the movie called Lovely by Surprise that they filmed here right after they did Walk the Line because they yeah. had Universal South set up shop in South Haven or something. They had the studio, not studio, but a production studio for editing and whatnot. And they had a whole crew from New York come down for an indie movie. And it was called Lovely by Surprise. It had a... Austin Pendleton, which is the stuttering lawyer from uh, My Cousin Vinny, had the fucking uh, one waitress from, uh, uh, what's it called, True Blood, that worked in a, in the movie, in the series True Blood, just hmm. some random, but it was set in the 70s, and so they had me uh, buy a, a car, a Mercury Cougar, at a at a car lot, I, and I bought it, The one of the head car salesmen was Richard Maser, he was the dad from uh, License to Drive. <laughs> And the dad from, uh, he was the dad from Encino Man and the uncle from My Girl. He was the guy with glasses and the little goatee back in all the 80s movies. I'm just still thinking about the stuttering guy from My Cousin Vinny. Uh, it's just popped in my head. <laughs> You're going to jail. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, yeah, I got to, I got a call, like, after when they started doing all the Universal stuff after Walk the Line, and they, they were like, are you the seventies guy from Memphis? And I was like, what? They go, we heard you're that seventies guy. They thought that was my name. Like, cause that seventies show was going on yeah. at the time. They're like, are you that seventies guy? And I was like, well, I have a gimmick that I dress up like a seventies guy. Yeah. yeah. They go, we need, we need you for a movie. And they go, we awesome, need to dress man. up as you for the movie, your character for the movie. And I was like, fuck yeah. That's legit. I was like, I'll do that. And fucking went out there and it was a, me, I'm big into cars, and I showed up, and there was a car lot. They took a it's the rotor rooter on summer in between Bartlett and right by Putt Putt. There's like a rotor rooter area uh, building yeah. on summer. They emptied the building out, fucking put all these classic cars in there. Had fucking cars in the parking lot. Had cars inside the building. Fucking Damn. like showroom cars, and had like everybody was wearing like fucking leisure suit type stuff. You know, seventies <laughs> gigantic ties, and then. Yeah. They, they had me come into wardrobe and they were like, we heard you had your own wardrobe. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And they go, <laughs> and they go, the only thing they had to change, they had to change out my shirt because of the contrast of the film, mm. like because the coloring, yeah. it didn't match or something and it would uh, blend in. So they gave me a different wing collar shirt. But then I remember the uh, producers and everything on the, uh, uh, what's it called when you do it with the audio, uh, when they had the, 
uh, comments when they uh, the edit director had the comment section on oh, the, yeah. they on the that part of the movie they were like and this kid came in and he had his own hair look at that his hair he <laughs> they were like we didn't have to do anything to it I had like feathered Farrah Fawcett hair at the time and they were like yeah the, this kid came in and already was like just ready to show up and they were like does he dress they were like yeah he dresses like that and they literally were on the uh, commentary on the the that DVD so commentary cool, they were like yeah, he dressed like that. I mean, I used to go to census like that. I'd show up fucking at census and just walk around. Just be like, what's up? <laughs> fucking. Well, apparently um, Alicia and Alicia. my friend Laura are both in Walk the Line. Alicia oh, Duncan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I posted a clip from the movie when they're in uh, some, in front of Sam Phillips. You know, they're doing Walk the Line. He's like, no, nah, this is not music. I need. And they redo it, remember? I posted that clip and, like, uh, they... Um, Two people commented on that thing. Oh, I'm in that movie. I was like, where? I didn't see you. Like, Yeah, the guy who played Sam Phillips was in the same movie I was in. He mm-hmm. played uh, one of the main characters. And that was always, I'd have to tell people, they're like, who, who's the guy from Walk the Line? I'm like, he's the guy. Because you can't tell somebody from not from Memphis who's Sam Phillips. They don't know who Sam Phillips is. Yeah. So you'd have to be like, he's the guy that's like, if you had one chance to sing one song before you die today. And they'd be like, oh, that guy. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> So he was in the same movie, which is kind of cool. So you guys hung around Memphis when they did that and he got hired. And it was also the uh, kind of pudgy dude that's, have you ever seen Orange is the New Black? No. Uh, mm-hmm. Jace, it's the guy from American Pie's best friend in that series. That's the only like six degrees of Kevin Bacon with that shit. The other guy I was in a scene with was in a, he played, uh, he was in a movie called Attila the Hun that was uh, done by Gerard Butler. At the time, so this is like right after 300. So like I found out that the guy that I did the scene with and did all like uh, uh, came up with the whole impromptu uh, scene that we did. He was in a, the movie before he did with uh, me. He was doing a movie with Gerard Butler. So it's like, I'm one degree of separation <laughs> from Gerard Butler, motherfucker. That's awesome. King Leonidas. You know what I mean? You're like, that's motherfucking awesome, man. So like that was, I was hanging on to that. So I did that movie in 2006. I think it was like February of 2006. And I didn't know any, I didn't even know that it got released. It kind of got under the table because uh, Stranger Than Fiction came out with Will Ferrell. And it has the same kind of concept where somebody's uh. writing, a writer's writing, and it's coming to life in real life. And it was the basically the indie version of that. Huh. And so it did good on like the Sundance and like Toronto Film Festival. But it didn't get a big uh, mainstream because of literally they were like, we can't release it at the same time Strange and Fiction is coming out. So it won a couple artsy fartsy awards, but nobody, it didn't have a past a premiere. It didn't have, so I didn't know about, I didn't even know it was going to be on DVD or anything. I was just like, okay. And my buddy told me that he was a producer, like a local producer on it. He goes, yeah, they ended up keeping your scene. And I was like, cool. And then I never knew anything about it. And then I'm in Afghanistan and I'm on. Amazon came, got big, you know, where you could order yeah. other things than books. And so I was like, it's on Amazon. So I ordered it to Afghanistan and got it sent to me. And I watched it and then I just put it in with the rest of the DVDs that we had to watch and let things just work themselves out. <laughs> and about a week later, somebody came up to me and they were like, hey, doc, you want to buy a car? And I was like, Oh, you fucking, and he goes, we watched it. And he goes, and he goes, yeah, we just, they started handing it off to people. 
and they'd be like, you got to check this movie out. And then people started one by That's one awesome, watching man. it. And they were like, this motherfucker. Like, I remember I first started and was like, you were in a goddamn movie and you're fucking in here with us. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I got paid like fucking industry minimum because I wasn't a screen actor guild. Mm. I wasn't a, a, what's it called? And the, uh, what is your what is SAG it? card? Uh, or SAG, but it's a uh, union, a unionized, basically mm. to where they'd have to pay you. Uh, once you're SAG unionized, it's, I think, 175 to $250 mi- daily minimum for uh, a featured extra. Oh, really? To be a featured extra. An extra is probably 150 but about 250 for a featured extra to where you actually have to do some good stuff, blocking. And and also, I got paid to be a uh, uh, a lighting blocker to where I'd stand in for the main actor who is the same height as me mm. and do all of their uh, lighting. So I'd stand there at their marks and then they would do the lighting machine, the little lighting uh, meter yeah. against me. So the actor sits there and does whatever the fuck he does in his trailer. <laughs> Banging gets chicks. Ready. Yeah. And then comes out and it's like, you know, stunt cock. And then fucking <laughs> I get out the way. Yeah. So I basically would just get really, really stoned and just stand there and get paid. I'd get, do my scene that I did, but the rest of the movie, I had to be there every day and just stand there. And you know how fucking funny it is to just stand there and like make faces of people or they're doing like, they're like up in your shit, like face to face with you. And you're just like, Hey, <laughs> like you have to hand, hold still. It's fucking, it's funny. It's weird to do that too, because you're just like, you start to understand the movie and you're like, I could do this. I could just hang around and do this shit. But then they got this other guy doing it. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> but so, yeah, I got paid like at the time, I think it was 120 bucks a day. And that's for featured extra and stand in to do a stand in work. And that's at the time I was bartending. So average bartending shift, I made a hundred bucks mm. for working my ass off. And this, I got to literally sit there. If I wasn't working, I was smoking weed. And then they'd be like, Carl, get in here. And I'd run in, fucking stand there for a little bit, and then go back and smoke weed. Win-win. What movies, a lot of hurry up and wait. Oh, God, yeah. And military, too, yeah. Hurry up and wait. Waiting for stuff. Uh, Setting up scenes is weird. Because, like I said, lighting has to be perfect. Outside lighting has to match up, too. So you can't say if you do a scene outside and, say, a cloud cover comes in, Uh you can't redo another scene that's connected to that scene. And the other part of it that I, I tell people the worst part of acting in music, movies and TV is doing takes. So you do a whole scene and you do it great. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, all right, we got to do it and move the cameras to the opposite oh, side. God. You didn't have a script. Everything you just did was fucking impromptu. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they give you like a, 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 a narrative, what you have to get to, what point to do, and then a blocking, scene blocking. And then you have to end up at this end of the room and then you say this word. But the rest of it, you pull out of your fucking ass. So a lot of times they'll take the first cut, whatever you do, your first cut, and they'll blend it to where your mouth is moving and it's not mm, quite. Yeah. And so it adds up. So then they'll do the shot to where you're the back of the head showing. Uh-huh. So if the audio doesn't match up, you might see the back of the person talking like the Marcellus Wallace. You just see the fucking what the, the, the bandaid. Yeah. That audio file probably didn't line up. Because so they do the scenes like that. Uh, okay. So that's my most annoying thing. When people are like, I want to be an actor. I'm like, it's not what you fucking think. Cause you literally are like, I just did a great job and did all this. 
and pulled this out of my fucking ass and you want me to do it again fucking remember what i just said <laughs> after we did everything and then you told me all this other new stuff yeah and they expect you and you can't fuck up your lines that's the best way to fucking not get invited back if you don't know your lines and or can't and can't come up with stuff off the top of your head yeah because have most of it is that like if you're an extra or you're doing a scene they it has to all come i can't remember the fucking word for it is but you just, just pull it out of your fucking ass like improvise or improv whatever. yeah it's yeah. all improv and people are going to pra- talk about that at like practice or uh acting classes and whatnot and they don't understand how literally they imagine say acting they'd have say like when you do something like this bantering back and forth mm-hmm. we're, we don't have a fucking script but yeah. we're just like ah i'm gonna say this next but when fucking people are just staring at you i swear you could take the take me i've done all the sorts of shit in front of people, swear you're like, oh my god, they're fucking looking at me. I don't. That's why some like, porn people do that. You got something to and do keep like, a boner. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, like, seriously, like you got the little guy holding the light or the little the, the boom. Yeah. I mean, what is the? I mean, what do and you, you know, do? Like those POV. You know, the cameraman's like, oh over yeah, you, like this. Like, what the fuck? It's like man? it's like, dude, like he's holding the thing. Like, what do you do with your boner when you have to hold like the the lighting thing? Like, it's just you just. <laughs> I mean, you got to get hard watching that. I don't care how many times you see it. Right? I guess you probably do get desensitized to it over time, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. But that's oh. just, yeah. Can you imagine? All right, that's a great cut. We're going to have to do it from the other angle now, Vanessa. Um, there's, there's this, there's this, I think she was just, she, I think she used to be a porn star or something, but now she has a podcast and she interviews a lot of people, like in the industry still. And she was saying, um, fuck, where was I going? Did you get a boner? Industry boner <laughs> coming up with stuff. Oh no. So like the um the directors will make them stop like when they're fucking and they're really into it, they'll make them stop and then they okay, now we're gonna get from a different angle. Okay, wait like wait like two minutes and start and, and you know, like they're both the both actors are getting frustrated, like fuck man, that was a good oh man, I that was really into that. And they just one chick was really complaining about it. she's like, I really loved him fucking the shit out of me for that for that second, and then I just we had just to stop. God damn. <laughs> yeah, that'd be weird. You're welcome for that, Tony. Yes. Stunt, thank you. <laughs> bring in the stunt cock. Yeah. I have heard that, though. Like, sometimes, like, a guy can't finish and they'll bring another guy in to, like, I guess if it's like a POV scene, because I think it was like one of those chicks on that uh, Stiff Socks podcast. And she said they'll have, like, another guy come in and, like, do the pop shot or whatever. Oh, oh so he just, like, jerks in and his. Yeah, it's not the actual guy that was fucking her earlier. Oh. It's, like, another guy, because I guess that guy can't finish or something. Hmm. And still maintains his job. <laughs> it's Fuck like yeah. your one thing you got to do. You can't fucking do it, man. It's like that one guy, the one actor that has his, like, I guess, wife or significant other's name tattooed right on the, like, right beside his cock. I can't remember. But, like, you see him and you're like, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> you can't you can't stunt cock him. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe they put makeup on it. Like, like, yeah, it's okay, so- baby. I fuck other girls. But they all see your name is right there. Yeah. You're number one. <laughs> wow. Well, Carl, this has been good. Oh, yeah. It's been really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, we, we usually end the podcast with asking our guests to uh, give, like, a piece of advice or it could be about anything they want to give a piece of advice about. So fuck the goat. No. Uh, <laughs> I'd say my biggest advice is fucking be a yes man fucking part of my shit people always ask like how did you do that i'm like i got asked and i said yes Mm. fucking one you can't take shit back 
time's the one thing you can't fucking get back. You can get money. You can get fucking anything. You can't go back and be like, I wish I was 20. I will, I've never said in my entire life, I wish I was 20 again so I could do something. Yeah. I fucking lived it to my fullest fucking. I mean, I said yes one time. What Brett had that uh, uh, taser gun, the taser thing oh, outside yeah. of fucking. And I was uh, like, I go, hey, I go, I'm going to. And I held against the fucking railing outside <laughs> on Highland because I knew I was going to uh, double over. I didn't want to fall over. Yeah. So I held on to it and like let him fucking prod me. We were, <laughs> we were fucking. That was the coolest thing. You know what I mean? Like everybody else is like all afraid and we were zapped like D -d -d -d. we we're like who's gonna do it and be like i'll do it and fucking <laughs> like i mean that's just one example but fuck i mean if you don't if you don't say fuck it and just jump out of an airplane or say fuck it i'm gonna go f get in a fight or do something crazy or fucking sign up for the army or fucking join memphis wrestling or fucking singing with muck sticky if i had just said well i don't know I, nothing would have happened and then in that it wouldn't uh, steamroll into fucking something else. Yeah. Cause that momentum that you get from doing stuff uh, can lose. I mean, you lose momentum if, if you keep going and you, the next thing's there uh, that keeps you, I mean, one relevant, but two, it just keeps you to where you're happy doing stuff to where I've never, I've never had to go. What's my next move. It's literally, I always tell people I'm kind of like that feather and fucking Forrest Gump to where it's <laughs> fucking like whatever. If something fits, Something's going to happen next. I feel like, and I have the freedom to be able to do that. The way I've structured my life and the way that now I get to live my life to where I'm retired from the military. I get to take care of my son full time to where my time to me is more valuable than the amount of money I could, I could get another job and work a nine to five, but I wouldn't have the time to do my kid, take care of my kid, do all the stuff that I really want to do. Yeah. It's like Jim Carrey said, you know, his dad, probably the funniest guy. It could have been a better comedian than he ever was is, but his dad wanted to be, do the safe bet and was an accountant. And then when he was like 11 years old, his dad got fired from being an accountant. So you can fucking get, you can fail at something you're not happy at doing when you can fucking do the same thing. You can still fail at something you actually enjoy doing. Yeah. And I've literally lived my life doing what I want to do at that specific time. And somehow I've been able to make a living that way and be successful. And, and a lot of times people don't understand. I don't get paid for a lot of stuff I do. Mm. It's opportunities that come from that. Makes sense. So, I mean, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, uh, Def Comedy Jam, Spike, Spike, uh, no, not Spike Lee, fucking uh, Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons said, uh, sweep the floor, sweep the sidewalk. If you want a job inside a building working there and they're not hiring, fucking sweep the sidewalk out front. Eventually, whoever owns that place will see you sweeping the sidewalk and be like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? Yeah. He's fucking doing all this shit to try to get in. And so with wrestling, with music, I had to sweep the sidewalk. I've, I've shown up and set up for fucking so many concerts, so many wrestling shows and just put in your time to where you, I got, I remember my first wrestling show that I got paid. I got $5. Damn. Five bucks. I got the shit kicked out of me. Five fucking bucks. It's not about the money. It's about what could have can get presented from putting yourself in those situations. Yeah. So it's always guys like that have an attitude like me that end up in situations like that. And it's a big thing. 
um, what's it called? Um, manifest destiny. Mm. If you think something enough, it'll happen. If you think something's your life's going to fuck up, if you're fucking always worrying about doomsday, doomsday will fucking come really quick. And if every day you're worried about, hey, man, this is some positive shit. I hope this happens. I hope one day I'm fucking huge. I hope I make it big. This is what's going to happen. You write that shit down and you think about it enough, it'll happen. Yeah, I agree with that, man. So that's what I try to tell people. That would be my biggest advice. That and take the red pill. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, man. It's been very interesting. You've lived an interesting life, my friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to come back, man. So I don't think we even cracked the surface on most of the shit you've done. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah, I didn't even get into the mascot days at University of Tennessee. Yeah, W Part 2 with Carl, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. The cheerleading UCA days when I was a co-ed cheerleader, too. Mm. Tell you about national championships at universe, at Disney World. Mm. Imagine being one of, like, 50 dudes in Disney World with every hot cheerleader in the whole country <laughs> there. Man, for sure. <laughs> All right. Carl will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate you, man. All right. We love Hell you lots. Yeah. Bye. Deuces.